everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 338. I'm Josh Grisola, joined as always by my co-host David Bix and Span and Bix. We have a interesting week to talk about this week. We've um, we've did the week after this week in the past, and we've uh, talked about some of the stuff that goes on during our week and passing. But yeah, this is going to be an interesting uh, show here, to say the least. Yes, and also, you know, for when we get to, and I'm sure we'll repeat in that segment later at the end of the show with the WWF, um, if you want to hear more about uh, Dave Meltzer's column in The National about uh, the Sergeant Slaughter Gulf War exploitation stuff, etc., we did a whole show on that on the Patreon at patreon.com slash between the sheets for $5 a month level patrons or higher, which also includes if you do the 16% off $50.40 a year paid up front plan. So that's patreon.com slash between the sheets. There you go. And we'll talk more about the Patreon later in the uh, halftime sec- segment. But anyway, since this show has uh, a heavy day Meltzer feel to it, we, I decided to ask someone who uh, has done a lot of work with Dave over the years. And, Peter uh, Rosenberg? He's a, he's, a, he's a Dave whisperer, I think. As we are joined by, uh, well, one of the few people i guess around here that still claims to be falcons fans with myself <laughs> we're joined by the one the only mike supervivi mike welcome back uh thank you very much for having me yeah i will still latch on and hold on to the the, the falcons no matter to, to my dying day <laughs> me and you both uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're we're there forever hey you know hey this all right so since you've been on the braves snapped their drought when the yeah. world series Georgia Bulldogs snapped their drought at the 41 years, won their national championship. So the Falcons, the Falcons and the Hawks are on the clock. Falcons, obviously, this year we can't do nothing about this over with. Hawks still got, you know, we'll see what happens with them. But I think even though we, we went 7-10 and 10 and, the set, and the seven games we won were against, you know, a lot of crappy teams, but still their wins, you know, I still think the Falcons are on the right track, and I think that this offseason will tell a tale uh, to see where we go from here. But uh, are you at least encouraged by what happened this year? I think uh, third incarnation of the Atlanta Flames has got a a better shot of winning a championship before the Hawks and the Falcons do. But (laughs) I I say that I I say that in jest. Look, Arthur Smith was the right guy to come in and coach the team. I was happy about that. I was hoping he'd use his connections to to lift some offensive linemen from that team during the Julio deal. But obviously they weren't able to do that. But, you know, I like the direction that they're going because I like him. I like what they were able to do with Cordell Patterson. You know, the mark of what how good coaches is what he can get out of you know being given the least amount and because of salary cap hell because of missing on drafts you know being so weak on defense and almost every position being so weak on the offensive line you know Calvin Ridley's issues you know for them to be seven and ten and actually be you know whispering at the playoffs at the end of the year actually you know says a lot and I I'm happy with moving forward you know Matt Ryan's going to be there another year, and that's good because who else are you going to get that's better? And frankly, who else is going to want to come when the team's in disarray like this? So I hope they give him ample time because I think he's the right guy. We'll see how it goes. Front office has got to make the right moves. got to get the right drafts. But I actually like the direction they're going. You know, as much as uh, Falcons fans, you know, shit on the offensive line, and yes, there's reasons they could do that. 
Chris Lindstrom was the only guard this year that never didn't allow one single sack. So there well, is. And then he, when you see the Giants and you see what the Seahawks have turned into, and you see these other teams, it's like it's a reminder that it could be a lot worse. You, know, you see Alex oh. Mack in San Francisco, and it you know kind of drives you nuts. But it's like you know, hey, you know, this is where they're at right now, and this is where we're at, and it could be far worse. Again, Matt Ryan still has not missed. You know, how many games has Matt Ryan missed his entire career? Like one or two. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they've done an amazing job keeping him upright and he's smart enough to still know how to get rid of it. And he's still athletic enough in this this day and age in the NFL where I don't want anybody else to, to be in, in, you know, again, Jimmy G. You look at some of the names that are out there and it's like, I mean, come on. And that's even if they wanted to come. Exactly. Save it for off all right. guys. <laughs> Day, uh, you know, Bix, I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Where am I going to see you this weekend? What is the weather going to be like in New York as we record this episode? Oh, yeah, I didn't even think of that yet, that we're doing. Yes, yes we're going to be seeing about each other. to run the Hammerstein. We've got the Cutting Room, got the Indie Wrestling Hall of Fame where Dave Parazak should be the only inductee every single year, but I'm good with everybody. <laughs> so this is I am looking very forward to all of this. Yeah, it's going to be like this kind of, I mean, well, the whole, I mean, the whole weekend is going to be this kind of weird between like this is going to be the between the sheetiest uh gcw show ever i guess between you know we've got prazak lenny ian all on commentary <laughs> um who else i'm there, else? I'm there for the I'm gonna be stories. there yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, i'm sure there are other people just, i'm forgetting too um let's just hope that that, that you know the winter storm that's supposed to come barreling through again this weekend as we record this uh doesn't affect it a whole lot eh, so. chris we're used to that we live north further north of you so i see it well, don't say that well, i got i got enough out here taking the train yeah. <laughs> hey washington dc uh should be used to what they went through uh going all these years and i saw what happened up there so the the D.C. Virginia folks can't say nothing about Atlanta anymore with uh, all the people that were st- oh. uh, stranded on the interstate. Yeah. <laughs> you know, now this Too many transients, course... bro. Transients yeah. everywhere. I could, of course, yeah, look exactly. stupid by the time this show comes out, especially since I want to get it all edited and stuff by, like, Saturday afternoon, so I'm not scrambling at any other time during the weekend. Um, as of right now, it, it looks like the forecast for saturday evening in new york city is going to be in the mid 20s but clearish and then sunday is going to be uh in the in the kind of varying back and forth in the 30s and into the into just below freezing at night but only precipitation right now is minor chance of snow in the morning I'll yeah. take that. I'll take mostly clear. I'll take cold is uh, it's par for the course, but I'll take mostly clear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes. we'll see what happens as we record. All right. Well, let's go back 31 years to 1991, the week of January the 19th through the 25th. And we begin in World Championship Wrestling. January 30th Clash of the Champions has been moved from CNN Center to Gainesville, Georgia because of the heavy security surrounding CNN Center right now. Ranger Ross has appeared at the Clash entering from the ceiling, but don't know if the idea was scrapped with the move to Gainesville. Now, Steve Beverly talked to an unnamed TBS executive who told him that we just looked at all the factors. 
and felt it was not the best thing to do right now. Besides, TBS considered the fact that it was probably less than appropriate to be holding a live wrestling show just a few feet down the hall from where round-the-clock coverage of a war was in progress. It just wouldn't have been in good taste. Some WCW officials argued against the move after extensive promotion had been aired on the site, in addition to giving the wrestling company over the past weekend to alert Atlanta fans to the site change. TBS executives, though, prevailed in the end, but they aren't ruling out a future clash from the atrium. And this show ended up being in the Georgia Mountain Center, right? Correct. Gainesville, Georgia, Georgia Mountain Center, yes. And it's a shame, Mike, because that would have been a cool place to have a wrestling show. Because just think, think about this, people. All right. So if you remember the first Nitro where it was held in the Mall of America in the food court area, the atrium at CNN Center is kind of sort of that type of way. It's this big open space, you know, big, tall, tall ceiling, real tall. And you're surrounded by little shops and restaurants. And to have a wrestling ring in the middle would have gave that feel to it. It would have been a cool thing for WCW to differentiate themselves from WF even more to do something like this and to give it this interesting look. So, yeah, it's a shame that we didn't have it. But, hey, that Persian Gulf War, CNN, they were tied to, at the hip. I mean, that that was just – that was – everybody was watching CNN at the time. So to have something like that happen in that area, it just couldn't happen. Well, no. their live by phone, like bombing coverage from the building next door thing, that would have happened already, right? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, so th- th- this is an understandable decision. That said, um, specifically that the TBS executive who told Steve, you know, the thought process behind it, that, you know, not quoted directly on this part, but saying, you know, that it was probably less than appropriate to be holding a live wrestling show just a few feet down the hall from where round-the-clock coverage of a war was in progress. It does also kind of sound like the people at CNN who were annoyed by having newsrooms right next to the Techwood studio a few years earlier, um, that they may have also protested on that ground alone, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah and this, this sounds like Jim Hurd to me, you know, who gave Steve <laughs> Beverly this, and it's him fighting with the wrestling guys, well, probably, who... you know, he, well, he was able it, to get well, a hold of Petrick, too, and others. That's so. true, but at least it would be somebody in that camp, and, and you see what he said about, you know, the some WCW officials, which I assume would be the wrestling end of that mind <laughs> group that, you know, they, they were probably kind of more pushing for it because, you know, heat and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, cooler heads needed to prevail in this. And, you know, I think all of those factors, you know, kind of come into play in this. And just this was, you know, discretion is a better part of valor. And this was a smart thing to do. And, you're, Chris, you're right about the venue because I, you know, and I'll never remember right now, but there's a mall show in Japan that's always really cool. I can maybe it's the NHCA Studios where they do it, which is just it's it's a cool look, you know. And uh, Nate Webb, when they did the collective outside in Indianapolis, they had to scramble and come up with something, you know. Those types of things, every once in a while, it, it's it is cool, and it would have actually differentiated themselves a little bit from what WWE and WWF did. As good as their production was, it was almost always in the arena, except for shows like WrestleMania. Exactly, yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's what can you do? I mean, this was going to be Dusty's first 
big show, the clash, you know, and to have that change. And, and it does really change because they, they tape it in Georgia mountain mountain center so much that especially in that era, they're there just about every other week. So it's just not special to that fan base. And, yeah, and feel wasn't there. And, yeah, exactly. And again, you've been billing this to take place on television, and now you got to go back and redo that. Although <laughs> by this point in time, there are pros at doing that, and we'll have more <laughs> on that even later in the show. But um, but yeah, it's just it. it it's just happenstance here that they did that. So it's like, what can you do? Yeah, but. and by the way, yes, Randy Ross was technically under contract at this point, although he was not working for WCW. The last he time he worked for WCW, yeah, yeah, the last time he worked for WCW was as the Pearl, and that was In, a few months earlier. Yeah, that was like September. Yes, yeah, September-ish, uh, doing the masked. A uh, great mood to knock off gimmick, yes. Yeah, very so. strange. I guess they remember they had him under contract, so is he... I mean, good for him if he's able to double dip and make money wrestling on top of his guaranteed income. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, I mean, they didn't give a shit, so why not? You gotta you diversify. Know? Yeah, why not? Also, the wrestling data either does not have the Pearl match... In its database, or does not have it linked to Randy Ross. Probably, yeah. They 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 probably don't know. <laughs> That's probably what it is. They probably don't know who it is. So we covered that week, didn't we? Yeah, we've talked about that. Was it with Semper Vivi actually? Uh, no, it, I can't remember who it was with. It was nineteen ninety. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, this Sunday. Had an excellent eight-man tag match, same teams and war games, going 18 minutes to a double DQ, plus interviews by Arn Anderson, Rick Flair, and Paulie Dangerson, both syndication, and TBS have been top-notch, according to Dave. Yeah, Dave, and we'll talk more about that episode of World Championship Wrestling in a little bit, but um, they've really been, um, you know, when, when Flair comes back and wins a title, they finally have got the horsemen as a unit in this time period. And we've talked about this recently. We did the uh, 1990 show uh, last month, Stark 90. And Mike, this era of the horsemen here, the Sid era, is such an odd era because Barry's not around because he's hurt and doing office duty. Sid's teaming with Dan Spivey again. Uh, Flair and Arn are doing their thing with Doom. But it seems like once Dusty is now coming in and getting full control, Flair you know, has his hair cut, and we're going to talk more about the Horsemen's new attitude later. It seems like now finally the Horsemen are on the track that they should have been on for months. Well, it helped that the, you know one of the creators of all of that was back in the fold again and circling the wagons back up again and giving it a little bit of focus. You know, so I'm sure that kind of played a part in it and just, you know, getting the feels back. And, you know, Flair and Anderson with Doom, I thought was awesome. <laughs> you know, I, I I liked all that stuff. Like everything with Doom, it always, everything always went too short and, and things didn't work out the way that they, they should have, frankly. You know, even Doom and the Steiners, as good as that was, it's just, you know, they, they missed a lot with all of that stuff. But you know, Anderson Flair dangerously, you know, it, it doesn't, you know, it's 
not rocket science to see if you put them on TV and give them time and give them some direction, you know, and even if they didn't have any direction that that's going to be the highlight of your programming. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it was a different feel, you know, the you know, Flair Anderson doing for you. It's just a different feel, a different touch than what we have been seeing normally. But yeah, the Sting, Steiners, Pillman, that whole group also when getting them all together, that was really good too. And Pillman, Pillman got elevated off of that because I mean, when Ole was there in charge, you know, people talk about how Pillman was treated in '91. Hell, I mean, when Ole was in charge, Pillman was—he was in the, t- the tag team with Zinc. But after that, he was like persona non grata for the last half, of, last part of 1990. I mean, and- as much as people dwell on the Watts thing because of the the take a pay cut and we'll, we'll give you a huge push, or and if you don't, we'll job you out thing. Watts booked Pillman much better than Ole did. Yeah, Ole was the worst book yeah. of them all with Pillman, I thought. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And it was, it was, you know, like, I never felt like we got, you know, all of the Pillman that we wanted before he became, you know, he, he re, you know, established himself as, you know, going crazy and the whole deal with the horsemen. And then on the way to the WWF, it's like, I still wish I could have seen flying Brian Pillman like in the mix where he should have been back in the day. It's just, you know, there's so many frustrating examples. If you were a fan of the NWA and WCW back then, which I was, but he's just a great example of like, Oh, come on, (laughs) you know, and the reactions that he would get. And he was an unsinkable guy, you know, as far as the fans went and they still could never get it right with him. Yeah. For spite or whatever the reason was his big mouth, the whole nine yards. Very weird. And then, yeah, I mean, hell, his mentor <laughs> takes over the book uh, in 93. And that's when they're doing the Brian Pillman chicken suit stuff with Fuller. <laughs> I, I mean, Flair's booking. So, it, yeah, it's just, it's weird how uh, the Pillman trajectory in WCW, absolutely. Real weird. All right. Matt watched has been told that Dusty Rhodes has been quite congenial and team-oriented in his early days with WCW. He sought Jim Ross's advice on TV formatting and reportedly has a different attitude towards TBS officials than the clouded way in which he left in 1989. Well, shit. I, w- I would think so, Mike. I mean, now yeah, but- he's not wrestling anymore. He's not an active wrestler. He's, he's fully in charge. So, yeah, it's going to be a little bit different. Hey, you got a little bit of humility, a little bit of perspective. You know, all that sort of stuff. And, yeah, he's not an active competitor anymore. And he is sliding in. And there are still people there that he knows, even though there's TBS executives that he knows he's going to have to bump up against. But did he really know what he was going to have to bump up against? Probably not till later on. I'm sure it was actually apparent right away. But it started to sink in more and more as things went on about, you know, (laughs) the way things were going to be there. But... Again, Dusty Rhodes back in the fold where he, you know, should have been arguably never should have left. You know, it was time for him to leave as Booker, but how he ended up going out of the W, you know, uh, out of the NWA and then up to WWF and what had happened there, you know, as a, a long time again, as a fan, as a longtime Dusty fan, it was good to have him back. It was good to hear his voice on TV. Yeah. And he, he seemed genuinely excited you know, to be back on television. It came off that way, at least, you know, to be back home. And, um, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed his ring, his announcing with Jim Ross. 
and it seemed like they, that they got over their little issues in the past. You know, I mean, it was just, it was a different Dusty Bix than what you know what was left in January '89. So, but the problem is a lot of the fans and newsletter people still were treating Dusty like he was January 1989 when he comes back to WCW. That's the problem. In fairness, um. The first several months of his run here are not great. Well, uh, uh, yeah, of course, but I think part of that is he's, I think in this early run, I think he's more willing to, you know, defer to Jim Hurd on a lot of things. Yes, yes, I would agree with that. As we talked about, I think, because Jim Hurd wanted all these outlandish characters and all these wild intros. We thought that before... showing he can be the good soldier. Yeah, he's not exactly. trying to rock the boat, yes. And then, of course, what happens, I mean, when when Ferd's gone, <laughs> that's when the, the product gets a whole lot better in the Kip Fryer, because Dusty now has free reign to do his thing. Yes, and although... As we, and, and, and as we said before, he gets no credit for that. He's the booker. You know, Kip Allen Fry gets all the credit. All he was was the boss. Dusty was the guy that was booking this shit, but but he never gets the credit for it. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, though, I don't know if it's uh, Crockett starting to regain power or what, but, does, but, you know, the last, what would you say, three, four months of 91 before, before her gets let go? I mean, it does improve a lot, you know, not and not just from the new talent, but also the booking. I think I think it starts at Halloween Havoc. I think it, I mean it starts with when when Paulie and Rude do their angle and go into the Clash. It, yeah, that's when all that starts. Absolutely, it's the end of October, first of November. You see, you see the little signs before, but that's when everything really starts clicking. You know, it's, that begins there. And the Steamboat, formation of Dangerous Alliance. Rude, Dangerous Alliance. Yeah. Yes. Uh-oh. Vader coming in full time and all that stuff like that. Yes. Oh, by the way, real quick. And obviously it... the big oh, turning point, right. Larry Zabisco. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I was going to say, as an aside, though, um, I was digging around in some newsletters the other day. And how do I put this? Um I don't know if we had these yet when we did the shows about – well, wait. We didn't do – what am I saying? We didn't do a Patreon special about the Eddie Gilbert, Paul Heyman, you know, late 91 controversy. We did back-to-back weeks. That's why. So this wouldn't have been covered anyway, actually. There is a three-count by Alex Marvez where one of the main stories is that WCW briefly put out their own competitor to the dirt sheets in late, starting in late 91 from Dennis Brent. And the first issue was, like, devoted to attacking the other newsletters, including about their coverage of the whole Pauly thing. Yeah. And I just figured I'd mention that because I don't know what I make of that since I got <laughs> reminded of it. Um, we may need to do some kind of Eddie Gilbert Patreon show eventually, I think, that retreads some of that. But anyway. We'll see. All right, but here's more to this. Uh, one WCW person I told the torch that it's not like he's Charles Manson and got paroled, which is in response to the criticism of Dusty's return in, in newsletters and conversation. His juices are flowing, and he's enthused as well as objective. 
Okay, okay, I'm putting the envelope to my head. <laughs> okay, it's not like he's Charles Charles Manson and got paroled. <laughs> I'm going with Kevin Sullivan. Sounds like it, doesn't it? His juices are flowing and he's just thews as well as objective. <laughs> like, <laughs> but what is Sullivan's role? I mean, is he a WCF personality at this point in time? Yes, we have a clip with him later. That's right. You're right. You're right. How yeah. can I get that? Yeah, I'm the one who got the clip. Yeah. I guess he is. <laughs> so, I mean, so there you go. I mean, it could be. And he would be working with Dusty. So, there you go. Yes. Eddie Graham was like a father to him. <laughs> it is always amazing as somebody that was not reading newsletters then. I was listening to radio shows that were reading verbatim from newsletters, but I wasn't into the newsletter game. And it is always amazing to go back and see the vitriol that Dusty Rhodes got. I mean, a lot of guys, but him being well, one of them, just relentless. <laughs> well, Dustin, well, yeah, Dustin's Dustin. another one. Dustin's the worst. We did a, did a whole show about it, you know, a whole Patreon show about the treatment of Dusty Rhodes in this era by the newsletters. It's insane. Because of who his dad is. Crazy. Uh, Dave says, Dusty's official title in front of the screen will be Goodwill Ambassador for WCW. <laughs> what is he, the Rosati he sisters? <laughs> Good if you will, Ambassador. Yeah, I is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, Steve Beverly was assured by these three parties that no attempted coup of Jim Ross on TBS is underway or even being plotted. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to guess that those parties are not Jim Ross, Eddie Gilbert, or Paulie Dangerously. <laughs> I love the way that Well, actually, reads. no, wait a second. No, Eddie Gilbert would want a coup, but <laughs> Jim Ross probably wants people to think there's a coup. <laughs> and Paul's in the middle. So actually, that does make sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Paul's noncommittal, but he'll take it if it happens. <laughs> I mean, I saw this. I was like, I got to put this has got to make the notes because this is a Steve Beverly sentence. Right here. I mean, good lord. Yeah, all it needs is him talking about Jim Ross doing the fall by fall. <laughs> oh, my God. The Southern Boys apparently want to go a name change sometime next month, so their characters won't be so geographically limited. <laughs> it's not just the name, Steve. I really don't think the name is this the is important Dave. part. Oh, Dave, excuse Dave. me. Yep. Dave, I really don't think it's the name. <laughs> Holy smokes. That was in Baltimore, man. Well, the Midnight Express were always over in Baltimore. You know what also will help them? They're wrestling a team draped in Confederate flags. That will always <laughs> help matters. And that was one of those things as, again, as a young fan coming up, I was like 15 or whatever it was. And just culturally different than how WCW would present their product oftentimes. And it just... It, it, <laughs> It's unbelievable, and they end up moving them to what the Young Pistols is that some they just well, the, the Young Pistols from, from was it Wyoming, Wyoming? Definitely was not it, geographically limited. Yes, yeah, well, that's dusty. Yeah. Was it just quote unquote Wyoming, or was it Casper, Wyoming? I think it may have been Casper. Well, there you go. Actually, no, no, no. You know what? I think it might have been both because I think at one point it was Casper. But the way yeah, you think of it, if you think of Gary Capetta, is just from Wyoming. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that, but that's Dusty though, making it geographically limited in his in his world. But this tells the story though of how different, even you know, I mean, now it's thirty years ago, thirty one years ago, about different the culture was in the South compared to anywhere else, in even in that time period regarding the Confederate flags, because it was still 
not seen as bad, you know, really. And, and on a wider and basis, I guess would be the best way to put that. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, people, people just weren't, they, they knew that, the, you know, you know, the symbolism was there, but they also was like, well, that's also, you know, state pride or whatever, Southern pride or whatever, you know, we don't look at it that way. We look at it as our way, you know, it's like, you, you know, that maybe some people are offended, but you don't really care. You know, I'm, yeah, I'm not using it in that way. Some people might. So also who even knows what, what was in some people's textbooks in school, <laughs> you know, like, but, but it's just, the, it's just the flag, of, you know, it was the flag of the South. Well, and it, and was it got incorporated into some state flags too. Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah. And I mean, the Rock and Roll Express having one of those bandanas wrapped around their leg with all the other ones. It was just Dukes of Hazard. Yeah. Dukes of, exactly, yeah. Dukes of Hazard. It was one of those things that it's you Southern know, Pride. Yeah. Well, that's what just, I was going to say, too, that, like, you know, I'm not young. I'm not even not old enough to have learned about the Civil War or anything yet. So, like, I see it and, like, I don't think my parents really explained it to me. So I just thought of it as, like, this thing that was considered, like, a Southern flag. Yeah, and for it, and where I was, I mean, between Baltimore and Washington, it was amped up more because it was looked down upon a lot more. So that's where you know a lot more of the shrugs came in because it was just it was a different you know again different area, and again I was a little bit older, so it was already you know established on you know at least in my mind what I thought that was and what I you know and again but again even with that said. Because I grew up watching the Dukes of Hazard, because of Freebird, because of this, that, and the third, it was just like there it is. You know, I would never at the time, at the time, I would never have equated it with a Nazi flag or anything like that. But I, you know, as time went on and you start to meet more people and talk to more people who absolutely do look at it that way and have good goddamn good reason to, you know, your perspective starts to change a little bit. And that's, you know, again, they couldn't do, there's so much in wrestling you couldn't do now that was done then. And there's a great example of it that, you know, again, somebody sees things out of context, you know, a lot of times with wrestling, it's like, you know, you have to try to go back and try to explain there was no malice there. It was just, it was ignorance. It was simple ignorance. at the time. Exactly. Yes. Although then again, this is also the, promotion that just hired a someone who copped a plea on a rape a couple months earlier a few months ago so it's true so well there, there's a lot right. going on wrestling yep. <laughs> yeah well we'll, well we'll we'll be talking about him in just a few minutes um so there's that all right back to matt watch after his run with wcw ends this week norman has dates booked with georgia all-star and herb abrams uwf it's going all out to get any dates. Some TBS programmers became alarmed that Norman was going to come out as an Iraqi sympathizer during part of his personality transformations of late. So he, I, I guess he had maybe floated the idea of, bring, of doing the Muck and Sing deal in WCW, but as an Iraqi sympathizer. What it sounds like to me. I That's have seen I that great that. Iraqi name. <laughs> so I mean he, he's done he probably wouldn't have used that name you know probably, probably yes but he would have done the gimmick and like he didn't stampede in a way and, but, but yeah it, that just wasn't going to work <laughs> just wasn't going to work yeah well, what it would have worked about as well what... as Sheik Tugboat would have too <laughs> 
Well, the question is, what name would he have come up with then? If because it obviously wasn't going to be Muck and Sing. It doesn't. It doesn't dance for Jim Hurd and trying to sell it to the people and the kids and making a character out of this thing with I'm this pretty, Iraqi sympathizer. What's his name really going to be? If something, I'd probably say something Hussein. I could see him using Hussein as a last name to really amp it up. Well, so. you know what? He spent enough time around Bruce Hart. He'd probably go with Saddam Hussein. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? I uh, Tor said Bobby Eaton was offered a two-year deal at $170,000 per year, which I guess he took or something to that because he signed up. He re-signed with WCW, so there you go. And thank uh, God for that because of that future dangerous alliance that you speak of later on. Well, what? Do you, I mean, he had a hell of a year in 91. He had the Flair, the, the Flair Clash match. He yeah. had title matches. Yeah, Bobby Eaton had a sneaky great 1991. I mean, it was a showcase year for him because he's now a singles guy. And he's able to do all these different things. He's not in a tag team. So, yeah, he, he really strong in 1991. And then he gets hooked back up in a tag team in 92. But nothing wrong with that because him and Arm are great. But, how, uh, how nice was that for the locker room? He goes and sticks it up Jim Hurd's ass, too. I mean, you know, essentially yeah. by being that good of work, even though he'd never be able to appreciate it and would never admit or cop to it, you know, Eden doing that still still is nice. Absolutely, yeah. Larry Zavisco will start working in February. His first program will probably be with Brian Pillman. Well, not so much. But he does start working in February, so there you go. Art Barr was back in Atlanta this past week trying to get his job back, Bix. Uh, <laughs> I guess uh, he thought with... Go ahead. I guess he thought with the new power structure in WCW that maybe he would come in with a clean slate. I heard it's the not, one that fired him, though. I know that. Well... It's wrestlers. <laughs> it's wrestlers picks. And Heard was one of his biggest defenders. You know, if Barr or somebody was able to convince Heard that no, this this girl was lying or whatever. I mean, right. whatever. Again, and it turns into what can I justify in my mind to try to keep this guy around or to try to bring him back? And obviously that ship had sailed and we obviously know what happened and where his career went, which was down to Mexico. Yeah, Oregon and Mexico. Basically, that was it for uh, our bar, sadly. But what, he did it to himself. What even happens to him if Conan is not on Starcade and it's working got, shows he, well, around the horn the, the week before? I could be a dick and or be, whatever. I mean, look at look at the drug issues that he had. I mean, he could have been he could have been dead or out a lot sooner because he would have had to have been working every you know. <laughs> Every on the edge of relative, you know, UWF, where would he go? He'd have to go to all these places that probably wouldn't have been that much better for his health and continue to work on a circuit. Because where does he go? Japan? Does he get booked with an FMW or something like that? I mean, that would be the only other option is to go over there. Well, I mean, way it looked, he was, you know, he, he basically had to work out to work through all this. And then see what happens then. You know, time, you know, time heals all wounds, they say. So, you know, people forget, you know, a few years down the line. Well, it's not in my mind anymore. Yeah, it happened. But especially the 90s, you know, it's only like, well, we look, forgot. All, if Oli's in there and, and, you know, look what he <laughs> Buzz Sawyer. I mean, for all of the I mean, just you go through the list of names in Georgia and the way he would look the other way. You know, Watts, too, you know, to an extent, if somebody could go, 
that you so yeah i mean who knows who knows what would have happened because yeah maybe maybe he does stay on the fringes and and he's able to actually get his way back in but i i don't know it it was people were on him so much you know and they were just constantly i mean i don't know where else he would have went well yeah absolutely absolutely can we talk for a second about how wcw took a month and a half to fire him after the whole shit well, that's storm. the thing with herd so that's where it's like obviously you know he there was an affinity for him and there was you know i i don't know how much how much were they really looking into this case as opposed to trying to look away from it and justify having him there because you know he was charismatic enough and he was good on the house shows it, it, he was for the kids and that's what Herb was looking for was kids yeah. gimmicks but what, Even though our, our bar was uh, plead to <laughs> to molestation. Well, no, he plead no, he plead to a he pled to a forcible rape of a nineteen year old woman. Well, that's yeah, right. It was nineteen year old. Yeah, I mean the right. the age was not an issue, especially because he was only like twenty two or whatever it was, um, or was it a little older? But still, he's not. He's in his early twenties. So the age had nothing to do with it. No, and that's where it's like he every bad decision Art Bar could make it, <laughs> you know. And that's where it's like I, you know, if he doesn't go to Mexico, what what actually would would have happened to that guy, you know? What what really, you know, the the end could have came sooner. Yes, and also like, let's talk for a second about the fact that he somehow decided to, even though polygraphs are not admissible in court. He effectively confessed during his polygraph. Yeah, because he said, you know, it was like, oh, I, I, I thought she was. We'd be willing if we did it somewhere other than a deserted armory stairwell. I was like, yes. So she's saying no. So, yeah, you did that. Yeah. Uh, and remember, again, the plea was like a month before WCW hired him, and it was all over the newsletters. But it wasn't a mainstream story. No, so but as far as, no, like, but w- well, no, I mean, as far as WCW would have known, and it was mainstream yeah. in Oregon. It, yeah, but they're not, or they're not going to Oregon. Yes. <laughs> no, and then, yeah, it wasn't until Oregon came to them, you know, literally over and over again in in every city, and you know, bombarding the offices. Yeah. Yeah. So. And for people who want to hear about all this in detail, listen to the show we did from. Forget the exact week, but it's mid-November 1990 uh, with uh, Bruce Mitchell. Yeah, and we pre, did our bar Patreon. Pre-disappearance, uh, pre, pre Bruce Mitchell, to be clear. We did our bar Patreon, though, too, so. Yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, Larry Cameron. Still waiting here for WCW officials regarding if and when he's coming in. Well, he works at taping. Yeah, but God, uh, I still wish he was in there. I still, Mike, I still wish Larry Cameron would have got a shot. Let's see what he could have done. He was just, he looked so badass. You know, I only saw a little of him, a couple of AWA appearances, I think it was. But he was like one of those guys that like, they never really covered indies in the the after magazines and, and all those London Weston magazines. Like, but they covered him, <laughs> you know, because of how he looked. Like, it's the only time you heard Windy City Pro or whatever it was. It was like, damn, look at this dude. And I mean, he looked like a million bucks. He had a little bit of a rap. It's like, yeah, at that time in WCW, that would have been cool as shit. Yeah, uh, you know, he um, he could have got involved in the feud with with Butcher and Ron Simmons. Yeah, I mean, perfect for Teddy Long. 
Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. It's a same. Uh, same well, Teddy Long. Long able... Teddy Long managed him though on his TV matches. Yeah, he did. So did he? yeah, it would have been perfect to ha- to have them as a full time act. Absolutely. A Ron Simmons, Larry Cameron feud. Man, that been uh, oh that been tough. <laughs> beating the hell out of each other, it would have been awesome. Yeah. Oh my god. And yeah. you know what though? He sticks with him long term. <sighs> There is a much greater than zero chance that WCW has an in-ring death on their hands. That's true. That's true but, too. But he, it's, a, it's years later, though. He's probably it's he probably been gone by then. No, it, Chris, it's like a year and a half later. Is it ninety-one or ninety-two? I'm pretty sure it's ninety-two. Larry Cameron, Larry Cameron died December ninety-three. Oh, was that? Wow, okay. was that late? I'll yeah. be damned. It's still like three it. years later. We, we covered him. Coming on the show, yeah, you know he wouldn't have been there, still there. That's the way the, you know WCW cycle for people. <laughs> well, if he signed a contract, though, I mean, well, no. What am I saying? No, he'd probably be let go along with Ranger Ross in the summer. I mean, we have multiple different power regimes. So, I mean, think about it. From December '93, from now, you have uh, you know Dusty and her, and you got Kip Fry, you got Bill Watts, and you got Lee Anderson, and then you have uh, Eric Bischoff. So, <laughs> I mean, all that in that time period. I have a feeling Larry Cameron, we would have saw him a lot more in Philadelphia, New Jersey around then and floating around Georgia and different places, probably oh. around that time. A whole lot of that in and out of WCW. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Honky Talk Man's negotiating to come in. Woof. Well, thank God that didn't happen. <laughs> uh, Although, is, do we think... Was it with his termination notice, or is this when Honky Tonk gets the letter from uh, WWF saying they own the gimmick, do we think? It's because of UWF. That's right, that's right, that's right. Which we'll talk about in just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, one WWF official was overheard saying, quote, we have a lot of spoiled, complacent, and overpaid wrestlers in this company, unquote. <laughs> I'm putting five on Jim Ross. <laughs> it is the torch, so... You know, take that into your thoughts on who might be the one saying that. Well, it's also overheard, um, so uh, I'm guessing that's Cornette overhearing uh, heard. Yes, it was overheard. So, yeah, I can overheard see, I can from heard. I get maybe it's Bobby Eaton telling Cornette. Who knows? With Jim Heard, it's like I don't even know if this is news. Though he would say that all the time about everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These goddamn wrestlers, they think they can run all over me and get uh, try to get all this damn money? These damn wrestlers know about business. Yeah. I, yeah. It also I makes mean, me think of the all-time goddamn. great, the, all, the all-time great Jim Hurd quote, which is, I haven't seen loyalty like this since Korea. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Power Hour starts on February 6th on TSN in Canada every week. One of the biggest mistakes I think WCW made in this era, Mike, is not getting a firm foothold in Canada. Because it seemed like Canada, if done right, would have been a hell of a market for them to run shows. Because the Canadian fans, they're they're very pa- passionate. And you give them something a little bit different than what they're seeing in WF. I think they would have turned out in droves to see a properly promoted WCW in Canada. They hadn't gotten Toronto right since 1982. You know, <laughs> they they handed that's one of those things that doesn't get talked about enough how through 
<laughs> their territory dying and Jim Crockett just being paranoid anyway and Dory Funk's booking and just they just hand they literally handed over Michigan and Ontario to the WWE. Now that was going to happen anyway, probably, but you look at what the WWF was able to do and run their operations out of there and do all of the things that they did and, and how they built everything. And yeah, having the hearts helped having that connection into Montreal helped, but WCW just never, they were just never able to do it or, or even try. And maybe they could have tried to make runs or do things with different people if they could have established something earlier, but you know, it just, they never had a chance and they never, they never had a chance until what, 97, you know, really when the wars were going on and then, you know, Brett coming over and they flub that the same way that they oh. always did. You know, it's such a ripe, wonderful wrestling country and, and great wrestling towns there and loyal wrestling towns. It's just amazing. And not even, not even in Montreal, they couldn't even do it in, you know, you know, in a place polar opposite, they couldn't make a connection anywhere up there to save them, save their lives. Yeah. How, I mean, think about it, Bix, how different is everything? If they firm up their relationship with the Tunnies in 84, treat them right. Uh, start sending the better talent, you know, more often. And because I mean, the WWF switches the all-star wrestling tapings to Canada. So, I mean, one of their syndicated shows is in Canada Direct every week on TV. Well, and that's, then you that's have, to save on production resources so you don't have to make as much effort for CanCon. But again, well, again, though, what if there's not a relationship there between WWF and Toronto? I mean, I guess mm -hmm. well, we we would have got what we had at the beginning where they're taping, you know, in uh, the Montreal area or something. But that's a big difference and not have, have Maple Leaf Gardens where they were drawing big houses at, mm -hmm. you know, that, that, there's so much that would have changed if Crockett would have got his shit right with Tony. Yes. Though in fairness to Crockett, you know, <laughs> Gary Hart's book, so grain of salt, but you know, this wasn't self-serving or anything. The way he explained it, which I think makes sense is that after expenses and well, although I would think a lot of those would have been on the Tunnies. Um, and also considering that he wouldn't have a lot of the top talent back in the main territory and had, they'd have to travel there and back, plus the percentage that Tony would get and everything, it just got to the point where it didn't seem worth it for Crockett. The thing plus, is, the thing plus he is had to deal with George Scott. <laughs> and that was the other part of that, with him having that piece of that, that deal you know, you were always going to be tied at the hip with them, too. And I just I'm sure that added to the <laughs> again, as good as their relationship was, you know, when they were there together, you know, I, I don't who knows where it was actually at in 19, you know, 84. That's right. and obviously, he had some kind of like weird percentage of the partnership, right? It was I think it may have been a third pretty much each because I think he and Crockett went in there. I mean, relatively evenly, obviously, Crockett had more money, but Scott was the connection. So and then, you know, obviously, Frank Tunney dying had you know Huge. played a part into that. That was obvious because, again, it was just another connection to those those old days that was done that Vince could exploit. So and obviously, we see what Jack got out of that deal, both financially and on TV for years and years and years. So. 
it's what was going to happen was going to happen because Vince and the WWF was also so well and so smart and savvy as far as business went and knowing how to manipulate things and understanding Canadian breaks and, and all that sort of stuff with Crockett. Would they have been able to do that? And would they have been able to let somebody up there do that stuff for them and find their was it Basil DeVito? Who was the first person for can I can't I can't remember for WWE. Oh, I, I, um, I don't know if there was an overarching at the beginning, and it was just the separate promoters in the different areas. I mean, but Jack Jack Tunney. I mean, it was eventually the, the, Jack Tunney though. Well, Jack well, that's, Jack, yeah. Jack Tunney uh, in Toronto. I mean, it was just separate now. No, Jack but Jack Tunney's office became the WWF Canada. Or yeah, no, no, but no, no, still, no, 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 you're right. No, WWF Canada was when they got rid of Tunney. But saying Jack Tunney was the, I mean, it was all separated out. I mean, Jack Tunney was the, you know, Toronto guy. Then Montreal was uh, Lord Alfred Hayes and Pat, you know, basically did Montreal at that time. Western Canada would have been Stu uh, at that time. Well, so Stu, it was, Stu, at that and, time it was Stu and Bruce, but yeah. Yeah. So it was all, it was just all separated out at that time. And, you know, once they kept going, you know, more and more than you know it, it changed then but did but lanza yeah. do anything was he still doing stuff winnipeg. for the awa in canada when Win- he winnipeg. Came... him and wally carbo and okay so when he went over the wwf was he still associated doing that at that time Absolutely. yes they brought the winnipeg yeah, deal to the wwf there you yeah. go okay yeah right. i mean that's the thing yeah i mean that was that was the big hook you know it was lanza and carbo yeah, there's an, there's an episode of TSN Wrestling, as far as anyone knows, is the only one that does have an original uh, Winnipeg Arena WWF match of Hard Foundation Killer Bees. I think it's the first episode of WWF TSN Wrestling. Yeah. You know, they right, eventually, but it doesn't last long anyway because they, the TSN Wrestling slot, because that's the name of the show, gets taken over by Stampede about a year later. A End of 87, yeah. All right, uh, house shows. Charlottesville, Virginia, near Mike's neck of the woods on January 19th from the 2,500 fans. We have Tim Horner over Moondog Rex, Brad Armstrong over Wild Bill Irwin, Tom Zink over Bobby Eaton, Michael Wall Street over Terry Taylor, Arn Anderson, Barry Windham over Doom by disqualification, and Flair pinned Sting with his foot on the ropes. Hey, there were a lot more kids down at that campus of UVA than 2,500. They could have went out and saw that show. It's amazing what shows look like. And I got to be honest, even again, at the, the, as a fan at the time, you see some of those shows and you kind of like, you you kind of rolled your eyes, or you shrug your shoulders. If you can't, you're coming out of the, the 85, 86, 87, 88, 89 days, you know, with some of these. But now you look back in hindsight, it's like, you know, I'll make that trip to go see that show now. No problem. I wish I would have been one of those 2,500. Yeah, they got the, the the. I mean, on the cards got some some good talent, but the main that's a good main events. Arn and Bearing against Doom and Flair and Sting, absolutely. Yeah, and the work and the, as you appreciate the work more, you know, up and down the card. You know, I didn't really give a shit about Michael Wall Street and the York Foundation then. They kind of rolled my eyes at him, but like when you look at the, even like you know Bill Irwin, you know Armstrong, Eaton, Horner. It's like you know those are at least you know you're getting your money's worth as far as effort in the ring. Absolutely, yeah. Chicago in front of 1,300 on January 20th. Very bad weather, snow and sleet. Uh, this was been at the USC Pavilion for the Chicago debut of the Dusty Finish in the Flair Sting title match, where Sting, Sting pinned Flair to regain the title 
That second referee, Randy Anderson, counted the pinfall. Only be overruled by original referee, Nick Patrick, who had been bumped, but still saw Sting throw a player over the top rope for the DQ in 24-16. Three and three-quarter star match. Rest of the show saw Horner over Irwin, star and a half. Tom Zink going to a draw with Bobby Eaton, 15-52. One star, no high spots at all. Michael Wall Street over Terry Taylor, two stars. Steiners over Freebirds with Scott used Frankenstein on, on Jimmy Jam Garvin, two and a quarter. Brad Armstrong over uh, Moondog Rex, no stars listed there. Lex Luger over Sid by DQ, by Countout, excuse me, 523, two stars. And Doom over Anderson and Blanchard. It must be Anderson and Wyndham. Dave, uh, going back to two years with this one. When uh, Ron Penn Arn in three, 351, two and a half Ugh. stars. Very good while it lasted. Well, in and, fairness, and to these you, star ratings and the, and then real quick, these star ratings are from Doctor Lucha. So um, I was gonna ask because at least in the Doctor Lucha faxes, there's no show report for this. But well, he he he. I know he gave a review to the Torch. Okay, he was cre- he's credited, so he's there. So I'm pretty sure he sent sent okay. this in to Dave. Um, I was gonna say in fairness though, as far as the Blanchard thing. Wyndham does look different now because Barry Wyndham got a funny haircut. More on that later. Yeah, but Tully, Tully Blanchard had no blonde hair, although that would have been a, a fun angle. Or just <laughs> see him have to, dye his, to see him dye his hair blonde. Had to make him dye his hair blonde. How many Doom Anderson Wyndham matches went under five minutes? Like almost way, almost all of them. Too Star many. It had to what, be... eight minutes or was it less? Ugh. It was short. Just a sin. And look, I, I'm sure you know you get the main event coming up that was on top there. Maybe just everybody wanted to get the hell out of there anyway because of the way the weather was so they could get out and you know go to Atlanta or go wherever they needed to go after this. But it's like, Jesus Christmas, you know, what we were ripped off on, again, is Reed and Simmons fans, you know, against Wyndham and, and Arn. It just sucks. Yeah, exactly. Okay, it was, I was close. It was 7 minutes, 19 seconds. Well, there you go. All right, January twenty first at Center Stage. All right, let's so let's pay attention to this travel schedule here. All right, so we were in Charlottesville, Virginia on the nineteenth, Chicago on the twentieth, and now we're at Center Stage in Atlanta on the twenty first. Saw tapings for February second, February 9th. Masa Saino is there backstage with Hiro Masuda to work out more details on the Starcade in Tokyo. Then we have Jobber David Diamond on the February 2nd show actually gets his face splattered by Terry Taylor's elbow in the nose. Taylor, even though a heel, broke character for a moment because he was so concerned. Another jobber, Ray Hammer, was not cold by Rick Steiner clothesline. It happens. <laughs> uh, my brother, years ago, when he worked at the Pet Boys uh, Distribution Center in lovely McDonough, Georgia... Worked with a guy who had done job work on TBS shows. He kn- I, I don't even remember who what his name was, but anyway, he worked down there. So anyway, he would tell he would you know that talk about wrestling and stuff, and he said that he wrestled against you know all of them, all the, the top talent, and he said and he asked us so who was the one that you'd never wanted to face, and he said people ask me that question and I. Uh, they always think I'm going to say the Road Warriors. The team, the, the guys that nobody wanted to face were the Steiner brothers. He said, damn. said that dudes would walk out. Something would walk out. that I didn't think would. Go ahead. said dudes would walk out of the studio and, and you know, walk out center stage 
sometimes if they saw their names were against the Steiner brothers. I could absolutely believe that. If you were not as confident in your abilities as some others, and you just watched Rick Steiner jump up and give a clothesline, which was actually a full, you know, shoulder shiver right into somebody's chin, knocking them unconscious. You know, you start questioning, is that 60 bucks? Is that really worth it for tonight? (laughs) I got to go to work tomorrow. I got an extra shift to pick up later in the week. Bix, if you had the right year, maybe that would help out. Oh, I thought I typed your Sorry. All right, so uh, also on that show, uh, Arn Anderson and Barry Wyndham went to WDQ with Brad Armstrong and Tim Horner when Doom ran in a very good match. It was a very good match. Arn and Wyndham were having a little run here on TV at this time period. Yeah. They, they had their Rock and Roll Express feud. No, it was them. Yeah, Rock and Roll Express feud. They had the feud with Tommy Rich. They were working Tommy Rich and Ricky Morton, I think. Yeah, Tommy Rich and Ricky Morton, not Rock and Roll Express, because Robert's out. So, yeah, it was Rich and Morton. That was a... A um, NWA Pro feud, I think, a worldwide only feud back in, when they used to do those things in that era. Uh, Rena Simmons argued back and forth during their interview. Taylor Pillman also argued on an interview. Horson did a 4 1 attack on El Gigante. Kevin Nash worked as a single simply called the Master Blaster. Dave wanted to make sure everybody knew he's the one that's six foot eight or six foot ten. And then Wyndham Arn and Sid beat Armstrong Horner and Alan Iron Eagle. <laughs> oh, my. Joe Gomez, <laughs> who I'm sure had plenty of party favors for the boys backstage. <laughs> but, uh, oh, I, yeah, there's Terry Taylor flattening David Diamond's face. Oh, you see the blood immediately coming out of his nose. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, and Ray, Ray Hammer's, Hammer's partner's Paulie. Paulie. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. At this time, you have Ric Flair, who has cut his hair. Ray Landell's still there doing a Nature Boy gimmick. And here's Paul Lee doing his his version. <laughs> Three guys at one time doing the same gimmick. <laughs> and and here, Paul Lee, Paul Lee not only has the robe, but I noticed during the intros that he even has the monogram trunks in the flyer style. What a sin that Scoot Andrews didn't come along yet. You know, <laughs> he was a lot later on. He could have had everybody in there. Which, by oh, the yeah. way... It's not super well known because he didn't do it on like his more profile like Northeast Indie dates and stuff. The Black Nature Boy nickname was a in Florida was a way for Scoot to get heat as a heel. Yeah, well, of course. But I mean, that was the idea black, that it's like yes, exactly. Rick's in with Ray Hammer, whoever the hell he is. Nice rat tail on Ray. I think Rick just beat the shit out of him just because he had that hair. He our referee very is Lee, Our referee is Lee Scott, too, by the way. So. Oh, oh, my God! Oh. He knocked him the fuck out. Oh, my God. Oh, he really. knew it. He knew it. Rick shook his arm. He hurt himself. And oh, he, my and Rick, God. And Rick was so disoriented, he gave an elbow drop to nowhere. Look at oh my! Look at this oh, motherfucker! Oh, this guy's just completely out now. What? <laughs> hey, he lifted him back up. Rick's raising his arm up. Oh my god! Why are right, they airing this? He gave him two hard right hands to begin this thing anyway. So Rick was was having some Gee, gonna have fun with god. this guy, and he brought him in to and just made him tag Paulie, who <laughs> does not seem interested. I just and, want to work, brother. 
Has a guy even got out of the ring yet? He's still Let's on see. his knees in the corner. They're, they're not showing him on camera. No. Oh, oh my oh, God. Scott, oh, Scott <laughs> got the tilt a whirl. Oh, man. This what, he's still moving in the ring. <laughs> oh, no. And this is air on TV, folks. Well, right, here we go. It's time to end this match. Frankensteiner. Paul Lee, by the way, seemed deathly afraid of taking the Frankensteiner and did his best to take it as a regular Hurricane Rana. What a match. Holy shit. Oh, my. Lee Scott, you can tell, is very glad he's not doing TV jobs anymore. <laughs> Lee, Scott, <laughs> Lee Scott's having PTSD. <laughs> Let's see, do we get any replays here? Oh. Dude, Rick was favoring that fun. arm, too. Yeah, there are no replays of Rick killing that dude. It's just a Frankensteiner. Look at Lee. <laughs> His step is aboard. <laughs> yeah, the way he hit the ropes, yeah, he just <laughs> his arm went stretched out of nothing. He just went back for. Oh, oh here we go. go. Oh, oh, oh and the way his head hit the mat too. Oh my! So I don't. It's po- I think it's possible he was not knocked out by the clothesline, and it's just he was so disoriented or just knocked about by the clothesline that he couldn't talk and then got knocked out on the bump. Uh, he could have went out twice. He could... yeah. <laughs> he, 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 Let's see oh, this man. again. Let's see this again. Okay, I'm curious to see if, if he does anything to piss him off. They see, like, for the way they're tagging in and out, though, the Steiners already seem antsy from the beginning, though. Well, well that's the Steiners. Well, <laughs> yeah, and that's what he looked like. It looked like Rick just saw a guy who probably didn't have a lot of experience, gave him a couple shots early, and what happened happened. He was just one of those guys that he would have tortured if he were in the studios. We should also note, by the way, that Paul Lee, when he takes a hip toss from Scott Steiner, oh, <laughs> that may have been a working shot, though. But when he takes a hip toss from him, he tries to take flare bumps. Of course. He's Paul Lee. Oh. <laughs> Steiner leaving no doubt that Lee was going uh, back first down on that canvas. <laughs> Okay, so here comes Mr. Hammer again. I gotta see if there's anything really. So Ray yeah, Hammer. Scott. Yeah, yeah. So ankle pick. Scott just ankle picks him and tags Rick. Yeah, they're having fun with it, and they know it. They're gonna have some fun. It's just I look at Rick. Rick's face. He hit him too hard. <laughs> see right there. Right. See, he's stopping with the punch though. He's working on the punches. Although yeah, the guy, it's no, you know. Okay, it's that the guy. He could tell the guy wasn't trained from how he couldn't feed into him right. Yes, and he, on the side of the head like that, so it's like he knew <laughs> he knew it, and, and then there was this. So in the splits, in like the second or less that he's sending him to the ropes out of the kind of botched transition, he knows he is taking this guy's head off. He makes that decision right then and there. <laughs> okay, so th- here's the thing. Yeah, I think it, yeah, I think he did get knocked out twice because the clothesline did hit him in the face. He did not hit him in the chest. He is, like, he's, he, I wouldn't say he's stiff. He's, so at first he's like, yeah, look at, what is, so is Rick, like, is Rick not wanting to hurt him? Because I feel like him doing that elbow to nothing is him realizing almost in mid-move that he doesn't want to hurt the guy. Because why else does he do that weird elbow? Well, mm-hmm. notice notice he went to the opposite side. He he did it from the. Uh, you notice he switched sides on the elbow. But what he surprises first, me is he doesn't elbow. he doesn't actually pin him here, where it seems like he knows this guy 
maybe I guess he doesn't know he's out, but it's, he picked him up a second time. And it's like this dude is out. <laughs> like he he's you know more out than Chris Champion was when you kicked you know he got revenge <laughs> on him. I'm trying to okay. Let's see this again because I'm trying to figure out the elbow. Okay, boom, Steiner line. A great. Okay, so Rick, Rick, maybe he did really. So he drops an elbow. Then okay, he drops an elbow correctly. Then drops it from the other arm several feet past Hammer's head. Very weird. Then almost tags in Scott, stops before they make contact. Goes Very to correctly weird. drop an elbow to the guy's chest. One, two, pulls him up. I should know, by the way, we're less than a year removed from a squash that ended by DQ because a heel picked up um, one of the job guys three times when trying to pin him. And Steiner, Rick Steiner just did it twice. Yeah. And of course, and the wrestler actually... who did that was his mentor, Buzz Sawyer. <laughs> <laughs> we're at the point, too, here. I mean, Tommy Young is already retired, and he's retired because they decided to air on TV that Mike Rotundo, who was a Tommy Rich match, where <laughs> well, the paralysis, and it's was, like... He alleged Tommy was intoxicated, and it contributed. And then the lights, you know, the, even down to the lights being dimmed twice and everything, it's like you had nothing else to fill this with <laughs> Kevin Sullivan and Lance or whoever it was doing their best to try to get through it. Look at, look at Dust Dumps Lee. Like, <laughs> you're going I think, down I now. Think he, I think it's that Lee went in the wrong direction to do the Tilt-A-Whirl, right? He's scared to death. He's scared That's, to yeah, death. He is. He's scared shitless. How long has he been wrestling at this point, too? Oh, Lee? Probably a good three years. He started in the late '80s. Oh no, it's not. I mean, that. He, he jumped early. That's what it was. He did. He did, he was doing TV jobs on TBS in '89. Absolutely. So I know he started before then. He was like '88. I'm also kind of curious. Okay, you know what? And then we'll move on. Paul Lee with black hair in that era too. I know it's obviously the show is not a read, but I want to hear the. Com I want to hear how the, at least this is handled on commentary, real quick. Speculate no. as to which of the eight would do that. Or they, none of them have ever done it in their career. And you don't think any of them ever ever would either, Jim. And fans, remember, in order to get that, WrestleWar 91 on the 24th, live, 7 p.m., exclusively on pay-per-view, you have to order from your cable company. So do it right away. Did you hear Rick say move? <laughs> I didn't hear it. He said something to him. Rick Steiner. Stands oh, my God, it to the bone. Rick and Scott, 524 pounds of TNT in the ring. Rick Steiner, very unorthodox. Well, he had two out of three elbows there. And he <laughs> picks up Ray Hammer. Is he out? Hammer is, uh, he's out of it. Well, you, you normally don't see Rick Steiner lift one up off of the mat like that, Jim. Oh, Hammer is out. It's Hammer time, all right. I mean, he's well, <laughs> he took him to the corner for a tag. He said, give me a fresh body. Well, I think oh, he, he saw some very good sportsmanship here, Bob. He knew that Ray Hammer was in a submission or surrender mode right there. And he took him over and let the guy at least make the tag. Ray Hammer may never be the same as he tags in his partner. Paul Lee. The Steiners didn't want it to end. They wanted more of a workout than that, that's for sure. Side slam, that's just pure raw muscle. That is power. And Scotty Steiner has signaled for the Frankensteiner, one of the most scintillating moves in the sport. And he takes him over. 
All right. I love Caudle's just like, is he out? Hammer time! <laughs> you know, and you, there is some, some, you could tell there was some sympathy there because I have, you know, we've all seen Rick slap the shit out of somebody in the way after, you know, he's trying to pull him up at two there, you know, the slap to the face. Ronnie Garvin, another one that was great for that. And he, he didn't do that. He just no. he tried to move his dead carcass into the corner to make the tag yeah. for Lee, who came in looking like a zombie. <laughs> Yes. And for what it's worth, yes. the earliest Paul Lee result on cage match is him and David Isley doing a, stu a TBS studio job to the Garvins on the uh, February 24th, 88 episode of World Championship Wrestling. There you go, 88. I knew it was 88. So about three years. Wow. Ago. All right. Uh, Beth, so, all right, so we went from Charlottesville, Virginia, to Chicago, to Atlanta. Let's go to Los Angeles. All the consecutive days. They drew $42,000 for this show in Los Angeles. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, as I look, make sure, yes, it was held at the Great Western Forum in Inglewood, California, home of the Los Angeles Lakers at that time. As we had Johnny Sawyer over Bill Monroe in a dud. I guess no bluegrass after that match. Mike Huff over Earthquake Ferris in a dud. Buzz Sawyer. Over Paul Brown, one star. If you notice here, this is all Buzz Sawyer and friends in these opening matches. Then we had the Steiners over the Freebirds, star and a half. Luger over Sid by count out, one star. Doom over Wyndham and Anderson in the street by two stars. Flair over Sting, two and a half stars. Can you just then imagine then the conversation uh, that uh, old Robbie Rex Steiner and Buzz Sawyer had about uh, Mr. <laughs> Hammer from the night before? <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then the civic auditorium in san francisco the next night from 2200 on the 23rd advertised matches that did not take place tom zing against bobby eaton terry taylor versus michael wall street brad armstrong against window rex and tim horner against wombo Irwin, which led to all those buzz sawyer and friends matches from la rerun back again here in san francisco Steiners over Freebirds, Luger over Sibicana, Flair over Sting at 2236 with both feet on the roads for leverage. After knocking the challenger down, sliding into the ring, and then Wyndham and Anderson over Butchery and Ron Simmons in a non-title street fighting. Yes, you guessed it. Four minutes and 43 seconds. The match had been advertised as a World Tag Team title match. Yeah. Um, uh, I gotta say, because we didn't dwell on it too much, Dusty doing the Dusty finish on his first week in on a major market house show. And then also <laughs> redoing the finish from the world title change that everyone has seen on TV already. Not a good start. That's all right, kid. They'll forget about it. <laughs> it's been a while, baby. It's been a while. <laughs> it's fresh again. But, yeah, the... Uh, the reason why Buzz Sawyer and friends are here is because I think there were like some maybe some travel issues with some of these guys getting in, but which is interesting because all the other guys got in. So I, it's, yeah, maybe they pulled an audible and just said, "Okay, like Armstrong, all you guys, why are we doing this? Do we know anybody out there? <laughs> you know?" And <laughs> and they obviously did, and they decided to go in that direction with Buzz Sawyer and his school because his school yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, his school was going on at that time, so yeah, we'll just use them. Um, so just 
Interesting. Interesting seeing these these names on there. Yeah. Buzz Sawyer, Johnny So So they're, they're doing a worked Sawyer family member as well. Yeah. Interesting. Also, if you look at the footage of him training guys, it's on YouTube. Like, he actually seems like he was a really good teacher. Well, god damn, he was a hell of a damn wrestler. Yeah. He just was a complete psychopath. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. All right. Uh, a guy named C.M. Christ, or Christ, is helping uh, promote TV days by spending. Christ. Christ would be C R I S T. Sometimes it could be. Sp- some, I've heard of guys. There's a C H R Y S T, Paul Christ, who's a uh, football coach in yes, Wisconsin. They, that can be Chris, too. So, yeah. yeah. All right, so CM Chris Christ spends a week in, ahead of time in the towns, all the old style promoters, and the full houses and improved enthusiasm at tapings the past few weeks has shown. Who the hell is this guy? Yeah, really. He works as a local <laughs> I've never promoter for them him. for a few years. I've never year. heard of him. Gary Juster, you know, Pete Apostolou, you know, all these names in the, 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 the history, you know, Fred Ward, CM Christ. <laughs> No, complete. Does it stand for which, 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 <laughs> what newsletter did this one come out of? Uh, this was the observer. This is Dave. Hmm. All right. Let yeah, me see, I've uh, never, never heard. I can find. Um. See Christ. Let me see. Okay. Um. I did a search because they have amusement business archives. I should probably look on uh, what call it on the uh, archive.org too, but. There are a few hits for CM Christ on uh, on one file in amusement business. There's a story from later in the year in September that's talking about who's this they're profiling here? Uh, Ward Hall, fifty years in the circus and carnival business. That's Ward- a dude that was on American Pickers. They picked him and and, and and the other guy that lived with him in, in the circuit in the old circus town in Florida. Yeah, I remember that guy. Oh, that like episode from the first couple seasons, that one? Yeah, the guy with the guy with the glasses that was the yeah. They they live in they live with the, in the little circus town. Yeah, it was like the early early seasons, yes. In Florida. Yes. Anyway, um so this is a profile of him in the September twenty third, ninety one episode of Amusement Business. And uh it says this. So uh, Hall continued to expand, and by 1958, he was traveling with Rod Link's World of Pleasure shows. But back then, I had a grind show, a sideshow, and two girl shows, Hall said. In 1966, Hall entered into a partnership with C.M. Christ. He had a great business acumen and was a great builder, Hall said. Milt Kaufman of Gooding's Million Dollar Midways made me an interest-free loan so I could get the equipment I needed. At that time, his route was probably the most powerful in the country. Uh, they traveled with Goodings for many years and prospered. By 1976, they had nine grind shows, an illusion show, four circus sideshows, a musical review in Mexico, an attended vaudeville show in Canada. I've done a lot of different things, but sideshows have always been my bread and butter, Hall said. And is that the, yeah, that's the last reference to uh, C.M. Christ in that article. Uh, and then by 94... Um, talking more about Hall and Christ or Christ or whatever. Um, and then a Cauliflower Alley Club article written by Dan Denton in the November 7th, 94 amusement business, which says, um, the, 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 oh, talking about how live attendance is down because of TV. 
someone talking about, and then it says the statement, this statement is amplified by CM Christ. Christ worked with WCW from 1990 until August, so August 94. He was involved with producing the series of shows known as quote unquote clashes. He said that with so many more options available to the consumer today, both boxing and wrestling have had to change with the times to survive. Promoters have found that they can't promote matches today and depend on hardcore fans to support it, said Christ. It has to be something special today. I don't think it's worse today, just different. Like a lot of other things, it's evolved. Luthez chimes in. Um, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I want you to read that one more time. The quote? Yes, I want you to read his quote one more time. Promoters have found that they can't promote matches today and depend on hardcore fans to support it. It has to be something special today. I don't think it's worse today, <laughs> Wait a minute. just different. Like a lot of other things, right, so it's, evolved. Is, it's evolved. What time period? What's the year of this? This is November-ish, 94, at the Cauliflower Alley Club Banquet. Boy, that sure sounds like 2022, doesn't it? <laughs> that's, where we're at in, that's where we're at in wrestling. It's all the hardcore fans. And and that's where that's where we're at. It takes it takes the special something special, you know, something out of the ordinary to get more people involved. We're we're at that point in wrestling. Now, like they were in nineteen ninety four. Until the next thing comes along. It took a couple of years then. Until the next thing comes along to hook all these casuals or, you know, whatever to hook them in to grow wrestling into a wider audience. That's but that's where we're at. That's why it's worrisome where we're at right now in a lot of ways, because when you look at the average audience of like WWE and their biggest audience, they lived through all of the height periods. You know, they lived through the attitude era and they lived through the eighties and Hulkamania and they li- and those are the most loyal people. You know, how are you building 18 to 34? You know, how are you building you know, because once you hit 34, you know, if you're a fan by that point, you're going to remain a fan forever. But like, you know, a lot of things change after high school. A lot of things change after college. Something you may like may not be as important when you meet your wife and your family and all that stuff. Unless your kid happens to be a fan or you're turning on those people. It'd be interesting to see where fans come from. AEW does a lot better job, you know, you know, obviously, you know, firing up their fan base, you know, but oh. they're going to have... They're going to have ebbs and flows as well, too. And are you going to continue to be able to grow your business where, again, these 18 to 34-year-olds, as much as we make fun of the the NXT audience falling asleep in their, their Metamucil and their oatmeal because the average age is damn near 70 years old, you know, again, at least they're loyal. <laughs> at least they're still there and they're bankable for right now. You know, where are the new people coming from? Uh, I'm seeing that, you know, I work in a – I work with a lot of – Guys that are in the 18 to 25 age range. And the new thing now for them is John Cena as Peacemaker, the Peacemaker. And they're like, ask me, I know you watch wrestling. I didn't know. I, I didn't know John Cena was that good of an actor. You know, I didn't, I, I didn't know he was like that. You know, I didn't know he was that entertaining. I said, well, I mean, he's shown that in wrestling over the years and stuff like that. I said, well, you know, all all we really know of John Cena is what we've seen of him in movies. You know, they don't watch wrestling, but they see it. Same thing with Batista and The Rock. They know of them yeah. from, more from their movies. 
then they, they because they don't watch wrestling. They young young guys, at least I, the ones I hang around with and know and work with and know, they don't watch wrestling no more. They're, they're all about watching superhero movies and yeah. all these type of that's that's the new wrestling, you know. Wrestling used to be about the superheroes. That's what wrestling was. It was about the heroes and villains. Now we actually have heroes and villains in movies, and that's the big money. I mean, that is it. That's what they're into, is that. Not into, you know, what wrestling puts out there. Because wrestling, hey, wrestling don't put out that anymore. It's all gray area these days. You know, hey, you know you who's, base, who's base face, who's heels? There is none. Yeah. They're all equal, basically. You saw all that. I mean, again, this is, you know, a moment in time. But on the Monday Night Raw that, you know, that precedes us recording this show, it was all of those failures on example for a company that always you know prides itself on wanting to make movies and you look at the dialogue you look at characters that are completely unrelatable there's there's no basis the stuff that is you know supposed to be way over the top isn't over the top enough to take you over there with it to to make it as entertaining as it really should be you know, it's just it's very fr- dialogue, the dialogue that is given to people that obviously can't carry it. And you're just damaging them more and more with how much with the more and more that you write for them. And it comes across terribly. It's you know, it's just a it's a frustrating thing, because how do you build anything like that? You got a three hour TV show that's not worth seeing. And you got a two hour TV show on Friday that you can see 10 minutes of if that with all of the you know highlights you put out there and be completely fulfilled on what Brock and, and Roman and Paul Heyman are doing because it's the only good thing they really got. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And real quick, a couple other notes on uh, CM Christ, I believe also known as Chris Christ. Uh, 1978, Amusement Business has a story about Ian Ward Hall uh, setting up a 70-figure wax museum at the Casino Pier in Seaside Heights, New Jersey. And I just have to read this quote as I scroll back down. Uh, so it talks about how, you know, people have been working on the costumes for them, including Laurel and Hardy, Charlie Chaplin, and Kiss. Uh, Christ noted that Alvarez of California pr- produced six new figures, including Jimmy Carter. He did the heads for Kiss, Henry Winkler, Fonzie, spelled with a Y, Farrah Fawcett, Majors, and Elvis Presley. And they're buying theme park type uniform, blah, blah, blah. So they, they they were involved in all sorts of stuff like this, it looks like. Just a promoter. Yeah. Always hustling. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, Dave wants everybody to know, for those noticing Missy Hyatt's form, her weightlifting form, in the video that they've been showing on TV, it's because Missy now works out religiously on a bodybuilding program. Okay. She definitely, she de- well, she definitely had changed her look in a way at this time period where you could, she was wearing clothing that sort of accentuated her arms. So you could see that she was doing some lifting. Well, she had the done wrestling thing. Check. And yeah. Well, that's why. Yeah. Cause they're doing that. And speaking of Paul Lee had his workout video on <laughs> world championship wrestling. So let's watch Paul Lee dangerously. And his workout technique, shall we? Paul E's workout video, but before we do, let's see how Paul E gained a measure of revenge last week against Missy Hyatt. We'll have this thousands upon thousands of letters of hell. A college dropout from Florida State can be a broadcaster. On hell, the head of the cheerleading squad can be on national TV. You don't back out of the classes. 
Well, I guess we know Paul E. had that nickname in mind for years. <laughs> oh, well, Paul E.'s got all the dirt on Missy, so... Champion, I might just come out here on national TV, Missy, and I'll tell everybody not only how you got your job, but how you're keeping it. I thought this was business. I didn't think you were going to get personal. You were my feelings. Why is Miss Alexandria? Let's face it, guys. We're not free anymore. I mean, it used to be a woman would ruin our life by just letting us wine them and dine them and taking our expensive gifts and then going home with our best friend. But now women have found a new way to ruin our lives. They've invaded the last great male domain, the workplace. Come on. But you see, now women want to be treated as equals. As doctors and lawyers and teachers and stockbrokers and even as wrestling announcers. But you see, on the 30th of this month, Missy Hyatt, when I put your arm down at the Clash of the Champions, I'm going to set the American male free. Free from that ball and chain that he has to carry around at the workplace. Free from the vicious vixen that wears a tight blouse and takes the promotion that the man so rightfully deserves. I'm gonna set the American man free to send the woman back where she belongs. It certainly doesn't seem that Paul Lee's taking this very seriously. About the only thing I could see he was exercising was his mouth. Now, tonight, uh, Missy Hyatt will show us her workout video on the main event, and we'll be back with Terry Taylor right after this. Yeah, what a workout video. Yeah, they don't show him working out. He's just talking in a gym. That's his workout. <laughs> That's what he does. Yes, he's it's he's exercising his mouth. You know, like the trading card says, Paulie with mouth open. <laughs> um, oh man, could you imagine him doing that gimmick today? Oh my god, the heat, the heat he would be getting today. So back then, there probably a lot of guys are like, yeah, he's telling the truth. <laughs> well, so if he thinks that Missy Hyatt is a Stacy, does that make Jason Hervey a Chad? <laughs> uh, Jason Missy was Chad Thundercock Hervey. Missy was interviewing Alexandra Yorpix. That's why. Oh, that he, was going he was interrupting. On. Okay. okay. He was interrupting, yes. Her, her right. feelings. Her, her feelings, because she was uh, screwing around with some of the top players at WCW by his insinuation. Which is funny because it was just a, a year earlier that Missy was on main event openly talking about her relationship with Ted. <laughs> that she was trying to break up Ted and Jane. But she's bait face now, so... You know, I, I still every once in a while, even though it's got nothing to do with this, go back and watch that deal with uh, John Tatum and Eddie Gilbert in the limo and all the stuff, the, the Mid-South build. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, just classic. When they're both trying to get in the limo at the same time. It's just it's it's so ridiculous. It's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Especially considering all the real life stuff that was going on. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's go to Worldwide. January 19th episode of Worldwide, and we get a rare, rare uh, Sullivan Saloon, which is a segment that aired on Worldwide for a very short time in this era. So let's go to Kevin Sullivan uh, tending some bar with some special guests. 
until by the way until i was looking at the notes for this i hadn't remembered that this is when sullivan saloon was from i thought it was like a funk's grill replacement or something yeah it was 91 here short time come on in we're open for business another installment of sullivan saloon and last week i had the greatest actually wait a second how would i be seeing it on worldwide when i didn't get worldwide at the time oh uh, there you go but i did I see you it, I, so that, and, and i did too and i don't something. i never that's the thing. I never remember it being worldwide specific. Like, was it? I'm sure it was on main event or Power Hour or some other things too. Because I'm, I'm, I'm almost positive it was. Okay. It's a bit on pro. He's dressed amazingly here. He is wearing a Bruins jersey and white suspenders. That is a sweater, Bix. Not yeah. a jersey. Is it a sweater. sweater? Yeah, I guess it is. They call them. Sweaters. No, they no. They call them sweaters. Well, actually, they don't short call them sleeve. Well, this is a short sleeve one anyway, so it's. Yeah, but they call them sweaters. The, so hockey, hockey people will get offended about that. The Freebirds is to show that there's not a prejudiced bone in my body. I'm going to welcome the U.S. Tag Team Champions, the Steiner Brothers. And without further ado, the number one Steiner Brother, the oldest Steiner Brother, Rick Steiner. Rick, come on in here. Hey. Oh, Rick. Well, I know. Rick, I want to ask you something. There's a lot of controversy that people don't know that you don't know one from two. But I don't... Okay, it's very obvious, by the way, that they're shooting this in a real bar and Kevin has been testing out the inventory. <laughs> I love this. I think the last time I was on, I think we actually had a Sullivan Saloon, too. This is just so ridiculous. It's great. Yes. Oh, you do. I know how smart you guys are. One and two. Because you graduated from Michigan four years. Obviously... What's this? One. What's this? Two. So you guys know the difference between one and two. And let me tell you this, Rick. You know, last week, the Freebirds had a laugh on you. Because remember when they throw you the board and you caught the board and you were disqualified? I didn't, uh, it, I didn't see it, but it sure sounds like Kevin's lavalier has fallen off of his shirt. <laughs> He's just going to keep going. He's a professional. WCW, everybody. Actually, I think it's just whoever's operating a boom, because now Rick's quieter all of a sudden, too. Well, this WCW production. What do you expect? Yeah. You and your brother. It's almost like the difference between one and two. If you can't figure that out, Ricky, well, I know you can but, Rick, I don't want to make you laugh, and I don't want to make the people laugh. You know what I'm saying? Okay, can we watch that tape? You know, without us laughing, without us laughing, without you laughing, and without you getting upset at me, can we watch that tape? One more time. Whoever directs this, whoever produces this, and maybe Steven Spielberg, can we watch this one more time? Rick Steiner now becoming very dominant in this contest. He's setting Hayes up for the coup de grace. By the way, why did JR love saying coup de grace so much in this era? <laughs> it's Mr. like wrestling too. It was drilled into his brain. Mr. Wrestling too. But he mainly says it in like 1991. Well, he said a lot in Mid-South, so, mm. you know. He's got the referee in. He just tossed, he just, Jimmy Garver just tossed, doing? he just tossed a board, a two by four, to Michael, to uh, Rick Steiner. Hayes oh, wait a up. minute. The referee has Oh, my to... God, he's going to get an Academy Award for this. The referee's going to just... Oh, oh. Rick Steiner. 
Carmen through the board the in. The winner of the match, Michael P.S. Hayes. <laughs> hey, I'm sorry. What's so funny? I don't want you or the fabulous Freebirds taking advantage of my brother. Let me tell you something, Freebirds. When me and my brother grown up, beating each other up, we never dreamed in a million years somebody would be paying us to beat somebody else up. Could it be anything less than that fiction that we like to beat people up? Freebirds, that's bad news for you guys. This bar's closed. We're out of here. Let me tell you something. If that's a close with that pink shirt, I think you can close any time. And let me tell you people, it's closing time at Sullivan Saloon. Tora, Ladies and gentlemen, introducing I'm serious. You watched. Go ahead. Go Oh, no, you go okay. ahead. And like I've talked to Kevin Sullivan on the phone while he was drunk before. Like he is clearly drunk here. This is shit like this. That's you know, it's the reason why WCW was always seen behind WWF. You think WWF would have put some like that on television no. in that era? Hell no. No, if it was going to be campy, it was going to be the best campy that you could get, and there wouldn't have been all those little. You know, again, Kevin Sullivan wouldn't have been so shit hammered and, and basically just trying to make Rick laugh the entire time at the beginning of the thing and just the whole way it went down. No, I mean, that's again, the difference between the two, you know, and, and the perspective that WWF was able to give people through their production. I mean, it, they, they weren't even play. It was checkers and chess, you know, at that time. And again, it did took a long time for WCW to even try to get into the realm of what WWF was doing. Well, let's give WCW some credit, though. We're, we're going from that to this. This was excellent WCW uh, production here. As the four horsemen have a new attitude, and Arn Anderson and Barry Windham are here to tell you about it in their noir setting. Let's go to the clip. EW, will you look at this dump? <laughs> Say to him's a palace, pal. You can better bet that. <laughs> It's a lot cheaper. You gotta be asking yourself, how do we walk around in slum tenements? No fear of gangs. You guys scared to walk around this area? <laughs> and that's certainly ain't Dom Perry on, pal. Let me tell you something, we're the horsemen. We come and go as we please. Yeah, America's greatest fear is gang violence. Well, there was a bunch of punks with scarfs on their head back here. They all piled in a van and hit the bricks. <laughs> the American World Championship Wrestling in particular finally getting the idea. Going to be any drive-by shootings. Nothing illegal. Going to be some immoral things going on, though. You see, we're going to take it as far as the law allows. Tell them, B.W. You know, about five minutes ago, this place was packed with thugs. <laughs> and every door is bolted. Still clipping the padlocks on the doors. This one right here is afraid to come out, afraid to even look out the window. But I'll tell you what, it's this way in every town we go. Every street we walk, every bar, pub, or club we walk in, everybody seems to disappear. And it's happening that way in World Championship Wrestling. Sting, Luger, the Steiners, doom in their own element are nowhere to be found. We came down here looking for Teddy Long. I think he owns this joint, but it got us nowhere. 
me tell you something. Barry Wyndham got a funny new haircut, a lot of them say it. <laughs> Ric Flair got a funny haircut. Ric Flair don't wear three-piece suits anymore. What's the matter with you guys? Well, there ain't nothing the matter with us. What's going to be the matter is with each and every day that passes, casualties begin to pile up. You take this violent city, you look at these people in the window, scared to death to come outside. That's the way it's always been. That's the way it always will be. The strong survive. And there's strength in numbers. When we're talking about numbers. We're talking about four. The four of what? So fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. So fucking awesome. Oh. And, and the way that, I mean, the, it's all in black and white. Is that that noir setting going on? Uh, the, from we go from Sullivan's Saloon to that. You know, all on the same TV show. Yeah. Just, man. Get in touch with your emotions. You know, those promos are more famous and they, you know, in a way it's a blessing and a curse because it shines, you know, light on that doom Barry Windham and, and the Horsemen and uh, the Horsemen in general with Ric Flair in there and, and the battles against Doom. The drawback is when you go back and look at that, there's not enough of it. And so much of it, like Chris going through the results, you know, bullshit, short, quick endings that may be out of control. They may have left people, you know, popped, but it didn't satisfy them. Certainly didn't satisfy me, you know, as a fan of everybody that was in those things. But you know, it was a nice take on reinventing the horseman. It was the first time it had really been reinvented other than having a different cast of characters in there, you know, to actually have them be that way. Whereas just a couple, you know, weeks earlier, Ric Flair and Arn Anderson were still talking about, you know, that's why your mama wears Louis Vuitton, you know, and these guys are trying to take that away from you. And then, you know, turning it around where, no, we're going to be down in the grind with you and we're going to use every stereotype we got of you guys in this, you know, in this slum. But, you know, at least the effort was made and how it was filmed and all that. It was it was cool. Still cool today. And Arn's the master at this type of promo. Yeah, absolutely. Intensity, believability, dig, I mean, clarity, everything about Arn Anderson in these, you know, crisp and clear. You know, Barry Windham is good, you know, probably is as good and as serious as his promos ever were, but Arn is just takes it to a different level. Yeah. Vix? Barry Windham got a funny haircut. <laughs> Rick Flair got a funny haircut. Ric Flair doesn't wear three-piece suits no more. Just fantastic. You know he's on, even though he's on TV in a three-piece suit the next night. Well, well so yeah. but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and here's it too, by the way, just Sullivan Saloon too. Kevin Sullivan was good doing anything. I was entertained by him doing anything, which was amazing considering the incarnations that throughout my fandom that he had taken, you know, first seeing him in the magazines as this psychopath in Florida and then seeing him up with the varsity club as the taskmaster and all these different weird incarnations that he had. It was just, it was amazing. And again, you imagine that with some seriousness, with some, you know, some production and some value and some thought behind it, what that thing actually maybe could have been with him with an interview segment. Wouldn't have been Piper, but it would have been probably pretty damn good. Yeah, he could have carried it. All right, TV ratings. So Power Hour on the 19th to 1.4, 3.9 shares, 784,000 homes. 
And the Sunday WCW, yeah, Sunday night WCW in January 20th, did a 2.2, 3.3 share, 1.23 million homes. Yes. Now, and we're about, well, to, yeah, we're about to talk more about that WCW. But the yeah. reason I bring it up, and we'll get to that a bit more on in a second, though, is for those of you wondering why JR said that there was going to be, you know, main event was going to be on next, that was the idea. Uh, but as you note from the ratings here, and we'll kind of t- allude to that more in a minute, there's, there was no episode of main event because it got moved into main event's time slot. But more on that in a minute. Uh, what, I, what, what I'll do is I'll go ahead, I'll go ahead and, and pop that now. Yeah, because um, it is more directly related. All right, I'll move. Okay, so Matt Watch, of course, has all the lowdown on this. The dreaded glitch award of the week goes to TBS for their programming decision-making of changing the time of the special World Championship Wrestling on Sunday. They promote the show was going to air at 4.35. Jim Ross on the Power Hour plugged it to air at 6.05. Then cut to a lead-in discussing 4.35, which was scuttled. Then Ross was forced to say, check your local listings, which would not have the right time. If you didn't watch Power Hour, you wouldn't have known of a change. It still may be confused if you did. TBS did this one, not the announcers. And if you wonder why decisions made the switch start time of the special WCW to 605 Sunday, so were WCW folks. So were WCW folks. Steve Beverly was assured it was a TBS programming snafu, not the promotion's fault. A late decision was made to block the shows together as a lead into the Hawaiian Open Golf Tournament rather than go to Captain Planet in between. WCW had to do some fast re-editing, and Jim Ross had to revoice the special WCW a third time because it was reduced from a one-hour, 55-minute show to one hour. TBS, everybody. Wait a second, though. <laughs> We're missing something. A decision was made to put the two Sunday shows together, so why was there no episode of Main Event? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Maybe they went with Captain Planet. I don't know. Uh, I'm kind of curious <laughs> what the TV listings. <laughs> okay, so this would well, be the TV, what, well, but again, see, see what Steve said. Uh, no, what the listings originally said. I mean, uh, shit. Okay, I have to look it up. So it's January twentieth, right? Jan twenty anyone. Like how they had to decide between, you know, WCW and Captain Planet as, you know, the one to juggle going into the Hawaiian Open. Slightly different demographic and advertising uh, that you're aiming for there. Main event aired at 4 a.m. Oh, my God. Well, no, no, no. Okay, you know what, though? Wasn't main event and sometimes the syndicated version of main event airing in overnights on TBS? That might not be specific to that day. Yeah, but they, they would they right, would here, here, here. replay them. But like usually at the latest, I always thought like was it one or was it two for Power Hour? The latest it would be a new episode. I never remember having a, a new episode here's, before. Here's the listing. All right, TBS. Your afternoon listings are Your Cheating Heart, the color version for 1964 movie aired. Then you have Living Proof, the Hank Williams Jr. story. After that. Then you have World Championship Wrestling from 4.35 to 5.35. Captain Planet. 
And then the Hawaiian Open. Hmm. So was Captain Planet 535, 605, Hawaiian Open 605 to whenever. So main event and presumably the new main event for that week was never actually in the listings. At some point, apparently, according to what they're telling Steve, it was planned that they would have a cut down one hour world championship wrestling <sighs> followed by main <laughs> event. And the main event still didn't air. <sighs> <laughs> You know, in times like this, do you remember that, uh, oh, God, what was the one theme in, like, 85? They used his bumper music. The dan, dan, dan. They, that should play. You should have a drop of that anytime something like this happens. One of those TBS musical bumpers, like, celebrate, celebrate, Superstation TBS. <laughs> one of those should play every time this happens. <laughs> I mean, folks, the, the people, you get the people to understand how, TV, how WCW could have failed as a television product when they're owned by a television company. Here's why. Exactly. The company is a fucking failure is itself. Okay. I found something else. <laughs> they don't else. give a fuck about you. <laughs> okay, Chris. And some, yeah, I found something else. Yes. Okay. So great falls tribune. So I have to add two hours onto each of these cause it's mountain time and there's only one feed. They have four thirty five world championship wrestling and this is the sports TV listing, so this is not everything that would be airing on TBS. There might be something in the middle here. They have 435 WCW, um, 605 main event. But it's different than the newspaper I just looked at. Which newspaper? This was the first result I got for World Championship Wrestling, at least. I looked at Raleigh. And then it has... It says 8 p.m. on the dot for the Hawaiian... Yeah, 8 p.m. on the dot for Hawaiian Open. Yeah, the Raleigh newspaper had completely different. Yeah, let me see. Do I have anything with a grid here or anything? Or... I'm looking for, I'm looking for uh, Atlanta proper. I did look at it. So uh, don't search on the 20th, though, because there doesn't appear to be any. Search for a little longer because there doesn't appear to be any actual Sunday listings in the Sunday paper. I only saw anything overnight Saturday. All right, let's see. Cincinnati right, uh, Inquirer has the same slots I just read. I'm looking now. Okay, here we go. All right, the AJC. When in doubt, go to the Atlanta Urinal and Constipation. All right, so we got uh, Living Proof. Okay, Living Proof aired at 2.30. Then we had this extravaganza. Happy Days at 4.30. Tom and Jerry's Funhouse at 5. Captain Planet at 5.30. NWA Main Event at 6, from 6 to 8. That's what the AJC had. Two-hour main event. And then, and then uh, the Hawaiian Open. So these newspapers all have different TV listings. <laughs> and anything moved overnight? Any programming at two or three? You know, a random time in the morning. Uh, let me go. Let me advance to that. Uh, Sunday prime time. Uh, that's the Hawaiian Open, National Graphic Explorer, Networker. Right. Overnights. Uh, okay, where's overnights at? Okay. Uh, I'm working my way there. All right, there's Sunday night. All right. Uh, okay, TBS. Um, Christian Children's Fund at 2.30 in the morning on TBS. It's a paid programming. 
NWA main event, four o'clock in the morning. Ah, okay. But that so that was that stayed the same. <laughs> and does that have a hmm. show description? No, it just says NWA main event. Yeah. Okay, so wait, I'm looking at. The, okay, now I found a grid that says Sunday afternoon in the twentieth AJC, which which I just looked at. Oh, that is, okay, that there. is what you just looked at. Okay, I wasn't sure if it was the same issue or not. This is really weird. And okay, so also the AJC. What does it? Why? Okay, it says NW main event. Jim Ross and Missy Hyatt present recent WCW bouts. And then it says eight colon zero zero, like that's a length or a time or something. No, that's when it ends, eight o'clock. Oh, okay, because the grid cuts off before eight. I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I have for two hours. Okay. <laughs> Who knows? We can't. You understand it. what TBS. I'm saying about the overnight main event, though, right? It's TBS. Who knows? All right. Uh, speaking of, Matt Watch had this to close up the section. Rumors were running wild at Nappy. That Joe Weeder was negotiating to buy WCW from TBS, which is absolutely not true. Instead, word has it that Weeder is discussing a bodybuilding show for TBS. Now, the Weeder talks is reportedly to get WCW more exposure in the European market, as well as getting the wrestling wrap up on more newsstands. Well, of course, Joe Weeder may be talking to WCW about getting on uh, TBS because Vince is uh, coming at him, that WBF. Got to try to secure your position. Yeah, exactly. So. Let's go to the rival. And then uh, they end up, you know, it's technically the continuation of Wrestling Rap, but they launched WCW Magazine in the summer with the folks at uh, London Publishing. Yeah. But... It, it, I always thought it looked super weird that you had the PWI staff running for running WCW Magazine, though. Yeah, but it's just a thing about Nappy. Shit gets started there and snowballs from there and all kind of rumors <laughs> and stuff. Well, we'll have more of that coming. Oh, I'm so, sure. Uh, did did WWF have their ring at Nappy this year? Uh, matches? It never said there was any matches at Nappy, no. Okay. Which, but, you, uh, oh, man. What a WCW everybody segment this turned out to be. Yeah, it took us a few hours <laughs> to get through four pages. TBS to amazing. Yeah. I'm pulling the blame on TBS for a lot of this. I put the blame on TBS for a lot of the problems over the years. <laughs> yeah. It's WCW gets blamed for it, but TBS is the reason why a lot of shit happens. So there you go. Well, it goes hand in hand. Do you know what it I mean? Does. They own them. <laughs> yeah, well, they own them. Uh, <laughs> all right. This is going to be a first on Between the Sheets, as this is one of those rare weeks where there's not a lot going on anywhere else other than WCW and WF. So we're going to smash all of those sections into one. So this is the all-encompassing everything else um, section. Actually, wait a second. I realized I said everything else before we started recording. Shouldn't we call it here and there, maybe? Potpourri. (laughs) Let's prove out the old potpourri section Yeah, we did retire that a while back using the title. Yeah. So now we have the full potpourri here as we go first to the land of the rising sun. And we start with all Japan pro wrestling, who's the only wrestling in Japan going at this point in time. New Japan's off. They had a TV taping at Matsumoto City Gym on January 19th and a pretty big happening there. Let's go to the results. Matoshi Akuma over Yoshinara Gawa in your opening match. Haruka Egan over Mitsuo Omoda. Masafuchi and Nisama Tiranishi over the favorites. Johnny and Frankie favorite as heard on Between the Sheets last month. So here they are, Bix. 
yes. on their tour here. Glenn Ruth and who was the other one? I forget the other guy. Okay. But yeah, Glenn Ruth's one of my favorites, yes. The Fantastics, we're in Japan, so it is Tommy Rogers and Bobby Fulton over Shiosh Kikuchi and Richard Slinger. Abdul the Butcher and Kamala too over Rush Kamur and Mighty Inouye. Akira Tawe over Johnny Ace. Super Generation Army, Mitsuharu Masawa, Toshiko Kawada, and Kenakabashi over Danny Spivey, Joel Deaton, and Billy Black. That sounds like a humdinger. And then our main event for the Triple Crown, Jumbo Shruta, which Rob Nether calls him Jumbo Suarto, Tsuwarto, over Stan the Laird Hansen to become the new Triple Crown champion. It was always interesting to me when they would do a Triple Crown title change in one of the you know, not the stalwart venues. Like Matsumoto City Gym was a place they ran, but it wasn't, you know, one of the big venues. Yeah. But here we are. We have a triple crown title change on this show. So a uh, very good looking uh, show here for All Japan. Yes. yes. Absolutely. And, 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 and uh, a big deal, you know, too, just because, you know, it had been a while since a Japanese had had the title because it was Gordy and Hanson, you know, back and forth. So, Ever since Jumbo got beat, so been coming back in, and this is a <laughs> a great match. And granted, I'm not a worker, but I think I've seen enough of them. Where like you want a textbook example on how to work a headlock? Watch Stan Hansen in this match. You know, it just you know, watch watch a lot of Stan Hansen matches, but it's something so simple to make it such a dominant offensive maneuver. You know, it just was a a damn good match. I don't know how many snowflakes this got in the Observer, but it's a a damn fine, hard hitting, fun affair. And it's probably it's, it, the best singles between the two as well. It was a hell of a fucking match. And to go to Mike's point, this is the you know Jumbo lost the title on June fifth, ninety to Gordy. So this is the first time that a, a Japanese has held it since since then. So what date was the yeah. title match? Uh, that was the next one, right? Where June, 8th, June eighth, June eighth, because Hanson and Hanson and Gordy was June eighth, and that was the other main event. You know what's really interesting about that? What? Why is Jumbo dropping the title there when the plan, as of that night, was that he was beating Masawa? Well, Bob was the booker, you know. Bob or was it supposed it, to be it, rehabbing him to get the win over Masawa in the first big singles match, maybe? Yeah, because, I mean, Masawa doesn't win a Triple Crown for the first time until August 1992. Right, and Masawa... It's a long time before he gets the crown. Well, and also Masawa was not originally supposed to get the win until that night when Baba saw how the crowd was reacting and there were just these constant Masawa chants before the show even started and realized that he needed to put him over. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the story about, uh, you know, Jumbo sending back, what about a draw? Bob was just simply sending back, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was, no, it's even better, double count out. So it's like, so he just has someone run the note to Bob, like, double count out? No. <laughs> what are you, you going to say? No. <laughs> the giant Baba, he tells you this is what it's going to be. It's what it's going to be. Damn it. So, yeah, so... Yeah, this is like a hell of a show here, especially that six-man semi. That, I like uh, that because, you know, just dudes got hit, you know, and everybody <laughs> got hit hard, you know. Hard. And, you know Deaton and Black, you know, it's just – look, they're not the greatest things in the world, but it's much like your Spiveys and people where – 
I mean, they were much better off for Japan as far as being bigger fish in smaller ponds. And I thought, you know, again, they're they're fun to go back and watch on these shows the same way the Fantastics are, because it's just a more ass kicky version of Fulton and Rogers, which cool, <laughs> you know, I'm good with it. Ed Furnace and Crawford, yeah. This and it's amazing how long old Dick Slinger was in all Japan <laughs> and has been in Japan for. It's because I always think of him in Scorpio. It's always my default. That's what Stick, I go to. Speaking of Dick Slingers, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you know, it's amazing how long that he's been in the mix for. I mean, God, and this is again, this is ninety-one, and it's has he been there a year at that he's point? Been, well, he was a young boy in eighty-nine. Jeez, man! So you, two you, years. See, you see him at ringside, you know, in his uh, young boy attire, you know, on '89 shows. So yeah, he was there for a long time. His debut mm -hmm. was August twentieth, '88. Yeah, so yeah, he was around a long time. Terry got him in there, and he, and he did what he needed to do and stayed there. So there you go. All right, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Of course, not on tour, but we have this. Chris Benoit, a.k.a. Pegasus Kid, is so dedicated to improving that instead of going home between the two Japanese tours, he's staying in Japan for three weeks to train with Jushin Thunder Liger. Can't well, say you didn't want it. <laughs> well, shit. It, it, I see this. and it, it, what, Dave, shouldn't you also remind everyone that Chris Benoit was trained in New Japan Dojo? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> he is a New Japan guy. So... I think he's used to that. He lived in Japan for a long time. This is nothing that's out of the ordinary for him. So, and also he's training. Yeah, fill some space. He's training and probably staying with the guy, the one wrestler in the history of uh, the New Japan Hell Camp that missed the dojo so much that when he moved out, got an apartment down the block. <laughs> hey, some people love that life. So there you go. Yeah, well, there was also the thing in this era. He it was you know it's in the Observer Yearbook, the profile Dave does of Liger that you know is about to or just came out, talking about I think that and also um, how Liger would just show up in the middle of the night at the dojo because he couldn't sleep because he had too many ideas for new moves and would wake up the young boys to try them out with him. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's, he's excited. What can you say? All right, Mexico, CMLO. We go to January 25th at Arena Coliseo. La Diabolica and Montevideo Yobos went up against La Serenita and Vicky Carranza. Gogale El Sultan, Tony Arce and Vulcano went up against El Maraca, Javier Cruz, Katakoni and Moguer. Then we have Emilio Chávez Jr., Hakemate and Darío Estrada. Going against Angel Azteca, Uracan Sevilla, and Misterioso. And then the one result we have, Atlantis, Mascara Sagrada, and Otagon defeated Fazagarera, Kung Fu, and Perof. And of course, we are at Arena Coliseo on a Friday because it's January. So the circus has been occupying Arena Mexico all month. That is correct. Then Monterey has this match. The one match listed on this show, Monterey, on uh, January 19th, Arena Coliseo, Monterey. Batu, Kokina, and Samu. So we have the Head Shrinkers and Yokozuna. Someone's like Team Yokozuna. Went up against Los Brazos. Brazo de Oro, Brazo de Flot, and El Brazo. I want to see this fucking match. You mean yes, you wrestling me Observer Hall of, Famos, Hall of Famers Los Brazos. That's, that's right. right. 
Yes. Yeah. A happy day. Yes. Let's see and him get elected. That, that means that means a spot open up in my ballot. <laughs> that's it. Uh, make sure that someone is with Eric Ritz when he's listening to this episode, so he does not faint when he sees this match appear. As we're talking about it. <laughs> That spot opens on my ballot just in time for Steamboat and Youngblood to hit the ballot. So ah uh, uh, yes, Steamboat yeah, we'll be talking. We'll be talking more about that as uh, the next Hall of Fame season comes along. But uh, yeah, I needed a spot to open up, and there we go. So that's at least one spot that's uh, going to be filled. But there you go. All right, UWA. They they ran their Sunday show at El Torre Cuatro Caminos Nacapon. We have Black Power. El Signo and Rambo beating Black Man, No Vagabundo, and Ocon 78. Anibal, Frey Tormenta, and Solar uh, beat uh, Los Temerios. Black Terry, Jose Luis Feliciano, and Shua Guerrero. Then we had Babyface, and then Gendro, and Fishman over the Vianos, 1, 4, and 5. Yoda Santo, Enrique Vera, Gran Hamada, and uh, Viano Tercero. Defeated Los Brazos, El Brazo, Brazo de Oro, and Brazo de Plata, and The Killer. And then our main event, Fatu, Coquina, and Samu defeated Kanek, Dos Caras, and Mil Mascaras in the main event. I know who did the job there. So, Hampshire <laughs> went Kanek and Mil. Dos Caras, you're the jobber. That's a stacked fucking show. And UWA in 1991, still stout. Yeah. Look still at the do, star power very on strong this show. For much of the year. Yeah. Look at the star power on this show. An opener. I mean, that opener could have main evented UWA uh, a couple years later. So, they're, and they're still named guys. That is not what a you know big arena Primera looks like on a lot of loot on most lucha shows, I should say. No. Stacked, stacked roster. And granted, Samu and Fatu were putting on weight, you know, but they were still a lot slimmer than what they were, and they could still move. And Coquina Maximus, you know, was, again, never, you know, that deft out there, but for, you know, he's still throwing those kicks. I mean, he was able to do it as Yokozuna, too, but when you go back and watch him then, the ability to be able to move with hips and a, you know, a body that size, it was, shit was impressive. And I can, you know, and again, and I've seen very little UWA, certainly not enough of it, but I can imagine that presence in Mexico too, especially, you know, across from Mil Mascaris at that point in his career or connect. Oh yeah. Yeah. They have some interesting stuff. And then that era there. Did connect slam them? That's what I want to know. Uh, probably so. <laughs> I think it's pretty much a definite. Yeah, and yeah, we should... you go up. That's the one thing you go up easy for him. Yeah, and we should also note though too that we've talked about this a little bit, maybe not that much. Until he winds down his, until you know, Viano Primero winds down his career, it's him and you know, four and five, Quarta and Quinta that are the trio mainly, especially you know after mm-hmm. Viano Segunda's death. Because Viano Tercero is a single star. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, let's go to Puerto Rico. San Juan. All we have is one result here. Caribbean Tag Tiles match. Rick Valentine and Gustavo Mendoza. El Galan Mendoza here. So, Carrie Brown and El Galan Mendoza. Defeat the Super Medicos. Jose Estrada and Jose Jr. to win the, uh, the championships. So, uh, there you go there. And double-double C for our week. All right, let's go to the United States. 
Hey, let's begin with Herb Abrams, UWF. Oh, that's always some fun. And we go to the Pro Wrestling Torch. Greg Valentine re-up with a WF on an exclusive contract, negating the angles run at the last taping between him and the Honky Tonk Man. It was suspected that Valentine had to wrestle in the Royal Rumble for such an exper- extended period as some sort of punishment for working for Abrams. <laughs> Mike, knowing how Greg Valentine is, that's not a punishment. No. He, you know, he didn't get warmed up to 25 minutes, as we all know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he didn't give a shit. What, what does he care? He's getting paid. No problem. We can play this game. I'll back into the corner for a while. We'll do some clubbing. Uh, we'll do the, the the push and pull, the tug over here. Nah, no problem at all for the hammer. But the the real thing is here is, man, we were robbed of the the rhythm and blues uh, breakup uh, collision here in UWF. I mean, just imagine, Mike, how how that could have been on a UWF television show with oh my screaming God. background. <laughs> the Battle of the Blues. It's a blues breaker. I mean, any any type of yeah the thing you could come up with, yeah, it would it would have been <laughs> would have been perfect. Just Greg Valentine, just in the mix backstage at these shows. Just my thought of him sitting there, you know, full to the the gills with whatever makes Greg Valentine happy. Well, all this other, all these other maniacs around there. Yeah. Just sitting there in the corner, just being Greg Valentine is all this as Herb Abrams runs around being Herb. Yeah. And that's you could, then this next story about him approaching Billy. This is another one is somebody, you know, and I'm not sure if you guys have talked to Billy before. I'm sure that you have. I mean, my, it just, for how he is and the personality he has, I can imagine what the the conversation was like between, I'm sure, a completely calm and not sweaty and rational and not flushed Herb Abrams speaking to Bill Eady, former school teacher, and not much on bullshit. Yeah, real quick, uh, Herb Abrams approached Bill Eady, who's a talent coordinator for GWF. This is at Nappy about working for the UWF. Eady politely declined. Abram is still claiming they have UWF on 150 TV stations this year. This is from Matt Watch. 150. <laughs> now, we should know, Fix though. Yeah. As I discovered digging around in ads on ProQuest and stuff, um, when we did the Herb Patreon shows, we were incredulous about both this and the Herb claim that NBC International was handing, handling his international syndication. As it turns out, they were. There's at least one NBC International syndication ad that includes Universal Wrestling Federation amongst its properties in this era. Yeah, there is. Well, even today, when you look at like syndication lists of like, you know, because I just I always go for judge shows. That's all I care about. But then you see some of the things that are technically out there. Uh, I guess, you know, <laughs> I guess that's possible, but. You know, again, was it I wonder how long that lasted for and what exactly, you know, what the details were with that. Who knows? Who knows what kind of deal Herb had lined up? Lost the time. And speaking of deals with Herb Abrams, back to the torch, John and Rezzy's relationship with Herb Abrams appears to be strained, but might still be worked out. John's still hoping for that. Spoiler alert. It wasn't. <laughs> well, later in the year, though, is, uh, you know, John played recently on his podcast an episode where he went over the whole, you know, his side of the, you know, Paulie, Eddie Gilbert, Jerry Lawler thing from late 91. Um, 
at one point in the shows they were covering, I think it was on that episode, Herb calls in and just can't stop talking. <laughs> well, of course. I'm sure he was feeding <laughs> Kofi a lot that day. Uh, uh, he was, yeah, I mean, he might as well have been trying to uh, sell a screenplay or something, you know, that he had written. He was we'll like to hear. Yes. Permanent Midnight? But, good lord. Herb. That's when your your most creative uh, uh, juices flow at that point. Obviously. Or something. <laughs> well, we go from Herb Abrams to Joe Petticino. And we talked to Dave Meltzer first on this one. Joe Petticino is said to have completed a deal to get Max Andrews to syndicate his TV shows when he starts his GWF and plays the USWA. Although that isn't confirmed. Petticino did get 18 television stations at Nappy and had wrestlers Lord Littlebrook... The Trooper, a Canadian giant, sitting about seven foot tall, 380 pounds. Well, the Canadian giant. But billed at seven foot seven, 440 pounds. Demolition Axe, Bill Eating, Comrade Busick, Nick Busick, Chris Conan Walker, Scotty DeBody, and manager Jim Cornette, all at Nappy. The starting day for Global has been moved back a few months, or should Dave say no TV is scheduled? to be taped for at least two more months. Nappy has said it had been a dead convention because most of the Indian sex flew home Wednesday because of the Persian Gulf situation. Dix, any thoughts on uh, on this here? What Joe's doing here? Well, the first is, and I still don't know how, maybe we were still missing some newsletters or something because I know I checked these weeks of the newsletters. For some reason, I missed this when we were doing that first global show years ago on the Patreon. And I'm not really sure how because obviously the Nappy week would be pretty clear, but there was a presence at Nappy, but it... So do we think this is the post-Oliami version yet, or do we think Joe still thinks there's an Olu-Oliami in the mix? Or Oliami? Um, at, the, at this time in January, he's probably... It's, it's maybe may not be completely done, but probably serious doubts. Right, it's a couple weeks away from whatever the hell didn't happen in, at the end of December. So, yeah. Now, I, I so, but my, 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 go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I would say though, at least from searching ProQuest, I need to find the actual issues of you know broadcasting or whatever. I I'm pretty sure I've looked at the Nappy Direct ninety one directory and could not like. I guess there was an Andrews booth. So that's the only place they would be, right? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? So, yeah. but, who who well, could they latch on to? Do you share booths and things like this? No, I wouldn't think so. But what a, <laughs> yeah. list, of, what a list of talent in that booth, Mike. What, you talk about running the gambit. We have a midget, a giant. We have a, uh, a trooper. We have Axe, a demolition. We got a fake Russian. We got Conan, Chris Walker. We got Jim Cornette, and we got Scotty the Body with his large bulge. So, I mean, what what a uh, what what a group. The Tell only everyone thing we're missing, that, Chris, because Wrestling Arcade uh, did a Scotty the Body, Scotty the Body, Scotty Flamingo figure, and they enhanced the bulge on it. <laughs> God bless him. Well, I'm hoping it's him who brought the women because that's the only thing you're missing is some sort of blonde to be there with a gimmick. You know, that's the only thing that Joe Petticino is missing right there with everybody that is <laughs> was around there. So maybe Scotty well, uh, Bonnie, had a couple women may, on his arms. Bonnie was there. 
Well, the, the, uh, yes, that's true. I guess so. Yeah, I guess that's There's true. Bonnie was there. But I mean, as far as having a, a over-the-top character, somebody uh, in Tarzan gear or whatever it would be, lioness gear or something like that, it's the only thing that was missing. Somebody that Lord Littlebrook could run around with and have be saved by the trooper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> what, a, what a cast of characters. All right. But here's the here's a note that was in the torch. It was buried in the torch, but it's in there. Hulk Hogan reportedly visited <laughs> and stayed there for an extended period of time. So here's what's interesting about this, really, that Hogan would go to the GWF booth for a while. This is one of those things that's become increasingly clear in recent years, but wasn't before. But now I think we have a pretty clear pattern of this. If there was a startup or anything, any chance for Vince to sweet talk someone and then use it as leverage with Vince or later WCW, he would do it. That's why he's what he is. He's one, he's, he's one of the all-time great politicians. Well, it is true, but let me throw an alternate perspective out there because I absolutely 100% believe what Bix just said, that yes— there was some sniffing, you know, obviously going on there. But also with these things, you do have demolition acts over there. That's exactly right. He's, he's probably chilling with Bill. Yeah, you got a little because right, they've known each other Cornette. a long time. Yeah, so it's like I it's one of those things where it's like he's got to know. He's probably sniffing just seeing what this this game's about, but I'm sure instantly his business mind is like, uh, you know, fucking I, I there's no way I'd ever do anything here, but it'll be cool to like get out of the Vegas people and these other TV people and just deal with somebody who I know. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I'm uh, trying to see... And that may be why okay. it was buried, you know what I mean? Because it's one of those things that say, hey, it happened. You can't say it didn't happen, but that's why it didn't... You know, at this, you know, in this day and age, it would have the, you know, the tweet and all that stuff, and it would make a story out of it, but it sounds like one of those things that's like, yeah, there's a reason it was probably placed where it was placed. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, I'm I'm looking through the nappy aisles of programming directory in the... What date is this? This is the yeah January 7th issue of Broadcasting. The entry for uh, Andrews Entertainment, curiously, does not mention any programming that they carry. Hmm. There you go. So I guess that's global. Now, Action Media Group, which sold their ads, does include USW, well, sold the USWA ads, and also the WCW ads has both USWA and the Wrestling Network listed. Um, although, I'm not sure if in 91, at least in 90, you know, I discovered this recently. It was in Watch, and I found an ad backing it up. Action Media Group offered a package to advertisers called TWN Plus, where you could buy ads on both WCW and USWA. Hmm. At that point, off the top of your head, do you guys know, because we didn't get it up where we were. In fact, I think it was like Towson University ended up being the only ones that ended up having anything from Memphis or USWA or anything like that on their college station. But what were the most impactful markets at that time that USWA actually had, you know, outside of, of their home? Well, no, this Did is they USWA Challenge, Sacramento or? This is the former world class. This is not the Memphis show. Um, I mean, the they had TV in all kinds of different places. Um, of course, Atlanta. 
because they were all over the Petticino block with both versions of the shows, uh, Dallas and Memphis. Okay, and, but at this point, so this was so this was the world class show, though. Okay, so that's where it was yeah. thrown off. Okay, okay, Chicago, Chicago. They had a pretty good footprint. They, I mean, Chicago Air Wild West. So I mean, they 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 had a little footprint there. In fact, the USWA we have from Chicago from 1989 actually still was called Wild West Wrestling in a way, and it was still using the old Wild West music. Well, if that's mm. that, though, that's not USWA Challenge. That's the secondary show. That's what I'm saying. They were yes. in the secondary show. Right. So they probably so, have both in the yeah. market, at least. Um, just look on newspapers.com yeah. real quick. So you've got Reno, Nevada, Pittsburgh, um, Dallas, Fort Worth, of course, and Bernardino, or maybe a station somewhere else in the Bay Area. Uh, Mansfield, Ohio, I'm guessing, is a bigger market, too. Glens Falls, what would be the closest market? Albany, I guess. Or water, Watertown. You know what? I, I wonder if they had, did they have DC? Because it's like, I, my brain almost stops once that world class banner came down. And I mean, maybe Channel 50 because they had wrestling on every single day. I mean, maybe, maybe it did become USWA and I just, I didn't pay any attention but to it. But you know what? Just, what they had that was ESPN. That's everywhere. And that's, yeah. Well, that's this is the beginning of that, too, of the ESPN exclusive show which we'll talk about in a moment as well. Yeah. Uh, Conan. We talked about Conan on our December 90 show. Well, he made a deal with Joe Pettisino for GWF last month when the Mount watching to show you what kind of guy he is. He offered not to go to his WF trial in Miami after agreeing to do the deal. Pettisino released it from his contract, telling him if he didn't go, he'd always ask if he could have made it. If his career is fouled up in, some, in the same fashion Vince did Owen Harder under a mask, he'll have a good run. Well, <laughs> well, we all know what happens here. Yeah. But, yeah. But how about Pettisino telling him, hey, go. Don't let me hold you back. No, you're going to lose you anyway. I mean, be smart <laughs> enough to know when you can get, get take the L. <laughs> so exactly. you might as well. Yeah. And then Dave says, longtime correspondent Scott Hudson started as an announcer Sunday night for George All-Star doing color with Joe Pettisino. Ken Tens worked the tapings, and Big Billy Busick's the most over-wrestler. Yes, the beginning of the Scott Hudson era yeah. in uh, Georgia wrestling here, and then uh, Stephen the True, Steve Prasak would be on as well at, not too long after this. And yes, the Atlanta takes boys you, are in full effect. Takes you 10 years to become an overnight success in, in many cases. And there's a great example, damn near that, was Scott Hudson, who was like, when he appeared on the national stage, it's like, this guy's really good. Because <laughs> like, yeah, uh, yeah. he's been doing it for a hell of a long time. We just didn't know about it. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, might as well then read from uh, what Scott Hudson wrote in the, I forget if it was an annual or year-end issue or whatever, Arena Reports, talking about the beginning of his color commentary career here. November 11th, 1990, a date that could conceivably live in infamy. It was on that night at the VFW Fairgrounds in Carrollton, Georgia, that Steve Prazak and I first approached Joe Pettisino about becoming a part of the Georgia All-Star Wrestling Team. What prompted two otherwise unassuming sheet writers to take such a bold step? The performance of a still-unknown ring announcer who made Boyd Pierce sound like Howard Finkel on the DECA. <laughs> oh, man. He's, he's saying that... Uh, 
a guy I, is he saying his voice was high pitched or because Boyd Pierce's voice isn't high pitched, but maybe it just means lackadaisical. I don't know. Or it just meant on steroids or whatever in the colloquial sense. Uh, I had a ridiculous. I had a ridiculous suit on, just on steroids. <laughs> uh, I just care about wearing a suit like that. <laughs> the guy was so hard that Steve and I told Pettacino we could do better than that, or words to that effect. Two weeks later, Pettacino called and said, "All right, put together a ninety-second weekly bid and call it a fan's perspective, and we'll see how it goes." A fan's perspective met with a good reaction all around. On January twenty-fourth, nineteen ninety-one. Pitticino asked me if I was interested in becoming the comment, color commentator for Pro Wrestling 1991, the syndicated George All-Star television show. After a four-thousandth of a second decision-making process, I agreed. My first taping was at the Sparkles Rink in Lawrenceville, Georgia. What a night! Oh, for, odd. for a guy who only 12 months prior had considered it a life highlight to share adjoining urinals with Ric Flair at the Georgia Mountain Center in Gainesville— this was Nirvana. <laughs> that same week also saw the debut of Steve Prezak as Stephen the Truth, as my heel foil on an outgrowth of a fan's perspective called Wrestling Point Counterpoint. And then that keeps going until Global starts in June. Yeah. They were naturals and very entertaining. I wish that stuff was out there on video for people to see. But Well, Steve has some of it allegedly, but Yeah. Suncoast Wrestling yeah. did a TV tape January 19th in Palmetto, Florida before 500 <laughs> So Suncoast Wrestling did a TV taping that outdrew the UWF pay-per-view that happens five months later? Well, yeah. They had Rocky Johnson, Jumbo Beretta, Lou Perez, Dean Malenko, Rex King, Debbie Drake, Luna Vachon, Nasty Ned Brady, and Boris Malenko who put over a mass superstar when he got outside help from a manager, Penelope Paradise. But Malenko, a mass superstar afterwards, and Paradise covered up his face. Oh, Lou Perez. <laughs> oh, my God. Lou Perez, the Vic Steamboat of Kendall Wyndham's. God bless his soul. Oh, man. How great is it, Luscious by the way? Luscious Lightning Lou Perez. That between the two latter-day era NWA tournaments, not counting the ECW one, you have Lou Perez, Hector Guerrero, and Joe Malenko at least scheduled for the tournaments. <laughs> Not to take anything away yeah. from these wrestlers, but still, it seems conscious in a way. Um, bogus Max Super, Ma Max Superstar, Mass Superstar, always fun. Yes, well, that's Boris Malenko, who was the manager of the first Mass Superstar when he took that gimmick on. Yeah. So, it's true. That's right. <laughs> he was. <laughs> and uh, for those who don't know, Debbie Drake is Debbie Malenko. Well, naturally. <laughs> We're talking about all the Malenkos here. All right. Rob Russin. Of course, the torch has this news. Rob Russin is working on a deal which could add financial backing to his AWA. IWA. IWA. Me, allow, that's what, yeah, IWA. Allowing him to expand to a full production schedule. Full-time touring, three to four dates a month. International distribution expansion. And home video distribution. He said there's six weeks before he will have any sense of a final word on the backing. In practice, this becomes him booking international tours. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. This is, this is Rob Russell feeding Way Keller a lot of shit. Yes, for more on that, uh, listen to the Herb Abrams YouTube <laughs> shows. On, which actually, you don't need, need to go to the Patreon. We have them up for free, too, but... 
Did he buy a lot of time in the magazines? Yeah. I, I do remember like it popping up there. Was it just something where it was like, okay, the wrestling, not the eye, but the uh, the non-PWI magazines main that event. were out back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah main event and all, whatever they would be. Well, I think the Napolitano just, set. I think it was just an outgrowth of that he had done publicity for the AWA. Exactly. It's all yeah. friends. I mean, these are all friends, you know, and they're, they're taking care of their friends. You know, that matter was going on a lot in this era with all these guys that are getting into wrestling that were wrestling personalities and now they're becoming wrestling promoters. So when you're tight with the wrestling media, you know, they're going to put you over, look out for you and, you know, all that type of stuff. God knows we saw it a lot with Pettacino in this era and Rob Russ and the torch and there are others. So Chris Cruz, Chris Cruz, which he wasn't promoting, but I mean, he was always well. Person, he had his house organ. He had his house organs. Let's put it that way. Eddie, Ed. Eddie Gilbert, Paul, Bobby, absolutely. I do that shit with Game Changer right now, but there's no worry <laughs> of it, of it ever being talked about on Observer Live anyway. So I'm really out of the woods. Cord <laughs> <laughs> eh, and MSL do enough uh, feeding stuff to. <laughs> Those circles that I, I don't think Brett needs to bother. I just got a press release. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No worry. They'll sue you. All right. USWA <laughs> Memphis. There was no live Memphis TV this week due to the NBC Persian Gulf coverage. They were going to air the show at 1.30 p.m., but the SEC basketball game ran long preceding it, and then the final 40 minutes was interrupted by a Pentagon briefing. Boy, does wrestling hate when real life fucks its shit up, even if it's war. Like, God damn it. <laughs> well, it was, what's interesting is that the Persian Gulf covers didn't preempt the SEC basketball game. Well, <laughs> well that's... Uh, it must have been Kentucky. It's, it's in Memphis. It's, well, yeah, it could have been. Man, especially you get out of conference game at that time. What, Kentucky St. John's? You know, something like that. Or, you know, But if it's in conference, yeah, I mean, Kentucky and whoever... Shit, <laughs> so I, you know, I can see it. You know, it's how you you look at these things on what you think about something like that. But yeah, oh, I see it. I'm about to find out what aired. All right, so let's see. Unless here's the thing. Unless here's the uh, the thing. Okay, if it was going one thirty, runs long. I mean, maybe they had that Pentagon thing set up for two o'clock anyway, or something like that. So I I, I don't know. All right, SEC basketball, January 19th. All right, let's see. Um, now, Georgia and Alabama played at 2.30 that afternoon. So that would have been 3.30 their time. So it wasn't that game. Uh, I don't know. I can't find anything. But anyway... So, yeah, hey, I mean, there's more important things than wrestling. You know, wrestling got the big ratings numbers in Memphis, even in this era. So, you know, wrestling okay. should be happy that things like football games sometimes, you know, down right, here, here it is. They were moved. Mississippi State at Florida. That See, was, that, 
that no. just indicates to me that the Pentagon briefing, you can't plan for those things. They were probably on a cycle at the time. So you, you, you get that when you get that. And with the game running long, you know, that was that nothing, nothing you can do about that. So, I mean, that's probably why it wasn't the Pentagon thing. Probably didn't, probably didn't bump up against SEC basketball. They probably had it set up for that time. And the game just went long. And that was that. Exactly. All right, so no no Memphis clips. So there you go. Down the Mitsuf Coliseum, they ran Sunday night on the 20th. We have uh, Doug Gilbert and Dirty White Boy, Tony Anthony over to New Kids, Brian Christopher and Tony Williams in your opener. Danny Davis, night, Nightmare Danny Davis, Nitro Danny Davis at this point, over Awesome Calm by his qualification. Primetime Brian Lee over Ben Jordan. Jeff Gaylord over Matt Bourne. Terrence Garvin over King Cobra. The Pit Bulldogs. Yes, the Pit Bulls over Jerry Lynn and Cody Michaels. Jeff Jarrett retained the Southern title, being Robert Fuller. And the fabulous one, Stan and Steve, heels here, beat Jerry Long and Bill Dundee by DQ. Lawler was covering current when Cornette hit Lawler with a tennis racket behind the rest back. Dundee did punch Cornette, got the racket, started using it, but Frank Morrell saw it and DQ Dundee. Now, Fuller, Curtis Thompson, and the Bulldogs are here in Memphis as the stud stable out there South Atlantic closed up when Matt Bourne's also in his baby face. I would have paid money for that show. Yeah, it was a good-looking show. So, Not how, tennis, but good show. how long are Gary Wolf and Anthony Durante there, though? That, Not me, long. I was going to say, so this is one of the many examples of Monster Factory guys going to Memphis and quickly leaving. Because of the money. Well, I think it's well. I would say it's that. I'd say it's because, well, it's all the hookup here. It's no, I know that. Fuller, but Fuller the fact that they left quickly. South Atlantic. Well, Fuller South Atlantic stables here in Memphis. Basically, it's all it is. No, I know, but still, he, that he, they leave he quickly. It's, it's not, it's, 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 yeah, but it's not. It's not Larry Sharp. It's not any Larry Sharp thing. But it also shows you how what the payoffs are here compared to South Atlantic, probably. Well, who's in business? Who ain't? Well, not the one who just blew a quarter million dollars. <laughs> so there's that too. But they're yeah, not, yeah, they're not there long at all. And South Atlantic actually did not close up yet. They still they had taped the TV after our week. Well, so, well, technically, well, it's not even South Atlantic yet, or is it? It's it is because he's using the name obviously. Yeah, so when South did it switch? Yeah, when South did Atlantic. it switch? When did it switch? South, Atlantic, NWA, still, South Atlantic is still running in '92. No, 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 no. I'm asking when the name switched from NWA. 90. Okay. It's already happened. Okay. But yeah, they're running, they're running in 92. Uh, that I know. Yeah. Patriot shows up there. Yeah. At so, point. So, so, so yeah, they didn't close up. But anyway, yeah, what, what a crew that is. All right. Dallas USWA. They drew 650 fans for a free TV tape in the morning of January 19th, but then shooting big angles. And now, now we do have. Well, to be clear, because I had always been confused by this until doing some research and stuff recently. When they came back and brought back the Saturday morning tapings without KTVT, Saturday morning was when they taped ESPN. Ah. Yeah, so Friday night went into syndication on Challenge. Saturday morning was what aired on ESPN Monday afternoons as USWA Supercard. Uh, no. <laughs> That's what everyone's reporting at the time. So where are the unique matches uh, on Supercard coming from? The challenge shows that air on the night, the Fort Worth shows at night were taped that morning. Yeah, no, 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 had, no, no, I mean, no, but the Fort Worth show all, doesn't all exist my... anymore. Oh, yes, it does. 
No, it doesn't. They, they got canceled a... in the summer. What are you talking about? No, they have a they have a show that airs in the local market because they're doing local local promos. But that's challenge with local promos. That's not that's not but two hours. Aired, that's but, not but championship ta- sports. It's taped that morning. Where are you reading this? I had the results. <laughs> it, it, it matches up with the results and what aired the air dates. Is it possible they're using the ESPN show or what they're using for the ESPN show here in Dallas? Maybe then. I don't Instead know. Instead of challenge for the local show. But I'm looking at I'm looking I'm just looking at March 9th challenge that aired on March 9th in Dallas, mm-hmm. and the matches are taped March 9th, March 9th. There's a clip from March 8th, March 9th, clips from March 8th, then March 9th. Where are you getting results from the 91 local Dallas TV from? You know where how I find my stuff. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> all right. So let's go to January 25th. They had the Texas Heavyweight Tile Tournament at Sportatorium in front of 406 fans as Bill Dundee went over John Tatum, Mike Davis over Billy Joe Travis by coin flip after going to the time limit, Gary Young over Eric Embry after using a chain, Jeff Jarrett over Sumo Ricky. <laughs> I, I, we have, uh, who? Then we have Steve Austin over Stephen Dane. When Dane was distracted by Billy Joe Travis and was counted out. Ass. California stud Rob Price over Chris Germany. Bill Dundee over Danny Davis. Gary Young over Jeff Jarrett by DQ. And Jarrett was caught using a chair, probably chain. Maybe it was a chair, who knows. Austin was scheduled to wrestle Rob Price, but they refused to wrestle one another and both were disqualified from the tournament. And then building DB Gary Young when Young was on the top rope and Tessa Ray shook the rope and Young crossed himself and fell to the ring and Dundee pinned him. D- Dave went Tessa Ray. He's he had been calling pool. her Tessa Ray Tessa. a few times. Yeah. Um, so this is the weird thing where months after everything else, they bring back Tatum and Dundee and Tessa and they just pretend that nothing has happened in the previous four or five months. Sumo Ricky has no um, cage match uh, profile. Um, Does spitballing, did Sumito ever come to work in Dallas? Data. If I see anything there. No Sumo Ricky on wrestling data at all either. So who the fuck knows who that is? Uh, Maybe a Chris Adams student that we didn't know about or something. Mike Davis under a mask. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, we have an update. And this is from Matt Watch, and of course it's from Matt Watch. We're talking about who the update's on. Update on former USW announcer Craig Johnson. He tried out to be the host of the Revive to tell the truth, but he lost out to Alex Trebek. Well, I can see why. It's <laughs> Alex Trebek. <laughs> I can see him being a pretty solid uh, game, lower-end game show guy, though. <laughs> He could have done it. And if anybody's going to know this game show stuff, it's fucking Steve Beverly. So. This is true. Absolutely. You mean the man that campaigned hardest for Todd Newton to take over the prize, yeah. right? <laughs> oh, for heaven's sakes. Did he really? E, e- networks Todd Newton. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go to the Texas Wrestling Federation. They ran at the Metroplex Arena on January 20th in front of 140 fans to see the return of. Kevin Von Erich. Kevin did commercials during the week with his daughter, saying he's been home the past few months being a family man, but he wants to come back and be a wrestler again. 
The Dallas Times Herald even had an item in the paper about Kevin making another comeback. Kevin pinned Big Bad John in the main event. Plus, Angela Death went to a double DQ with Steve Austin. Brian Diaz over Tim Talltree. Billy Joe Trask went to a DDQ with California Stud. And Cowboy Tony Falk pinned Rick Davidson. Now, the 27th has Tony Paul against Billy Travis, Sheik Farouk against Tim Chaltree. Actually, a brother versus brother match as Sheik Farouk is Tom Ernesto Jr., Tom Branch, and Chaltree's Tim Ernesto. Brian Diaz versus Ice King Parsons. And the main event has Angel Death defending the Texas Heavyweight title against Eric Embry. The Texas Heavyweight title, you say? What's interesting is that two nights earlier, they were having the tournament for the Texas title for the other federation, and Embry was the favorite to win but you didn't win it. Actually, the last Texas champion was Kevin, who beat Angel Death in the last world-class Carpenter Sportatorium. Everyone's surprised Ambry's working in the Metroplex because he's trying hard to become the booker for the USWA at the Sportatorium. Although with such little work for wrestlers in the area, there really isn't any heat as of yet for guys working back and forth, at least until February when Gary Hart moves the Metroplex shows to a head-to-head on Friday nights. Why would you do that? <laughs> because it's Gary Hart and he hates the Jarrett's. Uh, and that's when all this and that's when all this cross workings ends so what a wild scene at this time it (laughs) really is you have it really really is running at least once a week in this city and at one point and using a lot of the same guys and using the same guys no but even crazier is that a lot of the time they're not using the same guys well, there's some cross-pollination there around is, there. There is, but I mean, think about like in 90, how you had, you know, you had the period where you had, you know, pretty separate crews. You know, Iceman was mainly working for Tim Brooks and some couple other names, like uh, Johnny Mantel, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, and then we get that big Iceman invasion angle where uh, Billy Joe Travis... Uh... Called him the N-word, yes. <laughs> oh, he calls <laughs> That's when that was. Oh my God, that's right. Holy oh. Moses. <laughs> I just watched that recently again. <laughs> this is, it's still. What does he baffling. say? Forget about that N word? Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, but Kevin. Kevin's back. The winner is Kevin. Yeah. Um, also, not long after the Dallas Times Herald article. Because I think it was in December about where he's, you know, fetching about the Jerry Jarrett stuff, too. Of course he is. So, unfortunately, the Dallas Times-Herald does not exist. Archives, at least, do not exist in any form on the Internet that I can find. No. It's one of the, it's one of the bigger gaps we have as far as major market newspapers. Yes. Portland. January 19th in Portland at the uh, Sports Arena. Drew a group crowd says kids were letting it free. As Scott Norton pinned Doug Masters, Bart Sawyer beat the grappler by DQ, but Al Madrill ran in and attacked Sawyer with a weightlifting belt. Steve Dahl beat the equalizer by DQ when equalizer used a chain. Brad Anderson in the hood, Ricky Santana, using a gimmick he used, uh, let's see, five, over five years ago for, for in Southwest, Texas All-Star, over Larry Oliver and C.W. Bergstrom, when Larry Oliver was hit with Anderson's loaded glove, and they did a Royal Rumble Battle Royal off TV. An equalizer here is Bill Dan and Howard Yvette Sullivan, right? 
Dan Sullivan, yes. Not inspiring Portland here at this point in time. Uh, I would see those in the inside wrestling. You'd see PNW Tag Team Champions Larry Oliver and C.W. Bergstrom. And it's like, I don't know who these guys are, but I don't want to watch them. Just looking at those names. (laughs) Yeah, when Zan Panzer is the main eventer, that really says you something right there. Now, is Len Denton still booking at this time? Or who's... uh, He's still still there. Yeah. Yeah. Piper, Piper's not involved anymore, I don't think. But yeah, Lens, no. Lens booking. Oh, and now I see why we had Semper VV on this week. We have a uh, update on our Jesse Ventura story from last month and uh, his Grudge Match show. <laughs> Apparently, Jesse Ventura didn't make a full commitment to the TV show Grudge Match that he and Lyle Alzado were to star in. The physical game show, based on a Japanese show with a similar concept, with a takeoff on People's Court and American Gladiators. We'll take 39 shows, and Ventura will be on six of them with host Tim Brando and Lyle Alzado. I don't think that's how it happened either. I think Jesse was the host the whole time. He was. Because Lyle, Lyle couldn't do it. Yeah. Because it's cancer. Yes, or as everyone thought at the time, steroid cancer, which I think we've since learned does not necessarily exist. So is that when you say steroid cancer? Is that like uh, Rocky saying "lady cancer"? <laughs> no, but obviously he had lady, brain cancer. The, she got the lady cancer, not necessarily from steroids. <laughs> One of the great lines. Yeah. Every time I hear him say that, every time I watch him over here and say that, I crack up. She got the lady cancer. Yes, um, but I believe the theory is that he was also doing human growth hormone, and that once he had the tumor. That made it grow faster. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just remember the story of it was like the, the grapefruit-sized tumor pulled out, and that's because out of his ass where he would always inject the, you know, the needle. Like, that was the lore for a while, as if that was the only place he was injecting that needle. <laughs> so it just, yeah, yeah it was, oh, man, terrible, terrible. Yeah, that whole, yeah, the whole Lyle thing is just, uh in this time period, it's crazy because you see him in 1990 and he's fucking jacked to the bejesus trying to make a comeback to the NFL. He fails in that. And then all of a sudden he goes away for a while. And then all of a sudden you hear all the, the cancer stuff. I'm like, Oh shit. You know, damn that That went to a different direction. And people and then, don't remember like the boxing, like, the deal with Ali, like they don't even, yeah. yeah, like they don't even know that dude, but there were people that like our fathers and shit that like, they had seen all of this and saw him with the Broncos and then saw him with the Raiders. And then he's, he's acting and you see Butkus and that was a great, I don't want to say a golden time, but you know, so many of these personalities were on so many of these different shows. Learning learning the ropes. Yeah. And then that's, that's all in. Well, and that's the whole thing. Then you have that tie-in for as bad as that show was. Who the hell didn't like Lyle Alzado? And at least it's like, okay, it's a lot of the Italian stallion, but you had to shrug. It's like, well, at least as a wrestling fan, maybe he's hanging out with the wrestlers. He's hanging out. He's hanging out with the wrestlers though, as himself. And he was a wrestler, and that was the thing too. Like when he was, you know, shown to us on any of the NFL film stuff or any type of situation. He was a pro wrestler. I mean, that's what All he was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Personality-wise, everything. Yeah. Absolutely. But, yeah, so there's 
folks, we're getting some loose ends time on this show from the December 90 show. So there you go. Grudge match with Jesse Ventura. All right. It's halftime now. The late, the, one of the latest halftimes we ever had, but here we are, halftime. So that's some great 1991 commercials with Pimpton Halftime 7 of the show where me and Bix will come back. We'll talk about the Patreon show. We'll hit the plugs, all this, that, and the other. And then we'll come back with Super VV and we'll go to the World Wrestling Federation where we have quite, quite the week here as Royal Rumble 91 goes down and Dave Meltzer goes off in the national. All that more after the break. Nothing wrong with studying. You just gotta know how to pick the subject. If it's cool, then it rules. Those musketeers, three musketeers, they ain't nobody's fool. Yeah, that's a big chocolate. Chocolate out the here. The library is officially closed. It's hard to keep them under wraps. Those three musketeers. Yeah. And we are open for business. Yeah. I've been standing by all season. Will you play me? Look, I may be small, but I'm a big guy inside. You just haven't seen it yet. And I'm drinking milk. Because in these years, I'm growing fast. And milk's give me a lot of what I need for strong bones and muscles. Yo, coach, give me the shot. When I'm all filled out, I could bust through that line like a runaway truck. And I'll say I owe it all to you. Yo, milk, it does a body good. Finally, a career move that puts you in the driver's seat. Come to the Commercial Driver Training School and let us teach you in as little as 60 days how to handle the road. We'll not only help you get your Class 1 license, we'll help you get a job. A job that can keep you working for your entire life. Financial aid available for those who qualify. So visit the Commercial Driver Training School for a free tour and take hold of a career that'll put you in the driver's seat. Great. It was so action-packed to, like, scene history. Fantastic. It's a great place to bring your kids. It was Crystal's birthday. Fabulous. The food was great. I'd definitely come back another time with a group of people. Great place to party. And disco after the show. It's my birthday and my parents' anniversary, and they decided to come here. Medieval Times in New Jersey near the Meadowlands Sports Complex. Ask about how midweek discounts some restrictions apply. purchase and you can go as far as 300 miles on Greyhound for less than 30 bucks. So listen up guys and don't miss the bus. Greyhound is less than 30 bucks. <laughs> Kenny says, son, you need to keep both feet on the ground. My mom always tells me girls should dress like girls. And then he hits me with, you need to be more level-headed. So I said, oh yeah? One of life's great kicks. Tweaks. Oh, yeah. Who does the world's most fun cartoon character in a hot new 16-bit game? Who does Disney animation as only a 16-bit video game can? Genesis does. Genesis does. Genesis does. 
dollars cash back when you buy a new Sega Genesis system. Genesis buy a Sega Genesis system now and get thirty dollars cash back. Hold it, hold it, hold it. They're here. It's the Ford U.S. Hot Rod Thrill Show Spectacular. Part of the Red Man All-American Pulling Series. Meadowlands Arena. Bigfoot. Jersey Outlaw. And more monster truck racing than ever before. World record snowmobile jump. Two-wheel drive power drags. 56 T-Bird. 34 Ford Coupe Shootout. Super stretch trick trucks and more. Tickets now to box office and Ticketmaster. Today at 2, tonight at 8. Meadowlands for action. Sunday, Lester draws heat from his teachers for doodling in class. Have any of them told you that you had an exceptional instinct for, like, caricature? If that's the same as get your butt to the principal's office. Catch true colors. Then, before there was Parker Lewis. Gentlemen, synchronized swatches. There was Parker's dad. Gentlemen, synchronized pull over. But when the old man pulls a wild prank, guess who's left holding the old bag? Sunday, beginning at 7 on Fox 5. Right, we're back. Hope you enjoyed those great 1991 commercials as we pivot to the halftime seven of the show. We'll begin talking about our Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And yes, we have a new Patreon show coming up. It's already recorded in the can on Joel Goodhart's TWA. And we'll do a big plug at the beginning of next week's show. But uh, yeah, this is a very interesting show for people that may not know a lot about these the indie scene of the early 90s and this is the first super indie that was sprouted out in this country and uh, just know the origins of Joel Goodhart himself going back from his wrestling radio days to uh, the bus trips that they ran to his you know, store making the store Jerry Lawler show making an appearance there with his partners um, segueing that into big luncheons you know, including one with Ric Flair, which I don't want to spoil. You got to hear what happens there on the show. And then that leads into, you know, he also works as a ring announcer for various promotions, including the WF in, in Philadelphia. And then he starts his own promotion, TWA, and has a, a quite the next two years, 1990 to 1991, bringing in a lot of huge names in the wrestling business and drawing some big crowds, making us getting some good gates. But not really making any money. We'll talk about that, and we'll talk about the way the promotion ended in controversial fashion. And there's so much in this show. It's a very, very interesting show to look at uh, regarding how independent wrestling was back then, and people could learn lessons on how not to run an independent wrestling promotion from listening to this show. So yes. you definitely want to listen to this. So five dollars a month, patreon.com slash 20 sheets. All right, Biggs, go ahead. Um, yeah, this should be up in the next few days after this comes out. So be on the lookout for that. Of course, we'll have all the plugs on Twitter, you know, free preview clip, etc. Um, yeah, I had, I had a fun time doing that one. It was definitely, it was a change of pace, but, uh, without spoiling things, boy, does Paul Eamon's spirit start to, uh, haunt the show as it goes on. Well, yeah, we get into how, how this begat other things. Which begat ECW, which begat you know Ring of Honor, and so on, so so forth. So yeah, so we'll talk about that. How the this is the beginning of the of Philadelphia wrestling, basically the Philadelphia indie wrestling movement, and uh, yeah, that's very interesting stuff. So patreoncom slash twenty sheets twenty five five dollars a month allows you access to listen to that and all the other audio that we've done in our five plus years of our Patreon. 
And uh, next week on the big plug, we will announce the main show, what the February Patreon show will be. But you can hear it at the end of the Joe Goodhart show if you want to get your first shot at it. So there you go. It should be that should be the interesting show indeed. All right. Um, so that's five dollars a month. All the audio we've done. Dollar a month allows you a, disc, a chance to get in our Discord and thanks in this segment. Twenty five dollars allows you pick a show for the week which we will have one of those next week, which we'll talk about in the plug section. But uh, $25, so you can pick a show that you want. Make sure that it's a show we haven't done already. And I always have two choices handy, because it could be a show that we've done, or it could be a show that's already a week that somebody's already picked in a calendar. It's already booked. So you definitely want to be prepared just in case. And let us know why you want to do this show. That way we can match it up and make sure everything works out timeline-wise and Make sure it hasn't interfered with something we've already done that you may have got confused because, you know, each year the, the days change as the, it goes every year. So, yes, that Wednesday to Tuesday on the timeline. So it's definitely, you know, it's, it's well worth it to make sure that you, you do everything that you need to do to get your show taken care of. We don't want any hassle, no issues with that. So you do all that, follow the protocol on the Patreon website. 30-day rules in effect, 10-year rules in effect, like I said, Wednesday to Tuesday, all that, and you should be good to go. Then $50 allows you send in for a segment of that show and 100 for the whole show if you choose. That's at patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Bix, we're at that time of the month. I'm pretty sure we ain't going to have a whole lot of names, but who I think this week is our new and or returning patrons? All right, uh, Alan Peisner up to $25 to... Pick a week. I I don't think he sent me the pick yet. I'll double check on that. But thank you, Alan. Thank you, Alan. Yes. Um. Sean Emily is back as well. Thanks, Sean. And <laughs> this is the first. Kenneth Stewart did the dollar a month plan, but with the annual discount, which I guess there is that option too, at ten oh eight a year. So thank you, Kenneth. But. <laughs> Mainly, we do push that more for the $5 thing, where it comes out to, I believe, $4.20 a month or uh, $50.60 a year, something like that. Whatever floats your boat. $50.40, excuse me. Whatever floats your boat. Every little bit helps at patreon.com slash trinitysheets. So uh, we definitely appreciate you new patrons, you old patrons. One's been there from the beginning. One's come along the way. We thank you for your patronage of our show. And tell friends, get them on board, because we got some interesting Patreon audio coming up, believe me. That's March is already picked out, too, and that's going to be a big show, folks. Believe me, that's a David Big special on the March Patreon <laughs> show. You definitely want to uh, be a part of that. I haven't done the notes yet, though. But yes. I know, but the subject is is your alley. Well, the subject is going to be more broader than the thing you're thinking of, but it's going to Yeah, be but that. still, <laughs> you, you, have a, you have a lot of uh, skin in this game. Because this is one of your favorite things to talk about. Yes. But anyway, there's that. So patreon.com slash between the sheets. Right, IWTV, Southeast First, action wrestling show with other uh, Southeast wrestling promotions uh, assistants has already aired as, we, as uh, this show drops. So make sure you catch that on the on demand because I'm, I'm sure it's a great show, even though it hasn't happened yet as we record this. But everybody go check that out. Bix, what else is going on there? What's caught your eye? Um, As far as stuff that's happening, you know, 
this coming weekend, but this past weekend by the time that this is posted, um, there's also a Pro Wrestling Magic show, an ITW No Holds Barred show. Uh, what, which, what's 5CC Wrestling? I'm not sure if I'm familiar with that. That is... Was that I know 10CC. Oh, no, Washington. Uh, no, but the name of the show is not the original soundtrack, though. Um, okay, yeah, that's a Washington indie. Okay. So, oh, the things we love. So that's live streaming. And, of course, you know, we talked a bit about uh, Southeast First last week, I think, but, right? But they've added some other matches since, like... Uh, well, it's already friend... happened by now. <laughs> no, 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 but by the time we're recording this, they've added matches that were not there when we talked about it last yeah. week. Uh, yeah. Like our dear friends, Violence is Forever, Dominic Greeny and Kevin Koo, uh, taking on uh, Eric Royal and Jaden Newman. Mm-hmm. Jaden, another friend of ours. We, we need to find a way to get him on the show eventually. I, I bet that would be a hoot. Yeah. Especially, especially now that we had a bunch of Paul Lee moments on this week's show. <laughs> yeah, since he is, of course, a recovering Paul Lee student, for lack of yeah. a better term. Um, so that's on there. Also, looking at the on demand, I have not seen the West Coast Pro Show yet, but I heard it was very good. Uh, Demi Malenko was hurt, so she did not get to ever match with Masha Slamovich, but they did have a suitable replacement in the form of Nicole Savoy. So that looks like a very good show. Um, you know, more of wrestling open now that uh, that is sort of replaced on uncharted territory. And otherwise, it looks like a relatively slow week. We've had a few of those lately. Um, although there is also new uh, new episode of unseen footage from John Philip Havage and IWTV's The, the Life of that went up. Uh, never before seen footage from past episodes with Daniel McCabe, Eric Royal, Daniel Garcia, and Megan Bain. So that's up as well. Plus uh, anything? You know, we got some Body Slam Pro Wrestling, new, new Time Bomb Pro Show from September. So always some variety there, even if it's not necessarily as deep as some other weeks. And of course, if you're not a subscriber already, independentwrestling.tv, use code BTSPOD. We will get a referral from your subscription as long as you stay a subscriber. And of course, all of this information is in the show description. Absolutely. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner. You can follow Bix at David Bix. Of course, show at BT Sheets Pod. And next week on Between the Sheets, we go back to 1999 on a Patreon request of show by Jared Hunt, where we'll be talking about a wild week in WCW with all sorts of WCW sh- shenanigans going on. Kevin Nash having a team meeting for Nitro. We got wrestlers fighting each other in bars. We got health club problems. We got Chris Jericho on probation. WCW Festival Day Lucha being taped. All kinds of wackiness going on. DDP and Reese and Kathy Lee. So quite the week in WCW. We got Jesse Ventura pissed off at NBC about their upcoming movie on him. Boy, does he know not know what's coming. And we got all the other stuff going on in the indie scene, ECW, Power Pro, all that. We got Lucha to talk about. We got uh, WF, Halftime Heat. It's during our week, Super Bowl commercials during our week, and all kinds of other stuff in WF. So, quite the week there. But in Japan, we'll have the death of Giant Baba. Talk about a major story in, in wrestling at the time. Plus, all the Japanese uh, stuff going on, including the birth of Toriyaman, their debut show. 
So we'll talk about that, and we'll be joined by our buddy Case Love from Voices of Wrestling, host of their uh, their their Dragon Gate podcast on there, Open the Voice Gate, and doing other assorted things for the the Voices crew. So it'll be Case's first time on the show. So we'll be glad to have him on, and it uh, should be quite the show next week, have a new voice on, someone that's on to be my son. Well, isn't this also going to be, I mean, he's seen all this stuff and he knows it well, but this is going to be the first time someone is going to be on for a week they were not, well, a guest is going to be on to cover a week they were not alive for. Pretty much, yeah, because I think he's 21. Right. I I mean, there have been a few shows we did that were before I was alive, but not many. Yeah. And I mean, some that I wouldn't be old enough to remember either, but... Still, because I believe he is the first guest that uh, we can say that about. Yes, so should be quite the show next week on Between the Sheets. All right, Vix, anything going on in your world before we go back to the rest of the show? Um, I think I should have an article coming out this week. Uh, I, I need to double check on what the timing is, but I should have some stuff coming. Uh, I'll just mainly say, you know, obviously it hasn't happened yet as we're recording this, but, you know going to be nice uh this coming saturday as we record this this past saturday when the show goes up to see our dear friend dave prezak inducted into the first class of the indie wrestling hall of fame absolutely nobody deserves it more love dave i'm so glad that he's uh getting his uh shine here and the cm punk will induct him and uh yeah so glad to, to have that take place so it should be quite the weekend for game changer wrestling and everything they got going on there All right, well, that's it for us. Let's get back to the rest of the show. All right, let's move on now to the World Wrestling Federation. This hasn't been a week where wrestling is high on anyone's list of priorities. Many of you have friends overseas. Most of you have acquaintances or at least know someone in that position. Because of that, this week's issue originally was designed not so much to run down lots of wrestling news... But maybe let everyone have a laugh or two at a time when the major news in the world is anything but funny. That's how Dave started The Observer for this week. And, you know, this was a very interesting time in this country because we hadn't been in a war in 16 years since Vietnam. A lot has changed. A lot had changed in the United States since then. Um, especially the way just the world in general had changed with media coverage and everything going on and civilization advancing in different ways. And there was, you know, a different sense regarding this situation, Mike, than any other situation that we really had before because of how the media had changed from in the seventies, having only three channels, basically, you know, to, to get your news from, and they weren't wall to wall news. You didn't have a CNN, a wall to wall news. You basically got your news, you know, in the national time slots or local time slots or whatever. So we didn't have like you had here in January, 1991. So for people that are too young to maybe remember, you know, the, the, sense of the country at this time. What are your memories of how, how everything was going here? Well, I remember, you know, it was, it was scary, you know, cause it's like, okay, well what's going on here. And this has been building up since 
what, around Thanksgiving or so, is I'm trying to think of when they actually, in uh, Iraq, invaded Kuwait. Oh, and, earlier than that. We go, I think it happened in the, uh, August? Yeah, August. I mean, it, it, it yeah. was going that way for a while, so we knew something was going to happen. Then he goes ahead and it happens, and it's like, well, okay. And then we announce we're going in, and... You know, we didn't know at the time, at this moment, that it was going to take 100 hours of nonstop air bombing before, you know, and they, they did some stuff on the ground. But essentially, I mean, I think one of the the nicknames of this war was like the 100-hour war because they just went through and they blasted. But at this time, we had no idea. And, you know, this was not going to be Grenada. This was not going to be any of the smaller things that had been taking place. You know, this was America going into the Middle East once again, where things have not been good for them, you know, in recent times with regime changes and embassy bombings and kidnappings and all that sort of stuff, flight hijackings. And it was what are we going to face? You know, this is the company you know, the country that had been at war with Iran, our mortal enemies for all these years. We're going to be attacked with our own weapons. What's going to happen? It was a tense time. It was a very tense time, you know, it, again, it didn't last long. And in hindsight, it's kind of funny to even talk about it, that first initial war because of how it went in the way that we are. But we didn't know any of this then, you know, where, where we were rolling up on you know, the Super Bowl and, and that taking place. And will the Super Bowl even happen? How, you know, what's the security going to be like? And obviously we know how this affected WrestleMania or how it allegedly, you know, affected WrestleMania down the line. But we were still, again, in January at this point, you know, we, we didn't know. Yeah, my, I I have a, uh, you know, a family tie to this whole situation. My brother was a Marine Reservist at the time. And he was sent to 29 Palms, California, and he would have been on the next group out if the war didn't end. He was that close to going. So, yeah, I mean, it was nervous times in my household, for sure, <laughs> you know, with all this going on. So, um, And what was wild, too, Chris, is... You know, the obviously how it turned out and how we were watching, because we talked about this earlier in the show when it came to CNN and, and WCW, where Wolf Blitzer and Bernard Shaw and was it Martin? I forget the guys. Peter Arnett. Peter Arnett, you know, it, you know, it, reporting from there. And then, you know, by the time the second Gulf War comes around. You know, you everything. I mean, that was a made-for-TV war. And what we ended up finding about this war later on, too, with Schwarzkopf and Powell and some of the hearings and some of the things that we got and the technology we were able to see, you know, of roads, of, of attacking battalions and things like that. I mean, we didn't know it at the time of how ready we were for made-for-TV war. <laughs> I mean, essentially, and that's, you know, this is what really kind of spawned all that, too. Yeah, and, you know, the country was kind of still different here in 1991 as well, because it's still, you still left over from Reagan era America, you know, in the 80s, and the heavy patriotism. So the patriotism was still strong, strong here, stronger than it would be, you know, when the second war got going later on, you know, in, in 2002. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's just the country was different in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of that, too, was what really was mainly different about the 2000s and the Second War is the Internet, you know, being 
being strong at that at that point in time. It's not what it is now, but still, it's it's getting stronger and stronger as two thousands are going. So now you have that, and you add that into the twenty four hour television. So it, it brings a whole nother dynamic to everything, and it was just yeah. it's just interesting interesting time, and you know it. it I remember, I mean, I actually, I remember being, we were, everybody was glued to CNN. I mean, their ratings were astronomical in this era for all this stuff. Because everything, all the major things were like happening on there. So people were watching it, you know? They made it. Look, this is like, I mean, Fox News, I want to say that uh, the World Trade Center bombings made Fox News, but it, it with what they, how they treated their programming, how they did their cryons or chirons, how they, they went about marketing themselves and everything. And I'm not saying that, you know, like the, the war bump, but just, you know, you see what CNN did and you see what Fox did. And I'm not, again, it's a bad way to say a terrible thing to say that, you know, it helped build, but it became a destination spot for people where, like you mentioned, six thirty seven o'clock, unless they broke in with something throughout the day, that's essentially how most people at that time were still getting their stuff. But with the proliferation of cable, which still, you know, you actually passed people who had cable back then. Well, everybody had cable. It was a 90. No, they didn't. <laughs> you know, they didn't. It was the explosion huh. that happened then. And like you mentioned, culturally, societally, how we shifted coming out of, you know, this was still like you mentioned, it was still George Bush senior. It was still coming out of the Reagan administration. We were still coming out of a time where. You know, again, we were still buttoned up. This was still the end of, of that era of things. And obviously with Clinton, with how a lot of things changed, you know, how we market races, because, again, you know, the Willie Horton ad and things that took place during the, you know, all of that. We, again, the, the shift became palpable. And then that cynicism where I'm not sure if we're ever going to get that type of patriotism back. I mean, we got it somewhat after 9-11. But still, I mean, to be, you know, again, they didn't talk to everybody, but that was, you know, in theory, as united as I can recall things being again, other than the initial fallout after nine 11, that was about as tight as the country was because again, everybody was going to be affected because everybody knew somebody who had the possibility of being sent off to die. And by this point too, we'd already been sending off reservists for a long time. Well, who do we know? Mostly, you know, we were in most of our lives, probably somebody who's at this point in the reserves or did a full unit and went into the reserves. So it's like, you know, again, everybody was touched by this. Yeah. Bix, and, you were uh, well, very young when all this was going I said you were very young when all this was going on. So I don't know how deep your memories are of this whole time period. I mean, I remember it was the first time there was a lot of like weird, you know, like rah-rah patriotism, but also even as a little kid, I mean, we talked about this when we did the Patreon show, you know, about, a, you know, a couple weeks after the, or I guess the week after this, and the surrounding events, that, um, even as a little kid, it struck me how commercialized this war was. Oh, well, I, I, I can tell you that for a fact. Guess, um, what, you know, one of the things I bought, I bought the- The trading uh, cards. Trading cards. I bought a box, the box of pro set trading cards about the war. I still got them. But did you buy the Whitney Houston single of the Star Spangled Banner at the no, end? No, no, I did not. But they sold a lot of those. <laughs> I think we had one of those in the house. I think it had a lot to do with the Giants winning too. But you know, still. Yeah. <laughs> now, also, so as far as TV ratings for news, I found an AP story from our week, January twenty third, uh, via the Baltimore Sun. Um, 
it has network N cable. Well, it has network NCNN stuff, but for context, I feel like we should have both. I'm not going to jump right to the CNN. So here's what it says. Los Angeles, AP. ABC Network News earned its highest ratings in history last week when the war in the Persian Gulf brought record numbers of viewers to television. More than 13 million American homes were tuned in were tuned to ABC News and Peter Jennings when U.S.-led attacks against Iraq began January 16th. ABC's total for January 14th to January 20th was about f- 4 million households higher than its closest network news competitor. ABC earned a 14.8 average rating. NBC and Tom Brokaw earned a 10.4 average rating for their war coverage, followed by CBS and Dan Rather with a 10.1, according to figures released yesterday by the A.C. Nielsen Company. The ratings cover the network's regular evening news broadcasts only. Each rating point represents 931,000 homes. The cable news network, whose highly celebrated reports periodically featured the only live transmissions from the Iraqi capital under siege, broke all cable ratings records... January 16th, by earning a 19.1 average. (laughs) That figure represents 10.8 million cable households uh, out of a total of 56.8 million. They mean CNN's universe. Uh, The Nielsen Broadcast Network ratings are averaged to reflect viewership among the nation's 93.1 million TV households. Cable ratings are averaged to reflect viewership among the nation's See, they actually have this wrong. Average, uh, uh, it says among the nation's 56.8 million cable subscriber homes, the two sets of ratings are not equivalent. They have it wrong. It's out of the net, it's out of the uh, universe of the network for cable ratings. So, are they, I guess they're doing the math out of 56.8. I just don't know if that's actually the total or the CNN total, or maybe, maybe just about everyone's carrying CNN. Maybe it's just that. Um, and then just a little bit more about general stuff uh, as far as other primetime ratings. So, yeah, so based on how this stuff is usually calculated, CNN had like 20 million people watching their coverage each night. Not surprised. My, my family was one of them. That's, uh... Did you ever go to school and demand to be called the Scud Stud? <laughs> no, but I, I mean, the, what's, the, the Scud missile was a a big you know, uh, word, big phrase in the lexicon of this country. Sorry, no, Patriot. Yeah. yeah. Was this it's a Patriot missile, yeah, absolutely. Man, well, man, the all those blue-leg Bart Simpson shirts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah, go you ahead. Know, I'll just get in one more thing here, just because Big brought up the Baltimore Sun, you know, for those interested. And obviously, if you're listening to this show, you have interest in deep dives and different things. But, you know, Kevin Callagher was the political cartoonist. I, I don't know if he still is. I don't think he is. He works for The Economist now. But if you want to see some great cartooning from that time, political cartoons, I mean, he's great anyway, but he was working at the Baltimore Sun at that time, and he was just kicking ass. And especially, you know, was a lot of the political cartoons and things like that, I mean, just amazing work when you go back and look at The Sun, you know, in, in that era, the late 80s, early 90s, into the mid-90s, he was fantastic. Yeah. All right, let's go to the wrestling. After running down the Royal Rumble, which is probably the best day of your event ever, Dave did have one serious subject to discuss. It's something that he feels more vehement about than anything having to do with this business in a long time. But let's get to the Rumble first. 
So there's your foreshadowing. In the non-televised opener, Jerry Sags and the Nasty Boys pinned Sam Houston, who's returned to WF for a fairly full schedule. Two two stars. Uh, no, he did not. Because <laughs> I don't think Sam Houston worked much more after this. I know he didn't work on television. Which is also interesting, because it's not like he's brought in as a local guy. They're in Miami. Yeah, maybe they were going to bring him in and something happened. I don't know. Hmm. But anyway, there's your dart match. I just have a Jerry Sags there, but oh well. The Rockers pinned the Orient Express in your opener in 1912 when Kato tried to slingshot Janani into a blow by Tanaka, but Michaels hit Tanaka, who bent over, and Janani leaped over and pinned Tanaka with a sunset flip. This was the best WF interview match since the 1987 Ricky Steamboat Randy Savage match at WrestleMania 3. While not a constant action, it was mainly action from the Rockers, but providing many exceptional moves. Clearly, Michaels is one of the most talented individuals inside the ring in this business right now. The Rockers did simultaneous dives to the roadside of the ring and off the top rope doing crossbody blocks simultaneously into the floor. It was long and mainly great, but there were two-minute nerve holds as a tribute to the wrestling career of Mr. Fuji. Four stars. Geez, even in 91, while they're still together, Janetti is getting underrated. Yeah, but this is, I think, 1991 is the year itself where Sean starts to stand out. Yes, I would agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. When he comes back back from the injury, it's like, I think, I think he had a fire lit under him mentally. Now that he had that injury and he's like, you know, I think he knew that I need to get out here and showcase myself to try to get them to split us up so I can go singles. Yes. And he did. And this match here, Dave's not lying. This this was the best WWE match since Steamboat Savage WrestleMania 3. Absolutely. Un- underrated Tanaka and Diamond. <laughs> you know, I still love it from, from Bad Company. I mean, they, well, they, 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 these two teams worked together in, in 88, 87, 88, so they have chemistry. Mm-hmm. And watch Tanaka in there with anybody, almost from the beginning of his career when there's tape on it. I mean, even in Charlotte in 84, when he does the stint there, I mean, how many bad Pat Tanaka matches have you seen that are his fault? (laughs) You know what I mean? He's just, he was so good. And and Diamond, I guess, when his head would be on straight and everything would be solid with him too, was just, he was, again, you know, you talk about guys who are underrated. Those two guys really, really were. The Sheets, the Sheet people, you know, always gave them the props. But yeah, you're right. As far as the general public, absolutely. And the Rockers in a way too, because I mean, they had their that that the title change that never aired that they, you know, abandoned and everything. But I mean it's never like they were pushed as the top babyface tag team in the promotion. Never were. Nope. No, and I think for older fans, and I could be wrong about this, but I mean, for me, it was a little bit like, I mean, they got made fun of so much for being the Midnight Rockers and getting mushed together. And, you know, and then you, obviously you watch them with Rose and Summers and you saw their worry. It's like they were really good, but still, I don't know if they rock and roll and the Fantastics, much less your your Road Warriors and your teams like that, your babyface teams like that. And it's like, you know, with that, there were a lot of great tag teams and a lot of, you know, tag teams that people latched onto. And I knew the Rockers, you know, I think history's been kinder to what the Rockers were because of Shawn Michaels' career and how the WWF has portrayed it. 
But you know, you know, as far as the shininess of it, I mean, they were they were opening the show here, and it was a really good match. But you know, I, I still don't think they had their due. Probably, it probably was this match that really gave them their due. And again, because of the dives and because of the fact that it was so flashy, you know, maybe it was around now where where people really started to latch on to them. Because I, you know, again, I don't think before that, you know, people they they gave them they respect them, but I, I really don't think they gave them their due. Yeah, Bix, your thoughts? At least for me and my friends as a kid, the Rockers were among our very favorites. You know, like, um, and it, I think it was one of those things, too, that it was kind of like a little bit of a frustration that they were so stagnant in terms of not really ever being presented as the top team or getting tag title shots or anything. You know, especially from the perspective of them marketing to kids and stuff, like, you have these guys who at this point also, you know, thanks to Julie Youngberg, I guess, have leveled up over everyone else in the promotion as far as cool ring gear and all that. Like, you would think they would have tried to do more with them just from the Vince, you know, colorful marketing perspective. Well, here's the thing. As, as I've said before in this show many times. Liability. <laughs> no, Vince McMahon does not know how to book babyface tag teams. Well, also, Vince McMahon does not know how to book that kind of babyface period. Exactly, but but, the, but those babyface tag teams in particular, because that's not how he, that's not the wrestling he learned from. Mm-hmm. Because you look at the most successful babyface tag teams in the WWF and WWF in the early days, they were like two guys just thrown together. You know, and then There's the two mo- guys together, oh, go ahead. Two guys thrown together that were traditional babyfaces and mainly ethnic, because that's what they did. Whether it be Gurian Zabisco, Gurian Martel, Tony Alzaraki Johnson, you know, Wyndham and Rotondo yeah. were. Barnett and Rivera. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I mean, but again, going back to look at what he learned from, you know? Yeah. That's what he learned from. And that's where a lot of Vince's things come from, even to this day, is, you know, from that era that he learned from his dad. What was successful back then? Big man territory. No, tag teams. You know, we make, make makeshift tag teams. You know, we have dom- heel tag teams that are, you know, dominant forces. But Bayface teams are makeshift teams. You put two guys together and lump them up. I mean, there's there's a lot of the stuff that even to this day he does that it comes from watching his father in his 60s and 70s. I'd love to so. know why the Bulldogs were the only ones that Vince really booked as if they could be a main event attraction. He believed them. He looked at them. He believed them. I mean, I think that might have something to do with it. You look at them and you go physically and you go, okay, the, the, the height issue, but I mean, dynamite was a maniac. I mean, I'm sure he looked at Davy boy and thought, Oh, you know, maybe one day, you know, <laughs> well, well, it, it, then he well, got so massive. He was undeniable to Vince or, or, Maybe it's the fact that who else you got? I mean, the killer bees were there, but... But yeah, but I mean, no one after is really tried like that. That's what I always throws me about that. They're putting, they're used as main eventers on house shows more than, you know, of the expansion and beyond, you know, certainly more than anyone else, heel or babyface, tag team champions wise. They seem to do well in that position and then just that's it. They they were the exception to the rule, you know. Anyway, basically what they were. Let's move on. All right, 
Angle time. Interviewed Randy Savage backstage, and he said that Sardis Slaughter promised him a title shot when he would win the title later in the show. Mr. Sean Mooney asked, what if Ultimate Warrior won? And Savage said that Sherry would take care of that. So Sherry came out from the crowd and did a long L-O-N-G interview with Mean Gene. She was all dressed up to not look like every evil spirit in the Western world had possessed her. For all her talents, the one thing Sherry doesn't do well is talk. But finally, and this is scary to say, Warrior came out to save the interview. Let's go to the clip, shall we? As uh, Warrior comes out, and yeah, Sherry was droning before Warrior come out. She was starting to get in that territory where she it's got it's time to get the hook out, like the Apollo. But here comes the Warrior and his great jacket, and uh, let's go to uh, to this. And yeah, Sherry is not wearing the scary Sherry makeup or nothing like that. She looks like a normal person. She does, but she's also not wearing the normal person Sherry makeup exactly either. No, she's kind of like a half glam, so to speak. Yes. As a matter of fact, I think that you're yellow from the top of your head to the bottom of your toes. Well, where are you at, warrior? Why don't you come on out here? I can tell you a few things about your precious ultimate warrior. I She's using her regular promo voice, too. Look out! You asked for it, you got it! What about it? Yeah, what about it, warrior? You're so honorable. You're such a wonderful champion. Are you willing to grant the Macho King should you win your WWF title tonight? Should you retain it? Will you give the Macho King Randy Savage a title shot? I've admired you for a long time, warrior. You know, I've looked into those great, big, beautiful, hazel eyes of yours. And as a matter of fact, I've often looked at your lips and wondered what it would be like. And also, I've always looked at your chest and wondered what it would be like to touch your chest. As a matter of fact, I've often admired you from afar, warrior. This strong, broad, wide back. And your hair, it's, it's very wonderful. I've often wondered what it would be like seeing you with the wind blowing through your hair. So what's it going to be, warrior? 
Are you honorable? Are you brave? Are you going to give the Macho King a title match if you retain that belt tonight? Come on, warrior. Can't you talk to me? Come on. What's it going to be? Come on, warrior. Can't you say something to me? She's using her phone sex background in this. Uh, oh, that's the most wonderful, the most thrilling thing that has ever happened to me. Please, as I look into your wonderful face and I know the champion that you are and the honorable man that you are, I know that you would grant the Macho King his title shot. Come on, warrior. Gets on her knees. Are you going to grant the Macho King a title match? Come he on, just put warrior. his hand in his pocket. Tell everybody what an honorable man that you are. Warrior what a smiling. brave and wonderful champion you are, warrior. What is it to you? Come on. Aren't you going to give the Macho King his title match? Just say yes to me. That's all I want from really? you. Is that what he was doing? That is all I yes. want from you, warrior. <sighs> Just put yeah. down. Right in my face. didn't hear me while this was going on I did say that Sherry was using her phone sex background there to uh, well we don't know work. that she did phone sex per se we know she did an ad for phone sex lines that's the joke Bix I know but that's <laughs> that's a pretty obscure one Chris <laughs> she should have done phone sex with that voice but uh, <laughs> what a non sequitur in so many ways that was <laughs> but, but the thing the, the, the thing is is that we talked about her not wearing the makeup that's probably the reason why is because she's doing what she was doing there. She can't do that in the full scary Sherry regalia. Yeah, but don't they find that kind of thing attractive in Parts Unknown? 
he does have paint on himself there i feel bad for the cows how many cows had to die i always felt bad for the cows that died for the eight ball jackets and the fat tube making a difference looking jackets some some cow had to die for that usa jacket that warrior was wearing yeah warrior was decked out he had his uh white tights with the usa flag and his u.s face paint the jacket with usa oh yeah he was he was full patriotic here and i think uh, he has the long sleeveless warrior ring robe Later, that's red, red, and yeah. red, red, and blue. Yeah, but yeah, he did great. I thought, and and what he did, and he had to, and he had to say that but one word. So um, anyway, here's what Dave said, and then we'll you know we'll have if you have any more, we'll talk about it. He said Sherry asked where to give Savage next title match, which Dave notes it's ignoring that Warrior was put to defend the title against Savage already every night from now till WrestleMania. <laughs> <laughs> But she started rubbing his, she started rubbing his chest, his hair, his back, saying how she admired him, talked about their lips touching. Then she got on her knees. Luckily, Dave said, "I don't have a dirty mind because I didn't have the slightest idea what they were trying to portray here." Sure, but anyway, Warrior said, "No," the same words he said when they wanted to teach him some new wrestling moves. <laughs> and Savage started throwing furniture backstage, ran out to the ring, but Warrior was gone. <laughs> There are a reason that a lot of us continue to watch the NWA and look at that as our wrestling first. <laughs> well, well, you know, it, you could say that, but this era is also, I mean, NWA, we're not there yet, but we're about to get into the Oz era. So uh, and <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's starting to get tough, tough, tough times. I would say, why did everybody, you know, man, people really, their knowledge of 93 All Japan is really strong. Well, there's a reason for that. We There wasn't much choice for a lot of people. But then what, what was funny is that, you know, in 91, you kind of get a shift because WF starts going to a, they're more adult direction as WCW is going to more of a cartoon direction. It's very weird how 91 went down in yes. wrestling. Real, and, uh, real quick, before, uh, I you know we're not up to slaughter warrior yet, but I'm queuing up the finish for when we get there. Um, does anything sum up WWF wrestling and its esoteric weirdness in the ring that is more than slaughter putting the camel clutch on warrior with warrior's feet completely outside of the ring and the referee not caring? <laughs> because he, he doesn't see it, but he can't see it. He can't see it. It's his angle. You know, I don't you got, think that's what they're going for. Oh no, here. Oh no, okay, he did. He's breaking. See, you just, you just totally just blew your whole thing. There, he's breaking, making a break the hole. But anyway, all right. So, but, next... but bad ring awareness for for uh, Mr. Hepner there, though, for thinking oh. that Warrior had midget legs then to be that close yeah. to the ropes trapped in that move. Yeah. yeah. Also, one of these days, though, we got to find out what was this change. Basically, as soon as it turned to 1991, where they decided to go in a more adult slash hardcore slash whatever direction. I can tell you what it is. That's when Jake, Jake starts getting booking power. So was he doing in the meetings with Vince and Bruce and Pat or? Mm hmm. Uh, yeah. Makes, I mean, that that's when all this starts. Because what happened? What happened? Who's the who's the key part of all this? In the starting with storylines, starting with starting with the earthquake feud, going into the the warrior Jake. Yeah, Jake gets renewed. You know, and that's another thing too. 
is, you know, Dave talks about Savage. We'll, we'll, we'll wait. We'll, we'll, I'll wait to talk about Savage when we get to the, the title thing. All right, Big Boss Man pinned the Barbarian in 14-14 by reversing the bot, flying body press and rolling it for the pin. First part of the match was downright awful. They didn't touch until the two-minute mark. Did a few decent moves. They did a bear hug spot. Their last two and a half minutes. From that point on, it was excellent. With the two trading one hot move at, after another, near falls until the finish, two and three-quarter stars. He is greatly underselling this match as well as the first half of this match. This match is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it would have been a lot better at eight, but still, I mean, boss man is, boy, could he go. God, he can move. And yeah, Barbarian didn't advance a whole lot, but I mean, he held up to his end of the deal. And again, just boss man is the one that just is amazing how well he was able to move and how good he was then. And Barbarian and Barb especially because he's jacked to the bejesus in this time period. So the fact that where he is physically to be able to do the stuff he was doing was pretty impressive. Yes. And because this is Lee Haney, uh, Lee Haney TV show era barbarian where he's just, (laughs) just muscles on muscles at this point in time. Yes. And also they have, they have a match that's almost as good, um, Forget if it's the week before or week after, but it, it's a week apart at Cops Coliseum that also has worked pretty differently, surprisingly, for a around-the-horn WWF match at this time. So yeah. these two just had excellent chemistry, and Bossman, as a singles, he might be the best worker in the company in 1991. He's, he's very stout in everything he's doing, absolutely. And he's he he's surprisingly chameleon-like because... When you have him against Barbarian, even Barbarian here, or even someone like Ted DiBiase in their MSG match, he makes you believe that someone can get heat on him with a bear hug. Yeah. Yeah. That. yeah. yeah. Even even Ted DiBiase. Now, Ted DiBiase is a deceptively large person, but still, like, that's not something you would expect, but it works. Mm-hmm. But, but yes, if you like yourself some big lads wrestling, definitely watch the, the matches between these guys. Yeah. All right, well, next we get the title match. Third match on the card. Sergeant Slaughter won their title from the Anabolic Warrior in 1245. Yippee! <laughs> Warrior comes out wearing red, white, and blue. Thankfully, WF doesn't condone Sergeant Slaughter, so he didn't bring General Adnan out with him, and they didn't wave the Iraqi flag to infuriate an already riled mob. Oh, they did. But the first two minutes were great, with Sarge trying to relive 1981, taking one great bump after another. Well, at this point, poor Sarge is blown up. And Warrior, who basically stood the, still the whole time Sarge was taking these awesome bumps, wasn't in any better shape. Well, out comes Sherry to save the day. Sherry trips up the Warrior, jumps out of the ring, and chases her down the aisle. Randy Savage, hiding behind some TV equipment, jumps out. This Warrior clothesline hits him with a TV light stand. Sarge kept breaking up the count while Warrior laying crawled around for three minutes to get back into the ring. After two minutes of not-so-hot action... When Warrior has to do the selling, and Sarge has to rely on his generally weak-looking offense, it's not good. They went to a two-minute bear hug, then a camel clutch with Warrior in the ropes. Slaughter got up like he had won, but then Warrior started to come back. Sherry came out again, got in the ring. Warrior press-slammed her, heaved her way over the top rope into the awaiting arms of Savage. That Sherry deserves to make more money just by anyone in the company except for a guy like Hogan, who puts people in the seats. Anyway, behind the rest back, Savage hit Warrior with a scepter, which splattered everywhere. Slaughter pinned and won the title. As a wrestling match, there was nothing to this after the first two minutes. We give their credit enough to know these guys can only go two minutes without outside help. 
help. So they sent out the best outside help in the world. And really, this thing was very entertaining because of those not involved in the match itself. Three and a half stars. I thought this thing went longer. <laughs> I didn't realize it only went 1245. I'll be damned. It yeah. seemed longer, yeah. Well, but... also, I forgot there was such a long gap between the run-in and the finish. And the, yeah. the initial run-in and the finish, I should say. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. okay. The clip I queued up, I think, is after the camel clutch. So this is after yeah. the Savage Warrior stuff. Which, by no, the, the way, first run. I mean, this you know what I mean. But... But also, like you watch, you watch how this was recapped on TV. You think it goes straight from Savage beating up Warrior to Warrior getting back in the ring to Savage hitting him with the scepter to the pin. But no, it goes on several minutes. So let's see what we got here. Oh, 
You don't play as a gentleman. Here it comes. Here is the official decision. The winner of this bout and new no! world no! and federation champion. show how ooh differently people age here because slaughter looks so old here yeah he's 42 i know yeah. <laughs> i know yeah he looked terrible there at least as somebody that was growing up you know and again being more of an nwa fan and apologist and i wasn't overly thrilled with <laughs> all everything that was going on with slaughter and now you know because as a wrestling fan i was insulted by the fact that it's like well this general adnan sheik al casey and now he's teaming up with sergeant slaughter and the iron sheik is here it just the whole thing was as like colonel mustafa mustafa is just like i but you know again once again as a wrestling fan you know, the, the wwf has insulted me in that way but yeah, they've always changed names for god's sakes yeah and just did seeing him and slaughter it just <laughs> You know, you you see him in the same gear in you know eighty four. He just he looked completely different. He looked so old. He looked it just it it looked weird. And then him with that I forgot about that damn lavender slash purple belt that the warrior had. So like this visual of this going, it was just surreal. It was surreal as a wrestling fan. It was a surreal thing because of what was going on in the country. Just everything about it was like this is just. This is wild. This is weird. Yeah. I'm telling you. Yeah. Here's the thing, here's the thing though, you know, um, and we talk about Savage here, and Dave talks about Warrior and Savage going around the horn. I didn't put this in the notes, but it was in one of the other newsletters. There may have been a torch. But they're talking about Savage being involved in this and like talk about how how Savage had been cooled off so much for the back half of ninety that he was now being put in this world title, well, not world title program anymore, but with w the warrior program, it's like, uh, wow, you put him on ice and then now you put him in the warrior. Now, you know, why not, why not have put him in the warrior in, in the winter of 90, you know, maybe warrior could have been maybe more successful as a house show draw with Savage as, as a dance partner, you know, you mean putting him with the one top heel who he, hasn't had a previous program with and isn't Ted DiBiase. Yeah, because, I mean, the back half of 1990, I mean, he's... Savage isn't doing anything. So, yeah. 
it, 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 the was, reason it, was for that though with Savage not doing anything and how he was maybe to deal with too in, in those moments. I don't even remember. Does he have a Survivor Series team? Savage? Uh, I don't know if he was a captain or not. I don't think he was a captain. Hmm. I'm looking now. Uh, Survivor Series. As I scroll down. Alright, so... Because Dusty, they blow off at SummerSlam. Yeah, Demolition with Mr. Perfect. You got DiBiase Undertaker, Rhythm and Blues. You got Model Warlord, Power and Glory. You got Earthquake, Bravo, Haku, and the Barbarian. No, no Savage. Yeah, he just issues a challenge here to Warrior, but that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder what was going on there. Uh, and they, here's the thing. They'd already been working house shows. They worked all Christmas week house shows against each other. So, in fact, they're, they're married with, well, you know, I, I look, look kind of foolish, I guess. They're married throughout the whole month of December. Every warrior, every, I mean, just like every warrior matches with Savage. So, they're doing this angle where Sherry's begging for a title shot when they're going around the horn as in a feud. Didn't happen on TV. Didn't happen. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm in November and they're married with, in November. Holy shit. This is way more than I, I remembered. Yeah. Two months, two months of warrior savage. <laughs> I'm trying to see I, when, when their first match is. They wrestled twice in Indianapolis on the same night. Oh, there! Oh, we're in October. Okay, the first Warrior Savage match is October 26th at the Meadowlands, and they and they go around the horn for the rest of the year. So you're doing this angle three months after you started Warrior Savage as a house show for you. Wow. During which he's been getting title shots that he's angry he's not getting. <laughs> yeah. And which anyone in any of those many cities where you're doing that in those markets is going to know from watching your TV. And, and, and you know what? This, this Rumble was in Miami, correct? Yes. They wrestled in Miami on November 30th in a title match. Hmm. <laughs> oh man you know you talked earlier on about the production and how you know memory wise it does feel like you know it, there was the there was the attack outside and then they were backing in the scepter and boom bang and that's what it was and it's like what eight where were we eight years in to vince owning this company now and then having you know uh, control more than eight and, and a half yeah so, and then, you know, how they, again, don't give a shit, <laughs> you know, when it comes to, because it didn't happen on TV, didn't really happen, or, you know, again, we'll justify it some other way. Boy, this is just rolling right now. Again, you're right. Exactly. If it did happen on TV, it ain't happening. But it did happen on TV because the house show promos are on TV. <laughs> No, but the matches weren't. In market, it yeah, at least, it yeah. wasn't nationwide. Exactly. Sean Mooney pitching to it. That's it. And exactly. by the way, I mean, just to be clear too, that is the last Miami show before the Rumble. Yes. 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 
how lucky and granted they were loaded with good workers. You could have did something, but like how lucky was, were they to have Ted DiBiase, Rick Rude and Randy Savage for ultimate warrior to work with. I mean, I mean, other people could have filled that role, but you know, at least Rude had some knowledge of him before he got there, you know, DiBiase, I mean, just, you know, work wise. And still this was, that was always the best you could get out of the ultimate warrior. You know, I tell here's another thing too. You know, which, which major market never got that match? New York. Mm, New Mass- York. Madison Square Garden. Yeah. That's what. There you go. If it ain't happened at the Garden, Garden didn't. Yeah, it didn't happen. <laughs> it's just that simple. Because what, 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 what house shows are on TV every week, every month? Garden. Exactly. They did Chicago. They did LA. Sure, they did DC, Landover. They did probably. Chicago twice. October 27th and then December 29th. Boston? Austin, Texas. Oh, no, Boston. A uh, Boston? Uh, well, it's not on TV anymore, but let me check and see. Um, Austin Garden. Uh, no. Didn't do Boston Garden. So, Philly, they did. Oh, see, because that's a, like, so Philly, if they did Philly and Landover, because it's like, if they didn't do any of those, it's like, hmm, well. They, that, did, that... They, did, they did Philly on the 15th of December, Landover, uh, no Landover. Hmm. Philly was the only major market in the Northeast to get, and they, and they only did Baltimore one time in 1990, period. So, yeah. There you go. And let me, all right, Bay Area is another big market for them. So let me check Bay Area. All right. Uh, no to the Cow Palace. Let me try Oakland. Uh, Oakland, they did November 11th. So they did Oakland. But yeah, no New York, no Boston, no Landover. So that's what it is. They're getting ready for the Northeast. The big northeast cities other than Philly. I guess so. And Mania. It's the Mania match. Yes. But to do this type of angle, though, I guess, like I said, it's just tough to do because he's been in Russell so many fucking times. So, anyway. All right. Instead of risking a riot to having intermission, they did the next best thing. It's in a basic unknown. The Mountie. Jacques Rougeau out with Coco Beware. It really wasn't bad at all, but nobody cared, nor could any two wrestlers get any heat at that point in time. Rougeau won in 9.05. Both tried. Rougeau does some nice tie-up moves. <laughs> at first glance, the gimmick was pretty lame, though. Star on three-quarter. I like how he doesn't even say what the finish was. Little does Dave know what the mounting would turn into. Hmm. <laughs> Gimmick-wise and, you know, heat-wise, but... But this, yeah. would be, uh, this would be Mountie winning by submission with the carotid control technique, right? <laughs> yes. Did he lead to that with one of these tie-up moves? <laughs> Are they like hot moves? Dude, what, is, what does that mean? What is that? Because I, I can't remember this match to save my life. So could a hot <laughs> could a tie-up can. move be a hot move? I'm just, just asking. I don't know. <laughs> hot moves, hot moves. All right, uh, so next we get Ted DiBiase and Virgil beating Dusty and Dustin Rhodes as the head of WCW creative Dusty Rhodes this time in 9.57. Basically a backdrop for the long-awaited DiBiase-Virgil split. Dusty missed a charge to the buckle and was pinned by Teddy. 
Messed it up pretty bad. Gorilla was wrong again when describing which ligament in the knee they were working over. But the breakup itself after the match couldn't have been done better. Ted beat up Virgil just for the finish of the match. DiBiase did tell Virgil to pick up his belt on the mat, put it around his waist. After a very lengthy, dramatic pause, Dave loved how the WF doesn't rush his angles. <laughs> if only now. Uh, Virgil clocked Teddy with the belt hard. Teddy got a slight hard way cut and walked off. Match deserves one star, but the angle itself was four stars. Two and a quarter stars altogether. All right, let's watch this, and then we'll talk about it. Uh, but that's okay. So the type of guys that can come back. DiBiase's got oh. the mic, Conrad. Oh, boy. Well, this ought to be enlightening. If I sit and watch, I've said it a million times. Everybody has a price for the million-dollar man. And nobody... Nobody crosses the million dollar man without paying a price. And tonight, Rhodes, you and that punk kid of yours paid the price. Now, Virgil, you idiot, you paid the price before too. Get my million dollar belt and get in this ring. And put it around my waist. Now! Boy, did I waste a dinner. Well, hey, I'm, I'm a Scotsman. It and he'll do it pay. because money talks louder than anything. Look at the eyes on Virgil. Get the belt to Virgil now! Now! Oh, Virgil. I understand you gotta keep it dry. I'm not paying you to take your time. Get the belt. There comes a point. Uh, obviously, Virgil don't have no point. I wash my hands of it, man. One more lesson from the million dollar man right here. Now get in here and wrap that thing around my waist. Story of your life, huh, Virgil? Wait! Yes! What do you think you're doing? You get down there and you pick that belt up right now and you wrap it around my waist. Need I tell you, need I remind you one more time about your family, about your mother? Give me a break. Virgil, memory just don't matter. Pick it up! Remember, Virgil, there comes a point. And wrap it around my waist. Come on, Wardlow, you don't need him. For the rest of your life? <laughs> I was humiliated. <laughs> That's right. And That's it? right. Like I always say, everybody's got a price.
By the way, I mean, we saw this with some other editors. This is very obviously not just straight up the pay-per-view version because there are some weird audio edits you can tell when they're going from segment to segment. But, man, you know, Mike Jones was never a great wrestler or a great performer overall. The way he gets the crowd to react to that tiny little shift in his posture while he's on his knees with the belt is brilliant. He's brilliant, period. And everything he does here, he does yes. nothing. It's all facials and body movement. And it's perfect. And, and DiBiase's fucking fantastic. That's yeah. it. And you know, and I don't, who the hell am I to speak, you know, for another man, let alone another culture, anything like that. But listen to DiBiase's voice. And you know what the, the relationship has been. You know what this whole thing has been, you know, unless you're a, a vegetable so it was just a belief to see Virgil just look up and again, holding his jaw and just staring a whole from DiBiase is that voice and that, you know, I was a plantation owner voice of DiBiase there, but that, that just, I mean, just, just chopping them down. And then, like you said, again, people who haven't seen it need to go back and watch it to see Virgil pick that thing up. And then Kabong DiBiase in the head with it. The whole thing was fucking awesome. There was no hyperbole from Dave here in the newsletter when it came to that one. He wasn't lying about it. That was truth. And the thing is, is that, you know, this thing had been been built. And it, yeah. I just watched the episode of Primetime Wrestling the other day. It was from Marchish, Aprilish. And they're, this is the era where they're they're and Vince and Bobby are doing it. And Virgil was the guest. And they were like showing this highlight package of Vir- what has stuff that Ted had made Virgil do ever since they were together. And, and, and it makes you it makes you realize this has been building up since 1987. Yes. They have yeah. been building this to happen. I mean it, it whenever they were gonna pull the trigger on it, but there were times when they showed this. You know, stuff that he was doing, making him do, even back then, that he would make these expressions, facial expressions, like, you know, fuck this guy, you know, something like that. He would do that. So you you always could notice it. Even back then, this, okay, this guy, he doesn't want to do this shit, but he's doing it because he has to. But they parceled it out, though. It was not constant. No. It was not constant. No, absolutely not. But there were, it was moments where, and then they, and then they would dig those moments, all those moments out and put them in that video. And it's like, wow. Yeah, there you go. It's almost like they used to book pro wrestling. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's, and look at things in advance and, and give you a little and then take it back. Is this the time? Put your toe in the water. Nope. Let's keep riding, you know, and just <laughs> everything about it. And that's, it was well, a. This, seg- this segment in general, like Dave said, the the way that D- the way they made it go as far as length, where DBS is just talking and talking and talking, it's building it up. It's building the heat and making the heat more and more, more. And Piper as well. 
you know, you say what you want about Roddy Piper in this era. But with the Virgil stuff, I mean, he's really effective in getting all this over. Absolutely. His relationship with Virgil. Yes. Yeah. And um, again, the head of WCW Creative is working on the Royal Rumble here. Yes. And, and, Cody, and, Cody, and Cody Rhodes even in the Forbidden Door, huh? <laughs> and well, also, how great is it that the Virgil face turn happens on the last night in the company for Virgil Runnels? Yeah. But again, Code, your old man invented the Forbidden Door for you, dude. So there you go. Because he's God, already Dustin. started his Booker, right? He's already started. Yeah. He, I mean, the the Royal Rumble is what the twenty first. He's already in the office. Isn't it wild? Like Rumble's Dustin, on the nineteenth. Royal Rumble's on the nineteenth. Dustin basically start. started on TV after Dusty got fired. In the Dustin's first World Championship Wrestling appearance was February sixteenth. He was on the February third or fourth taping. So, so but, but it's like, but I mean, initially, and so, and that's what I meant. Like initially, like when Dusty was fired by Turner in '88, like you know, went through to Starcade. Like Dustin just started. So there's Dustin on TV. Then Dusty goes. Dustin goes with him. We have this stuff. It's just <laughs> his career started off. You know, it's amazing he's lasted this long because, again, if it was up to the sheet writers and readers, you know, he, they they both would have been dead, buried underground. Dustin never would have had a career. But how his career, the way he went back and forth, people talk about Jeff Jarrett. It's amazing how Dustin has gone back and forth and under the situations and the circumstances he has like this going out here as his father is now already head of creative in, in, in WCW. It's bizarre. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. But again, this shows you how much Vince respected Dusty Rhodes. Hmm. You know, as we talked about on the, the show we did last month, that Vince let Dusty, you know, finish it out and everything. And, you know, everything went about as well as it could have. So, yeah. He got his revenge on Dusty. He he showed Dusty that he was more man than Dusty, and that was enough. Now you can go back now. But I mean, Flair in some of the in the same way, and well, not exactly the same way, but you know, when Flair went back, it's just like eh, all used up. You know, we, we saw you here. We know what you can do here. I like you, but bye. <laughs> yeah, well, and they had to get Lex Luger, so there's that. Mm. The trade. All right, so let's go to the Royal Rumble. The immortal and shameful Hulk Hogan throughout the charismatic earthquake to win the Royal Rumble in 65-16. This was the worst of the four Rumbles thus far. They kept lots of guys in, for, in the ring for long periods of time, but like other years when guys like Kurt Henning, Bret Hart, and Shawn Michaels had their best working shoes on and carried the action for the dog workers, it's when everyone that was just told to go out there and punch and kick and do little that was worked out. There were almost no high spots. And nobody took any kind of special bumps being eliminated. Since Hogan already told us he was going to win before the thing started by guaranteeing his victory for the troops abroad. Up until that interview, I hadn't, Dave hadn't had as much fun, as much of a show for me in promotion, but this degree of exploitativeness sent his blood pressure up to levels it's never reached before. And was real long and kind of boring, actually, waiting for the inevitable. Red Hart started with Dino Bravo, which is already a bad start. Then came Greg Valentine, who had signed an exclusive full-time contract with just prior to the event. So he's out of future dates, including those he's already agreed to previously. He threw out Bravo at 309. Then came Paul Roman, carried by Eric, followed by Rick Martel, Saba Simba, and Butch Miller. 
Martel dumped Saba Simba in 1241. Jake was in next, then Hercules. One funny spot was when Hercules forgot to sell Carrie's clothesline. Then came Tito Santana and the Undertaker. Undertaker threw out Brett in 2038. Snooker came in. Undertaker threw out Butch Miller in 2230. Davy Boy and Smash came in. Martel eliminated Jake in 2714. Hawk and Shane Douglas came in. Undertaker dumped out Carrie, and Hawk threw out Snooker at 3031. Dave thought Roma was dumped somewhere here, but he's got no idea where. Randy Savage was supposed to come out next, but he never did. As though no doubt say he was attacked in the dressing room by a warrior. Too bad. We had official TAC timers timing the 30-yard or so sprint down the aisle, which is the only thing making the match entertaining by this point. Let's find out who could would come out next and to time their sprint. And Savage and Kerhane were the odds on favor supposed to best times. Times posted later. Animal was next. They took Undertaker with double clothesline 34-47. Martel then got Hawk out there in 34-52. Then Crush, Doug, and Earthquake entered. Quake dumped uh, Animal in 40-54. Perfect. Took his sweet time coming out. His official time to saunter in 30 yards was 35.47 seconds. Challenging Andre the Giant is the slowest his time in Royal Rumble history. But at least he did dump Doug in at 43-04. Then Hogan came out, and he dumped Smash at 44-40. Haku came in. Valentine went 46 minutes before he got out, which means he was in the ring for 44 minutes. As the story goes, this was punishment for working Herb Abrams' days in New York. The company says Valentine was under contract, couldn't stop from working Indies, but they weren't too happy to work for McMahon's enemy, Mr. Herb Abrams. What punishment? It takes 20 minutes just for him to get warmed up. That's the joke I said earlier, Biggs. <laughs> I say, what was Rick Martell's punishment then? <laughs> Do you know the story about why the, what the sheet said, the reason why WF uh, was going after Abrams hard here? Mm-mm, I don't remember, actually. I mean, I'm sure I read it. But... Because he had the gall to run across the street from Matt Gregor. That's right. Yeah. How dare he? How dare almost, he run across the street? <laughs> almost like they have a history of this pettiness. Well, that's just the way it is. Well, look at Crockett. Look at all the pettiness they did toward town. All right, Jim Neidhart came in. Quake dumped Tito in 48-47. Luke Williams came in. Quake put him back out in 21 seconds. Brian Niles came in. Yes, because Saz was earlier. Dumped Hercules 53-58. Warlord came in. Hogan dumped Crush 54-54. Hogan dumped Warlord 55-56. The last guy in was Tugboat. Someone dumped Shane Douglas in 56-56. Hulk dumped Tugboat. A few in about nine months. In 58-55. And yes... There was some foreshadowing going on there, but doesn't get taken advantage of. Uh, Davy Boy dropped Pittsburgh in 5904. Martel threw out 959 Davy dumped Haku in 5944. Davy closed line Martel at 6038. So Martel was in 52 minutes. Dave doesn't even want to speculate what he did to cause that. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't make his partner quit this time. Earthquake and Nas threw out Davy in 6107, leaving Hogan with Nas and Quake. Quake gave him a big splash in the earthquake, but of course he popped up and with superpowers eliminated Nas with a kick that missed by a foot in 6226 or 6228. Hulk collapsed from body slam, then Quake squashed him a few times before we had yet another Superman comeback. Body slam, close out over top. Two and a quarter stars. Um, before we go to the clip of the final four. So the year before, Hogan gets all pissed off at Sid for eliminating him even though it's every man for himself big boy in the year late year later yeah you know what i mean yes a year the year before that hogan mm-hmm. does the same thing to tugboat mhm no wonder the fans reacted like hogan was turning by reacting like an asshole 
thing. Yeah, and Tubbo, I think Tubbo was attacking Hogan in this match. But still. I know, but I'm saying but that Tubbo came in was 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 bringing some offense to Hogan. But yeah, we never got the Hogan tugboat feud or typhoon feud. So there's that. But. Yeah. Anyway, here we go. Look at those last guys in. I'm sorry. Just Sting and Soprano. If Brian uh, picks out, very uh, close to being out there for 53 minutes. A new record. I don't care who you are and what no. you think of them. It's the Hulkster, Davy Boy. Sorry, it's the Hulkster against Earthquake and one of the Nasty Boys. Things change fast here, girl. I don't like the Hulk's chances here. One of the Nasty Boys, huh? Look at that Nasty Boy, man. Look at him (laughs) take a talk. He says, put that spotlight on me. Look at at that teaming up here. They just started with a company. Oh, don't let that fool you. Yeah, I was about to say. How are that? Why are they getting used this well? Hogan's not friends with them yet. Well, no. Nah. I was wondering about that. You look at the end of this. It's like people Hogan might want to hang out with. Perfect. Haku, Nightheart, Luke, Knobs, Warlord, Tugboat. <laughs> they all seem like Hogan, like Davey. somewhere in the yeah. the sphere. Yeah, I mean, that Noms is in here. Sags have been in the dart match, but yeah, you know, it is interesting to see. Is Jim Hart even their manager yet? They, their TV debut was on the 29th of December, and this is on the 19th. So I guess the idea is to put, is they wanted another Jimmy Hart guy with Earthquake at the end. I guess, but there, there weren't any other ones, you know? Well, Bravo was in at the beginning. Early, yeah. Who else is he managing at this point? Uh, Honky's not wrestling. I mean, Honky's basically gone, yeah. So it's Earthquake, Bravo, Nasty Boys. That's it, ain't it? I think so. I'm looking at the list here. Yeah, I can't think of anybody else. Because Heenan... But they haven't played it up on commentary, at least that we've seen. Heenan's hell? Wait, what is... He's not matched by nobody. Heenan's, Heenan's got Perfect, Barbarian, and Haku. the Haku. Yeah. Um, Slick's got uh, Power and Glory, Warlord... Previously Martell, but not yeah, but that's way, way yeah. before this. Yeah, so yeah, Fuji Fuji had. I don't know if Fuji had anybody in the Rumble or not. Demolition, Demolition, yes. So yeah. Oh, Ooh. oh, it's not over yet. Earthquake, oh, high five. What? I don't. <laughs> Deception there. I don't believe that high five for a second. Look at that little pipsqueak, the Colonel, trying to get these two guys to work together and work over the Hulkster. Uh-oh. Here comes oh, the he's quick. calling him the Colonel, even though... Oh, we're not going to No! No! Move! Things do not look good for the Hulk. Uh, that looked good, but it wasn't a... They're 
Interesting. What? Piper and Monsoon ignore Hogan's second Hulk up. Yeah, because it wasn't as impressive as the first one. They already did the first one. Yeah, I wonder if he's even he even had called these earlier because like, wouldn't the big spot be out be hulking up out of the earthquake splash? Yeah, that should have been. Mason wonder if they Mason wonder if they screwed it up. This that they did that too early. Or something. And also, I, I guess he had him with more than one on Brother Love, but still, it does feel like it kind of prostitutes their whole big feud for him to do the Hulk up out of the Earthquake Splash. In a way. Look at that! Hulkster right now seems to be impervious to pain! Fans yelling you long before that became a popular thing. Former champion winding him up. Look out, there's that size 16. You tried that before and it didn't work. Look at what you're doing, damn it. Look at what you're doing. This does feel like the finish was supposed to come earlier when something got messed up. Earthquake doesn't have a clue. Yeah, it does. He's setting him up here. Look out. It's over. What a rumble. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's one of those matches where you can tell it's falling apart. Didn't mean to unpause that. Where you can tell that it's a fall, falling apart, but you aren't exactly sure why. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, too, it's too much at, at the end, Mike. I think it, it, exactly something something got crossed up somewhere. Yeah, because it just seems like it gets dragged out, or you know, whatever happens there, where it just gets extended and just earthquake. Really, you know, I'm not. Look at how he went out of the ring. Look at some of the selling there by him. I mean, it's it's not exactly high art here. So I don't know what signals did get crossed. Maybe he was, again, whatever confusion was going on there. It was not a, it, it was not picture perfect. And on top of that, you know, at the time, I don't really remember, you know, that being the case, you know, watching back obviously now. Yeah. But you know, it was just like <laughs> at the time, yeah, well, of course it was going to be Hogan because we could do earthquake and <laughs> Sergeant slaughter for the WWF title. Now nah, I don't think that's going to happen. So again, it was another thing with, well, here, here's another Hogan one. Let's go. Yeah. I mean, it's two in a row. You know, he just won the 91 now it's one ninety one, And I mean, who else is going to win it? You know, yes. you look at who's in it, who's in the Royal rumble, who else is going to win it? And building towards WrestleMania, I mean, it had, it had to be Hogan. That's just the way it was set up that way. Yes, although it's not an official title shot at the time. No, 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 no. Um, we should note, too, that if I remember right, the year before, uh, Perfect was supposed to win originally, and then Hogan kind of demanded the change last minute, right? Uh, there's something to that. I don't, I don't know how true it is but yeah there's some stuff to that some 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 you know people had said that i can believe man i can believe that too because that's, that's hogan yeah now all that said to i i think dave is down on this as a match as a whole more than he should be like this is a pretty good rumble especially for the era and on an otherwise really strong and really unusually strong in-ring show for wwf show like this is yeah. yeah, but you could tell he wasn't feeling it. You know, you could tell it with Bossman and Barbarian and, you know, just, you know, even the opener, how he would maybe talk about that in a different way if he was, again, feeling the whole situation. And, again, mm -hmm. obviously the way he opened the newsletter, you know, again, how you go into watching some of these things, you know, whether you even the best are going to feel it in some ways. And, you know, he just wasn't, he wasn't, he was never feeling Hogan. He was never feeling warrior. Obviously and there was so much stuff that he didn't like. There's real life stuff going on. There's stuff that you just are mystified at and decisions that they're making. And I think maybe that's what it was. I mean, I know it's a lot to throw in there psychologically to try to unpack Dave when he was watching the show in 1991. But yeah, that's kind of the, the vibes I get out of this thing. Cause again, you know, the, yeah, with the rumble, like what was, what was really all that wrong with it? <laughs> you know, so it's just, eh, yeah, I guess also who won? You know, that's it. Mainly, it, it just, it just, it, it, it soured the whole thing for him. Yeah, you know, because he talks about going into it after the Hogan promo, which is what went for the troops, and you know, being upset about it. I mean, what do you, what can you do? There's nothing you can do. So, but. And Dave. in the same breath as he's doing that, you know, the Sean, the ascensions of the Sean Michaels and, you know, the Bret Hart's and the people like that would come, you know, at least that was poking out, you know, underneath here. Yeah. But like I said, Dave's upset Hulk Hogan. And let's get into that. At one point, does the allowable bad taste that pro wrestling thrives upon cross the line? This question was debated heavily over the past week throughout pro wrestling, particularly within the offices of the World Wrestling Federation. 
Uh, and no, he's not talking about Gunther Stark, which has been abandoned as we record this, by the way. I told you guys off air that, that name when they were made television. And well, wait, they haven't abandoned Gunther, though, have they? No, but they abandoned Gunther Stark. Yeah. So no less. Well, no well, less. If we're talking about it, we should note, though, that there was I forget when it was. It was a week or two ago. There was a Marcel Barthel Instagram post. Contained what seemed like it was enough of an overt Nazi yeah. reference tied to Imperium that he ended up deleting it. Yeah, so... I heard that one coming around, and that's just like, okay, you know, th that's where the people that go, well, you know, Walter, you know, Walter chose it. Uh, the, see, this is where that goes out the window and sideways when you see the, all of this kind of happening here. And it's like, again, the buck stops where it stops. It shouldn't have even gotten this far. And you get what you're going to get from it because of the reputation that you have. So, well, they're, they're bad taste for years. I mean, look, 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 what are we talking about? What are we just talking about in the Royal Rumble? Who was in the Rumble? Rumble? Saba Simba. Saba Simba. See, I'm <laughs> I mean, making uh, bucks again. I mean, that's what I'm saying. You know, I mean, it's just this is what they've done for many, many years. And it's the, the wrestling business. You know, they were they're not the only offenders of it. That's for damn sure. So, anyway, it's no coincidence that Sergeant Slaughter's shot WF title was just to come four days after the United Nations deadline for Saddam Hussein to withdraw from Kuwait. Mr. Mann felt that by making Slaughter his world champion, only to lose to a flag-cloaked Hulk Hogan amidst the patriotic orgy of 100,000 fans at the Los Angeles Coliseum, it would be the biggest money-making match in pro wrestling history. But just a few days before the match, reality got in the way. There was now legitimate U.S. bloodshed in the Persian Gulf. Nearly everyone involved in pro wrestling, both in and out of the WF, believe that the current world situation will cause McMahon to pack this angle in. While exploiting not so vague racial and xenophobic stereotypes, as well within wrestling's normal bounds of poor taste, exploiting a legitimate war seemed to cross over the invisible line. Many of the front office feared a media backlash against such an obvious attempt to heavily exploit the war. A few heavy hitters in the front office are probably considering quitting the company because McMahon refused to change his WrestleMania plans. Their inner office arguments, even to the last minute, trying to convince McMahon to allow Warrior to win or at least change the slaughter character. Because of the fear of such a backlash, WF, both during the syndicated television shows and Saturday preview show, his Royal Rumble was on Saturday, folks. It was uh, a bunch of yeah. the early ones were. Mm -hmm. Saturday's preview show made statements wrapping themselves up in the nationalism that war brings out in the country. The company said they didn't condone Slaughter's character, though. During the show, there were continual, almost obsessive propaganda about the current political situation and best of luck wishes for the troops abroad. Hogan himself dedicated his performance in a 30-man rumble to the troops. But in this case, the hypocrisy is just too much for Dave. The company could claim all day long not to condone the character, but it was the president of the company that was the creator of the character and the man who decided to make him champion at the height of the hostilities. He was the one who scripted Slaughter's interviews. He was the one who approved the idea that the company should get the illusion that during the show, Slaughter was backstage desecrating the American flag. That's another thing, too, that was a story throughout the show. That Slaughter would have been some desecrating the American flag. He was the one who decided to fuel hostilities among wrestling fans past dangerous levels for no reason other than the line his personal pocketbook. Slaughter himself originally, when negotiating the return to WF last summer, bought the villain anti-American role, but backed down when it became obvious that man would hire him in no other way. As close to him, say that Slaughter, 42, realized his wrestling career was near his end and was looking for a front office position with WWF when he had to step down as a wrestler. To get it, Slaughter knew he would have to be 100% subservient to McMahon's wishes this go around. 
Randy Savage and Francis Aggressor match allows Warrior to be taken out of the championship picture and leads Hogan as the Patriotic Challenger. To further split the situation, WF wanted to send Hogan to Saudi Arabia to visit the troops, but was turned down by the USO. Instead, Hogan will spend the next few weeks visiting families of those overseas to strengthen his Bayface image while vowing to bring the title back from Hussein's emissary. Just to bring a clear up a point, if it comes up, Sauter would have won a title if a war hadn't had broken out. All right, so, um, I mean, this is Vince. This is all Vince, and Dave lays it out here that there were high-power people in that company that were threatening to quit. Notice they didn't do it, but threatening to quit, calling McMahon's bluff. And McMahon was like, whatever. And none of them quit, and he went on ahead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because that's what Vince McMahon does. It's 31 years, 31 years ago, folks. 31 years ago. And Vince is still doing Vince things in 2022. Well, to that 37 years ago, tack on another what? When did he become the announcer? 71? However long it's been. 71, 72-ish, yeah. Of of this, being in the bubble and being this. 50 years. When he gets something in his head and everything else be damned, everyone else be damned. Because he, real quick, finish mine. Go ahead. ahead. No, I was saying sometimes, you know, you get him to, you're able to get him to come around to it. Sometimes there's something, but he's going to be the one that ultimately flips the light switch on and off. And this is, it's heat, man. This is what we do. This is wrestling. We've always had these types of characters, you know, we're heroes here, you know, every way he justified this and the way he convinced himself of it. And there were people obviously polar opposites again. Look, it, you know, it didn't, it was, it was weird. Even if you were a young wrestling fan, you just kind of, you know, with everything going on, it was like, yeah, you know, <laughs> but so it's like, I can imagine, you know, for Dave and for people that were older who didn't share these mentalities and wanted wrestling to progress and move forward that, you know, again, this is like talking about the the young pistols in, in another, a completely different, but exactly the same talking about, you know, uh, the Southern boys uh, coming out with Confederate flags in Northern cities. And it's just like, you know, you know, even if it works to where you're at, is this what we are now? Is this still what we want to be? And then you look at yourself and you go, man, I know this is what I do for a living or this is what I really enjoy, but man, you know, you get tired of closing the door and having to try to hide it from people. It's like, what the fuck is this? And this is a great example of that. But what this is, though, is this is the WWF giving the people of America a version, their own version of what's going on where people know that no matter what happens, that the America will come out on top. Yeah. You don't know that in regular war. No. But you but here you know that Hulk Hogan will reign over evil in the end. And and it gives the people something to you know to use that their real life feelings towards the war and and try to put it towards this fake pro wrestling. Deal. Yeah, they try to fashion it as cathartic for people to, to get that out because a, a Pritchard or a Jim Ross or of anybody would probably, well, not Vince cause he's in such a bubble, but 
You know, the Americans had to die in those, you know, movies that John Wayne made, you know, those war movies, right? You know, there, there's there's going to be casualties here. The Ultimate Warrior is a casualty here. But, you know, you know, keep sticking around. Keep, well, you know, Hulk Hogan, somebody, you know, the, you know the, the good is going to win in the end. You know, it just and that's how, again, that's how they're justifying this in their mentality of these movies we produce. Even then. Oh, absolutely. And 31 years later, we're still having these same issues. And again, look at the power structure. Oh, literally, of, almost. Yeah, look at the power structures of this company at the, in 1991. Bruce Pritchard and Vincent Mann. Yeah. 2022. Bruce Pritchard and Vincent Mann. You know? And what's, what, what is WWE go, uh, shifting more towards to now? More angles involving, you know racial stereotypes in a way um you know even on nxt that's this, where it's most noticeable yeah i mean once that regime came in you see you started seeing i mean you could go back to the big man camps and all that stuff that Vin, you saw the dominoes were beginning to fall but then you really started seeing them pick up and if you just look at what 2.0 is and how these characters the d'angelo's the sarays the you know, you name them, Gunther. Your Gunthers. I mean, I, 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 you know, I will let you judge it for yourselves, everybody. Yeah, but this is the playbook. This is the playbook that they've gone to, and where did Bruce Pritchard learn his playbook from? The cowboy. Yeah, Watson, Bosch, and yeah, <laughs> the, well, the cowboy. You know, because Bosch, he just booked talent. So I mean, well, they weren't really booking per se. They just have, have, you know, every other week shows. But he learned from the cowboy once they got hooked up with Miss South. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's that playbook that they're, that they're going back to now is what we're seeing here with Saba Simba and Slaughter doing the Iraqi thing. And, you know, other things like or, or even even the Jacques Rousseau is the bounty, you know, or something like that. You know, it's trivial, but still, you to know, that point, can we say it always worked for WWF at the very least? Well, I mean, here's the, yeah, well, here's the thing. Who's standing? Who's still standing? Who's making big money? Vince Man. As much as as much as we talk about all these things over the years that he had done that very easily could have killed his business, he's still standing tall. Fifty years after he started, you know, as an announcer, he's still going, still going, still going strong. Now, this storyline so, though did badly hurt business for quite a while. What happened though? It came back, but big I mean, but but the, <laughs> but this is where I mean, I think the cracks were more than a beginning to to happen here, and then you know there were the the Morton Downies and the Donahues and all that sort of stuff. I mean, the the ball was already rolling, but you know the, you could, you know, especially in hindsight, you know they were a long way away from nineteen eighty, you know seven, let alone nineteen eighty five. You know what I mean? And you could see where. Again, you go back to that Pat Hand, and you know, it, it, again, it, that it would always work for him, even at Volkov and, and Kirshner, you know, but Slaughter and Iron Sheik and Hogan against everybody, and you know, Bruno, it, it, it worked. It had always worked for them. So in a way, why wouldn't they go back to this? Mm -hmm. Why at that point, why wouldn't they go back to it? Wrestling was built on evil foreign heels, you know. This is a different type of the gimmick because you have a sympathizer, so to speak. But, you know, 
Watch. Khrushchev was doing. What, what if Khrushchev stays? Well, that's yeah. what I was, but, but again, Watts did the same exact thing eight years earlier. And who's in Houston? Chris Pratchard. So, yeah, a lot of parallels. But it's the, it's the wrestling business. Fix any thoughts before we get to the national? Um, I guess not. I have more I want to add, including because I found the, because uh, it's also during our week, the subtweet, for lack of a better term, from the World Wrestling Federation to Dave Meltzer and the National that's in USA Today. But I guess let's go over some of the other stuff here first before we get to that. All right. As, as, like we said before, those of you know that we we did a whole Patreon show about Dave's uh, National column and everything that whole week, the week in the life of Dave Meltzer and all that. So you can listen out patreon.com slash 20 sheets. But Dave went ahead and printed his column early just in case there was any editing, cutting, or changing of the column. He wanted to make sure those who have already read it could see it word for word when it was sent. And for those who hadn't read it, now you get your chance. Yes. So this, this is the column. And I do have it as printed. It's not everything is there, but it, it's it's the same column. He did not get censored in any way by his editors. Um, so the next day, this is in USA Today, which um, I think it's technically the following week. Um, Wade Keller notes that it's kind of a indirect response to Dave's column. I think Dave eventually even... Is it Dave or Wade that eventually says that also that USA Today has a reputation for being a Titan House organ when there's controversy? I think it's Wade. Yeah. So here's what's in USA Today. And do we have a byline? Yes, Jeannie Williams. Not Lady Blossom. Uh, professional wrestling fans can vocalize their views on the war against Iraq via the persona of Sergeant Slaughter, a one-time red, white, and blue grappler, who has become an Iraqi sympathizer in the ring. Slaughter won the World Wrestling Federation Championship in last weekend's Royal Rumble over the Ultimate Warrior, who tore up Slaughter's Iraqi flag and pummeled his uniformed Iraqi manager, General Adnan. The two are now on the road. Slaughter faces his super patriot Hulk Hogan in the March 24th WrestleMania 7 in the LA Coliseum. But the WWF says it's not exploiting the Persian Gulf War. And in fact, these major promoters have had other anti-U.S. bullies on its bill, the Iron Sheik, an Iranian, and Nikolai Volkov, a beefy Soviet. Audiences love to hate them. We're certainly not trying to offend anyone, says Steve Planamenta, WWF spokesman. Our bottom line is to make our fans happy when the world outside is not a happy place. So he's saying they put smile on face, smiles on faces, I guess. Slaughter's ego is as important as any Iraqi stance, and that's, that's Williams writing that. Quote, he's pretty damn happy with himself, end quote, from Planamenta. General Adnan had nothing to do with the win. Macho Man Ray Savage hit the warrior over the head with his scepter in a crucial moment. Such suspense at these matches. Meanwhile, the Hulk is touring military bases for the USO. He's been at Fort Bragg and Fort Knox, and Wednesday was at Tampa's McDill Air Force Base. Planamenta says it's untrue, as reported elsewhere, that the USO canceled a Hogan visit to Saudi Arabia. The Defense Department canceled the trip before the bombing began. Yes, that's, yeah. It's basically a subtweet. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and so, in Dave's defense, as he goes over in the Week in the Life of Dave Meltzer thing, 
The only reason he got that wrong is because they made a statement on TV to the effect of he was going to go on a USO trip to Saudi Arabia, but quote-unquote, they wouldn't let him go. So in context, <laughs> Dave thought they meant the USO. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's read the column. No, that Just was the a, column. No, the uh, national column, bitch. No, that was the national column. No, it's not. I'm about to yes, read it, it is. right now. No, I have it in front of me. The thing you just read is the national column. I haven't read it yet. Yes, you did. This is Dave. No, Dave was putting this after the column. He's Now you have had a chance. No, this is the column right here about the read. No. I, I did the notes. I know Chris, what I'm doing. I have the physical newspaper column. It ends with the thing you just read about Hogan visiting families of those overseas to strengthen his image while v vowing to take the title back. <laughs> this is well, better why, all stay in. Well, why Why is the Observer have, have it like this, though? Read what Dave wrote. Just in case there was any editing, cutting, or changing of the, of the column sent to the National That's Street. the beginning of this. <laughs> no, but he... That's the beginning of this. Do but I have it's to after, go... But it, do, I, do, I need to go, do I need to go to the Observer right now and Chris, read it out? Chris, Chris, Chris. That, that, those two right sen no, Chris, those two sentences came after what you had just read, right? I'm the one that pasted the notes, because I put it together. But it came in that order in the Observer, correct? No, it did not. No. <laughs> okay, but the but the but the I have the actual newspaper column in front of me, Chris. It ends. It, it it is literally what you just read, just copy edited. Going there right now. Okay, where where it is in the Observer, it has it has the Hussein's emissary deal, mm -hmm. and then it has the stars or the uh, snowflakes. Yes. And then it says, just kissing the ending. That's in that. Now blah, 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 blah. you have had a chance. Past tense. You yeah. already had the chance because you just read it. Okay. I'm sorry. Chris, <laughs> what did you think I was saying? Because the snowflakes were separating it. That's what threw me off in the Observer. I'm sorry. But he said, you have had a chance. And also, I keep saying, I have the actual newspaper column in front. Anyway, what, what what is in here is better than the column. So that's why it threw me up, because I thought this well, was the column. Oh, this is where he really digs in, yes. It, I get why that that's threw you off, yes. Well, the snowflakes threw me off. Why why put snowflakes in there to separate it out when that should have been part of the last the sentence in the paragraph? Well, I, I get why he did it that way, though. You have had a chance, blah, blah, whatever. Anyway, so now let's go on to what he writes here exclusively for The Observer. All right. Let's face it, pro wrestlers should be taken seriously. It's much better to simply mind this entertainment. If Wiley Coyote were to put an, on an Arabian headdress in the Roadrunner cartoon this Saturday morning and blow up Roadrunner, it wouldn't be worth making a federal case over it. In fact, it would be stupid to do so. However, if Roadrunner didn't try to portray Mr. Coyote as a personal emissary of Saddam Hussein, visited families who had loved ones abroad with the express idea of trying to hype interest in a pay-per-view event that cost $30 to see him gain his revenge, which in fact he would gain, and what we are talking about is no longer simply a cartoon. There's somebody that has planned to exploit the very people Hulk Hogan's going to start visiting in order for Hogan to cloak himself in patriotism, phony patriotism at that, to gain sympathy, media coverage. What have you for this next WrestleMania that has put Dave over the edge? Dave wants to make it very clear here what this is all about. It's not about making Sardar Slaughter the WF champion. That's just pro wrestling. 
Today's feeling in pro wrestling is that it is an entertainment business designed to provide a product and ultimately be profitable. If Vince McMahon's decisions that make a certain start a champion, Hulk Hogan the challenger is the best way to sub wrestling tickets, more power to him. It's not about the World Wrestling Federation. Dave's gained a lot of respect for several individuals in the company because it takes a lot of guts to stand at the Vince McMahon. From all accounts, a significant number of promotions staff and front office were vehemently against what happened. Several of the wrestlers were, according to one source. The majority of the wrestlers were. This was Vince McMahon's call, and Pat Patterson was his main ally. Whether or not anyone actually resigns from the company over this, as of Monday morning, there was supposedly still were some considering, although most who talked of it in the, in the past week had resigned themselves that they were better off where they were, of course. It was a title change that seemed to have everyone up in the arm, up in arms. Today, that's no big deal at all. It's just pro wrestling. You manipulate the results to achieve the biggest follow-up gates. However, there are limits on how far one goes to gain money. Everyone has their own opinion on what those limits are. Hiring a man whose main fame in wrestling world was a stab bruiser Brody and trying to make oneself a huge babyface by venting that death is over the line. Someone who already exploited deaths of his own children to promote outdoor stand extravaganza to himself, fake a heart attack on Christmas Day or any day, and have them report on television that he may not live out the night is past that limit. Making Sergeant Slaughter a champion is past Dave's limit. Exploiting a war is. As Sushi Anita only exploited the death of one person. Mr. Man's trying to split the death of thousands. You can apologize to say he's trying to tone down the character, but honestly, you know, and I know, he's just giving lip service to the notion of toning it down. Slaughter won't mention the name of Saddam Hussein in any more interviews, but he's already done it. The connection's there. He did nothing to survive the connection. They still waved the Iraqi flag. The entire tone of the show was so heavy-handed with hypocritical, jingoistic crap. If this company and let Dave make this clear again, this company's owner was the slightest bit sincere in wishing the best of the troops abroad, why is he exploiting their situation to make money? If they didn't want to take advantage of the situation, they still could have Sergeant Slaughter beat Ultimate Warrior and lose the Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania with only slight changes in the Slaughter character to make it clear it has nothing to do with the current world events. But sadly, Vince McMahon wants to go on television and pretend to be one thing, when in reality, he's just the opposite. There's nothing wrong with being jingoistic, nationalistic, patriarch, or any word I've used here. If there's sincerity in it, there's no sincerity here. Not in the least. It makes Dave sick. It would make Dave sick enough to distrust himself and the rest of his entire business. It said that with very few exceptions, nearly everyone within the business Dave's spoken with doesn't condone the actions this week of Vincent Mann. While the rest of the business isn't perfect, the majority of those in it believe that while money is the very essence of the business, there are certain times when even money becomes secondary. Terry Jean Balea, not Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan's a character played by one Terry Jean Balea. He is not a human being. Terry Jean Balea is a human being. But they are one and the same. Terry Balea is either the most powerful or second most powerful person in the pro wrestling business today. Mr. Man could not create another Hulk Hogan. A year ago, he thought he could. But today, you know, Dave knows, Hulk Hogan knows, and Mr. Man knows he can't. Because of that, Terry Balea, the only man in the wrestling business who is bigger than the business, has to shoulder considerable responsibility for his actions. Robert Remus is just an employee of a company playing a role, an actor, not even an athlete, or at least not today. But certainly someone who was at a time. Robert Remus has done nothing but play his role very well in interviews and before the bell rings. He has no influence on Vince McMahon. Whether Terry Balea wants to acknowledge it or not, he does. Terry Balea's portrayal of Hulk Hogan is a major U.S. celebrity. He's loved and admired by millions. If he doesn't exploit the war, he's still a major celebrity. If Terry Balea personally feels that he is doing the right thing by wanting to visit families of those overseas fighting a real-life war because the vast majority of those people will get the thrill of a lifetime meeting Hulk Hogan, then Dave admires him. But the fact he's willing to go 100% in this angle... One that exploits the fears of those very people he's being so generous as to visit tells Dave his motives are not sincere. 
Dave's not calling him insincere. He's calling him toothpaste. So in those people that he hopes and prays for their family members come home alive, using them to make himself a stronger baby face so he can exploit the very thing he hopes when to try to instead pay for your gross record. Dave knows for wrestling's of work. His very roots are carnival con men. One can say that business is based on itself a lie. All the recent missions as to what it really is makes that not nearly as much the case today as it once was. What pro wrestling does within its own little world is a lot different from using people who have nothing to do with this world in their times of their worst fears and using those fears to gain sympathy for his baby faces and heat for his heels. No more lip service. No more commentators talking about friends and relatives fighting overseas or working for a company exploiting that fact. All Dave wants is for someone to admit the truth. Either Mr. McMahon or Mr. Hogan are sincere in wanting hostilities to be pacified and work towards that goal in their own small way by dumping this angle, or these changes get to the point that there's no longer any confusion that has anything to do with the world situation. Or Mr. McMahon and Mr. Hogan can at least admit what this year's WrestleMania is all about. And say to hell out of the real world with your phony American shtick. It's better off without you. That should have been the column. <laughs> that should have been the column, actually. You're right. That should have been the column. I think he wanted to do something newsier, which... what? Okay, so... Okay, let me pull out those... Let me see, do I still have the Patreon notes open? Because I want to check the dates of the different letters to figure out where we would be. Because it all... Well, no, wait a sec. Because... Okay, so which issue of The Observer did he run this in? Which, uh, the one we just read? Uh, I think they were both in the same Observer, right? Or were they in back-to-back week? It was in the 28th. Yeah, because the 4th is the week in the life of Dave Meltzer. Right. Okay, because the, it's the 23rd column, so he finishes But I will, I, will, I will say this, though, real quick, okay? Mm-hmm. Let's fast forward to February 11th Observer, where he talks about the Saturday Night's main event, okay? Mm-hmm. Or the, the main event, excuse me, because it was Friday. He said, after watching Friday night's NBC special, I do have to apologize to Hulk Hogan. It was obvious, since WF didn't air any footage of his visit to the military bases, nor did Hogan even mention his trips as a way to cloak himself in patriotism, what his and, his and the company's true motives were in making that USO tour. Since that tour had turned into such a controversial issue, and WF insisted all along the tour wasn't for promotional purposes, it was just heartwarming to see, before its largest possible audience on Friday night, that they resisted what must have been a huge temptation to show clips of Hogan flexing his biceps for the troops and for Hogan in his interview to talk about the kids of servicemen abroad that he visited with. It was also nice to see WF didn't even send out any press release after the tour trying to use it to get Hulk Hogan over. Okay, so they did. As this item from this past Saturday's Detroit News in the ML Curley wrestling column says, WS spokesman Steve Steve Plantamendi is a news release pointing out that Hulk Hogan, by visiting several military bases, is doing his part to ensure that morale remains high among the family members of military personnel serving in the Persian Gulf. The fact that Hulk is still holding up signs proclaiming Saddam is slaughter above surrender and that Hogan's opponent WrestleMania just hands away the enemy's flag is purely a coincidence. Of course, Hulk is making this tour because he's a very nice man. If it happens to sell additional tickets to WrestleMania, that's just something WF will have to learn to live with. Hmm. Okay, so the column was, because of a holiday on Tuesday, the column was in the Wednesday edition, which was the 23rd. Um, The letter from Dick Glover to, uh, I think it's officially to Frank DeFord. Richard Glover. Good old Dick Glover. Good old Dick Glover. Richard Glover, sure. Um, That is also on Wednesday, so... 
if Dave knows there might be anything going on at this point, it's not because of these letters from Titan, though. Because those come after he publishes. So, I wish he gave a better indication of why he thought that he might be censored, though. Well, maybe it's just a natural thing because, one, maybe he knows his own punctuation and things like that. And just the fact of the matter is that thing gets sent to the national, you know, all depending on what issue you're getting and all that stuff. Like, I can see them cutting out what they feel is superfluous. You know what I mean? Like, just they not cut out things that like, were superfluous, like but they didn't go to the... They didn't go to the whatchamacallit to the substance of the story, though. Like, the, he, the the content of the story that was important all stayed in there. Maybe it was just Dave being Dave. Like, with just adding, too much extra there. Well, like, too much extra explanation that maybe not necessarily needs to be there. Like, could have just said, hey, you know, I, think I, also, I don't know. I think he knows <laughs> it's delicate. Bulky. And by this point, he probably knows that Linda tried to get him fired at the beginning, too. Yeah, there's, well, there's some paranoia involved, yes. So it's it's not unreasonable a belief on his part, I think, because of that. And he goes and puts, if he put what he wrote in the newsletter, he submits that. It is a great article. It also would be, we'll see, that's maybe in his mind, well, they're going to look at this more as revenge, you know, in, in the tone that I'm doing it in. or And he didn't want to get dragged into those walls. Or maybe at that time feel as though he was being dragged or dragging to Ford into those waters. At this point, though, the Observer, especially if he doesn't know how it came out in the, uh, in the paper, the, the Observer's done Monday or Tuesday, I think. So he doesn't know any of, of anything about the fallout from it being published because none of that's happened yet. Hmm. Yeah. That, it, interesting, it? though, that, yeah, that he was just so much more vociferous in the stuff he wrote specifically for the observer yeah which you know I, i'm curious as, I, I'm, I wonder what would be the readership of the of his column in the national compared to the readership of the observer because i'm pretty sure not everybody got national read the wrestling column so i kind of make sure I, yeah. I'm, I'm one of the bit more people read the uh observer than they read the national Certainly, I mean, in some ways more consistently, because, I mean, I don't know how it was for you, but we had, even though it was being pumped out by USA Today or whatever, it was we had distribution issues where I was at. And it was easy if you were in a city, but if you were in a suburb or something like that, it was not a priority for a carrier who had two or three papers either. Well, it was, I I didn't see the the national a whole hell of a lot around. Yeah, It was, it was at certain places, but yeah, I didn't see it a lot. No. The Observer at this point, oh, what was the number that I think it was Brian? It was Brian Trammell who uh, gave this figure recently. What was it that that Dave was saying? I want to say he was maybe at 3,000 or 3,500 by some point in 87, and it's 5,800 when he does that interview with John Clark in 94. So what do we want to say? I mean, well, because he has the national subscriber boom in place all the way. So what do we think? Like, 4,000, 4,500 subscribers at this time? Probably. Something yeah, like I'll that. give it that, yeah. Even go high and say 5,000. Yeah. True, because we're in the middle of what was probably his biggest subscription boom up to this point. So and, you could see and if why... nothing else, it's, it's getting passed around more and more, too, hand-to-hand. So I guess if you want to kind of sort of, you can't really factor that in, but you can kind of factor that mm-hmm. in. Or, and yeah. people probably making copies of it and giving it to people as well. Yeah. 
So you have that too. You have your because how how many newsletters took Dave's stuff and just like because I remember this with like Alan Raskin's thing in Philadelphia, not that he did, but like they would. I mean, everybody I guess did this too. You go back to the old newsletters, people reprinted other stuff. How mm-hmm. many people actually did have Dave's stuff in there? You know, either directly printed and copy printed in there, or just again reworded it in there. So I, I don't know. Well, maybe mm-hmm. not with a column like this with news, sure. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, with news, yeah, I guess they wouldn't put it good. Yeah, I guess, yeah, it was really more for newspapers, those opinion pieces and things like that that would run. Dave's national column, I guess, may have, may have had a better chance to be taken and reprinted in that. Yeah. But that Dave's perfectly, uh, perfectly within his right here to say what he said, and he's got a lot of valid points at this right. time. Absolutely. All right, so let's go to how this was whole thing was being portrayed on TV. Uh, the only clip we have of Syndicate TV. This is the set the day of the Royal Rumble on the January 19th episode of Superstars and a Sardar Slaughter on the Brother Love Show. Oh, that's not heavy-handed at all. Heavy? I mean, right there on top of the United Nations deadline. Right there. <laughs> Bruce. Mothers <laughs> oh and sisters, ultimate warrior, your deadline is up tonight when you are defeated by Sergeant Slaughter. Everybody on 11. You know, Brother Sergeant is indeed an honor to have you here on the eve of your destruction of the Ultimate Warrior. And I can see that you are wearing the gift, the gift given to you by President Saddam Hussein. And I can see General Adnan. Well, they had established that already. I know, but I thought they were toning the, the gimmick down. Well, how many weeks got it up to like case? thirteen? <laughs> Jesus, so damn, so damn insane. <laughs> Remember that. Uh... The sword is proud and ready for battle. <laughs> Listen up! Just like the general said! 
gift from President Saddam Hussein. Ultimate puke. I would want to be in your boots. Tonight, I am going to defeat you and become the new World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Champion. And then, after I destroy you, Ultimate Puke, I'm going to take that title and wave it high in the air for everyone to see that I, Sergeant Slaughter, am the greatest champion of all time. And then, the General and I will fly over to Baghdad for the first of two Tinker Day parades. Did he just say Tinker Day instead of Tinker Tape? Or Tinker Tape? I think he said, think he said Tinker Day. Something like that, <laughs> yes. Hold on. Can I go back easily enough on this since it's a longer video? Oh, okay, this one's not that long, actually. It's just the Superstars episode, so let's see. I will fly over to Baghdad for the first of two Tinker Day parades. Yep, ticker day, <laughs> not ticker tape. Ticker day. Ticker day. day. <laughs> he was a great baseball player. The first <laughs> Baghdad, where we will travel down the streets of Baghdad in front of billions of people to a hero's welcome. On one side, General Adnan. On the other side, our leader, President Saddam Hussein. Three times. And then what our leader, President Saddam Yeah. To the United States of America. To another Tinker Day parade. Yeah. Tinker Day. New York City as we drive our caravan up to the United Nations in front of the General Assembly where we will take down every flag of every nation and put up the great, great flag of the new country, the new leader. And that's an order. Ultimate puke, your Slaughter tonight, squaring off against World Wrestling Federation champion, the Ultimate Warrior, at the Royal Rumble. All right, one thing to say. All right, so this is from the, I guess, twenty four seven airing of Superstars. Um, I know this is from uh, Classics Online. Okay, Classics Online. Okay, this is not what aired on the original airing. All right. Okay, what, well, I, mean, I, uh, I, I could not find this anywhere. All right. On the original airing of this episode of Superstars, this segment was interrupted. They interrupted it with Sean Mooney with a special bulletin where he read a statement from Jack Tunney stating that the views of Slaughter and Adnan were not those of any Arab Americans or any other Arabs. Slaughter and Adnan stand alone in their beliefs. And their beliefs are not those of the World Wrestling Federation. Not aired in, in this part. What, what we just got. 
but stuff like that happens sometimes with those master episodes that maybe this aired internationally, which would be in a way even more insane. Um, <laughs> yeah, because also I was going <laughs> to so, bring up too. We have a tonight segment, and I mean, Mike, you you got superstars at least via Baltimore on a station that aired it on Sunday. So, do you recall how this was handled at all? I, you know, I don't. And when it would have been on DC in DC Saturday, I think DC. Well, what was it? DC Saturday on in Baltimore Sunday. Baltimore I definitely honestly, I Sunday because it was the first hit I got when I searched for WWF superstars for January. 20th. Okay, so and then DC probably DC would have been either Saturday or Sunday. You know, the same way. I don't remember in real time how they did it. I just interesting that they inserted that. Because it serves certainly serves two purposes. I guess it's your technically your well. We did say this on the air, you know, that this doesn't reflect every anybody, and you know, we are doing a show here. You know, it works on that, and you know, as far as what they would say, and then it also helps to ratchet up the you know, it's like putting the censored video up or the red X. You know, it ratchets up the ridiculousness, but it also adds some. Well, they probably cut out some of the worst parts, too. Well, I wonder about that, though. But did they? Did they have to? Then you have a longer show than you had previously if you're just adding in the Mooney thing. Yeah, that's that's what aired on the the original airing was a special Sean Mooney thing or a Natani thing. And I couldn't find it anywhere. So, yeah, so the version that went up on the bird, as Dave Meltzer used to call it in The Observer on Thursday was not the version we saw here. One would think. So this is... Sometimes I wonder how they have some of this stuff sorted, because you get all sorts of weird stuff, like, you know, from when people are trying to figure out maybe if one of the Hulk... If the Hulk Hogan getting DDT'd on the Snake Pit segment was really an extended version of one that aired nationally that got cut off, and, like, people saw, oh, wait, the version that aired on Sky, on WWF Classics, um, and I think also the... WWE Classics Online version, like, went, had more footage than the version that aired originally in the States of one of the Hogan Snake Pit segments. Like, there, there's more stuff like this. You know, WCW, too, we've seen with Thunder that, at least for the 2000 episodes of Thunder, it seems like what WWE hasn't put on the network is what was done live to tape that night in the building once Thunder was taped. In, as it was in 2000, and then, um, but not the version that had any kind of cleanups they did that aired on TBS. So, you know, David Arquette falling through the set, through the stage, excuse me, the messed up Kevin Nash bloodbath, you see the messed up version that happened live. But you would think with WWF that would usually be the, the version that went on the satellite would be what they had. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if Roy, I wonder if Roy Lucia or someone like that would remember because at the time, as he's told us, he was mainly, or at least in this era, I know he was by 92, he's mainly watching the syndicated shows on the C-band feed for Sky. So he's not getting like, you know, so he's not getting any kind of localized version, but he's getting this, you know, the Sky version for the uk so i wonder if it was different there or what like 
I'd love to know more about this. I kind of wish, kind of wish I knew about this before we were recording, so I could see if Richard Land or someone like that had I was alternate say, versions. This is the Richard Land bat signal, if there ever was one. Yeah. You know, because what he's gotten, God, he's. He's another one goes in a Hall of Fame that I've made up in my mind of people, you know, the, the Terry yes. Justice Hall of Fame of, you know, where Al Getz is going to be inducted one day. And, you know, it just it, it, thank God for these folks. Yeah. When it comes to like TV and all that and like and different versions and what's available, like Richard Land has become is the greatest historian of professional wrestling of major league pro wrestling that aired on television that we've ever had. WWF. WWF, WWF especially, but he's been doing a lot more WCW lately too. Well, wrestling collector as well. Let's not forget yes. wrestling collector. Yeah. I love all of you. Whatever your actual real names are. But yeah, I mean, so I again can't find it anywhere. So maybe somebody will, will get it up there to hit, so we can see the Jack Tunney thing. Because it's very interesting to read. Yeah, and I got to think if I checked like a certain torrent site that had was only classic wrestling, that if they have a 1991 set, it's probably the classics online stuff. But I don't is know. Is that one still around? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> All right, so... There's our clip for, for that. All right, let's go to the house shows. Pro's Rumble now. Sunday at the Spectrum. Oh, they do actually. There is a torrent of the original airings that is there. Okay. And it does have seeds. Okay, all right. So January 20th in Philadelphia at the Spectrum. I probably already have it downloaded on DVD. I just ain't watching yet. For 6,000 fans, the Barbarian Pin, Coco Beware, Bossman over Dino Bravo, Slaughter over Duggan, Nasties over the Bushwhackers. Earthquake over Hogan by Countout. This is the next month's stretcher match. Jake over Martel by DQ. Warlord over Snuka. And LOD over the Orange Express and Mr. Fuji. Then Madison Square Garden on the 21st. And what was described as a small crowd. Uh, that small crowd. Let's see here. As I go to the thing. Small crowd is no crowd attendance listed. On Where were you history. double checking it with? Oh, history WWE. None. As Paul Roma pinned Shane Douglas, Tito Santana of Beware, who turned heel during the match. Well, he worked heel. It's a David very Smith, good match, though. <laughs> very good match. Yes. David Woodsmith and Wooler had an arm wrestling confrontation. Undertaker squashed to be Stucka. LOD beat Demolition. Action pack, four bit of match. Big Boss maybe Hercules by DQ and Roma interfere in a match that was better than it sounds on paper. Valentine and Regina Bravo in a match as bad as it sounds on paper. Nasty boys over bushwhackers. Savage over Warrior in a cage match. When Sherry got in the cage, and allowed Savage to escape with a win, but Warrior beat them both up after in the match described as pretty dull in a lot of spots and below average overall. Next garden card isn't until March where Slaughter and Duggan will have a flag match where Hogan's in Duggan's corner as the main event, which is setting up the Hogan Slaughter stuff at the garden later on and other things. Yes, and uh, no attendance in the New York Daily News either. Actually, hold on a second. This is going to bother me. Let me grab this Madison Square Garden book because it's got to be in there. Hold on. The Scott Teal book or Grant, or the History of WWE.com book? The Scott Teal book. Okay. Uh, I got it, but didn't they take a lot of stuff that's on that site from the Scott Teal book? Yeah, basically. In a so way. I don't. It's weird to not even have an estimate, though. I'm checking the Jersey papers. 
They didn't cover it. The ones that are on Genealogy Bank? Yeah. The ones I usually get the attendance numbers from, they weren't they didn't <laughs> cover the show. Now, wait a second. Small. Okay. Small crowd in quotations here. You want to, you would throw out a guess of what would be assumed to be a small crowd? At the garden? I'm going to say yeah. under 10, so probably in the six to 8,000 range. 11,000. See, Dave, I would be, I, I would be with you. That's what I would think. So what's listed is 14,000. And not only that, now this is, of course, here, and I don't know where they got this number directly, but December 28th, 1990, 13-7 for Hogan and Tugboat over Earthquake and Bravo on top and Piper Perfect underneath. Uh, November 24th, 1990, so Thanksgiving, 15-7 Earthquake Hogan. Uh, Piper, the referee for Kerry Von Erich and Perfect. October 19th, 1990, 5,500, and that's the one that's perfect in Carrie Von Eric. So when they were talking about that, you know, December, you know, Christmas 2021 show at the Garden, the, like that was one of the ones it was being compared to, 5,500, not 14,000. And then March of 91, 14,5, April of 91, 12,2 with a gate of 190. So it would fit. You know, the number does not stand out as being ridiculous, you know, at least in the book with these other numbers here listed. But I mean, you know, you got that perfect and Kerry Von Eric one. And then Davis calling saying this is a small crowd with quotations with no estimate whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, it's, it sounds like it's a lot worse than it really ends up being. And which one did you say? Which one did you say was 5,500 according to the Scott Teal book? That was Kerry. Yeah, that was Carrie and uh, Perfect for the IC title. October nineteenth. Yeah. October. So history, October nineteenth. Yes. History, history of 9, WWE 000. has it as nine thousand. Yeah. The Heart Foundation, Rhythm and Blues, Tugboat Bravo. Yeah, and I know Dave. This again, and I think this is a maybe. This is a Dave number one too. I I think because again, when the talking about that December show from two thousand twenty one, the again this one came up because there weren't many that. Before you were, you know, as far as actual legitimate paid tickets sold, you know, until you get back in the, you know, the pre-Rocka years, post, you know, during the war and all that, where it was, again, out of the building for 15 years or whatever it was. Well, as I've told Bix, you know, lately, I've, uh, the, the New Jersey Papers has the, 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 the legit attendance numbers and everything because they're getting it from the Athletic Commission. The Newark Star-Ledger and all that? Yeah, so that's where I find I find the real numbers, and you would, you, I would say you'd be surprised, but you probably wouldn't be surprised at how off a lot of Dave's numbers are. Oh, I mean, off by by a lot. Which is also weird because in this era, he's clearly getting a lot of other numbers from commissions anyway. Yeah, I mean, yeah. very off. So I'm looking for that October show to see if I can find it. Um, I haven't had any luck. It, seeing anything with them either so i guess in 1990 they weren't really as gung-ho on covering wrestling as uh, they were because they just i just don't see it in the in the jersey papers no so, i mean the, 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 a lot of the shine had worn off <laughs> you yeah. know by then yeah 
Exactly. Well, they had already admitted in the New Jersey athletic commission that wrestling was fixed. So there you go. Well, and look at other sports pages as well, too. I mean, this is when, you know, and obviously everybody in their towns had their Lupicas and Kornheisers and Wilbons and Rodens and whatever. But it's like, you know, the newspaper started to change, sports started to change, how it was covered, how it was heard on the radio now. There was hyper competition and money being paid. You weren't. You weren't necessarily going to waste space. It was always amazing when, like, the the rankings would go in the Baltimore Sun and some of the times that they would do things, and then there would be other times where it's like, no, this is box scores and, you know, fuck your wrestling until we get another slow day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, we got some other things to close out the show. We'll cut some quick hits. Charlie Norris got a WF trial with, with an Indian gimmick. Chris Chavez got a trial for the same role at the last taping. Since Dance with Wolves is such a hot movie right now, Titan wanted an Indian character. Norris said to be have a better shot at it because he's such a good dancer, and a character is being picked more for dancing ability than working ability. Don't tell ah. Greg Gagne that. We gotta have an Indian. Do you think he saw that movie, or do you think he saw the commercial with like they're trying to like teach him words and to Tonka and like that? I I just I, I, how did they come around to to Tonka? <laughs> It had well, to be directly from the movie, right? Well, you know. <laughs> That's that there, there you go. He's dancing. <laughs> TV ratings saw All American on January 20th through a 2.3, 4.6 share, 1.26 million homes. Sunday mornings, folks. Well, Sunday at noon, folks. Prime time on January 21st at a 3.0, 4.3 share, 1.64 million homes. Well, share-wise, that's down for All-American, because in 89-90, there were times where they were regularly doing like an 8-9 share. Well, it's also playoffs. Yes. We're in NFL playoff season, so pregame shows. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. All right, Matt Watch. Real quick, we continue to get missed reports on whether WF will air a two-hour special on Fox on February 23rd. Some sources say yes, but a nappy Fox sources were saying no. And they of course were right. not. They were on NBC. They were on NBC two weeks earlier. <laughs> that, I mean, like Fox is. I mean, if Fox, if Fox never gonna play that game. Be on two different networks. You think Dick Ebersol would have liked that? Oh no, 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 no. not yet. Next year. 92, that would be in February, but not 91. And to close out, Tag Team, the TV pod, the proposed TV series, Jesse Return, Roddy Piper, as the stars, airs this coming Saturday night, January 26th on ABC at 10 p.m. If you would have held a gun to my head and said, you, your whole life depends on, was this 91 or was this any time before that? And I would be dead right now. It's just, <laughs> I know there's, you know, the production and all that stuff, but it does not seem like 1990, 1991 that, that that was happening. It feels like it's so much earlier than that. Yeah, but well, I mean, it's because Piper had done his acting stuff and, you know, we had uh, Goldie and the Bears with Hogan in 85. And yeah, so, yeah, it just seems like it would have been an 80s thing. You're absolutely right. Not 1990, 91. So, Yeah. But anyway, that is it for this week's show. That's it. All right. That's it. Yeah. All right, Mike, we appreciate you being on. So go ahead and plug away, my man. What's What you got going on in your vast universe? I appreciate you having me back on again. I really do appreciate that. And, 
You know what it is. Wrestling Observer Live every day with Brian Alvarez, Mondays through Fridays, 3 p.m. Eastern time, noon Pacific. Uh, replays uh, on many Sports Byline affiliates, uh, including TuneIn, where most people probably listen to it, uh, at 8 o'clock Eastern time, 5 o'clock Pacific, if you happen to be driving home. Need to hear a rant from Brian. Uh, you don't want to watch Raw or SmackDown or NXT or any of these shows. I don't blame you, actually. Uh, so you can listen to us, and we will do the suffering for you and get you all the news of the day and all that sort of good stuff, interviews and all that sorts of things, F4WOnline.com. And then, because I need some sort of therapy from that, I also do the Mid-Atlantic Championship podcast, uh, which you can find at midatlanticpod.com. It is a podcast where I go through, along with Roman Gomez, uh, each week on the network slash Peacock of Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling beginning in 1982. We are on 1983 right now. We are on the road to Greensboro as we record this episode of this show with Slaughter and Carnoodle against uh, Steamboat and Youngblood. Rick Flair is back in the area. They just did the deal with Greg Valentine where they rub Roddy Piper's face all over the studio floor. And that obviously kickstarts Roddy Piper and Greg Valentine, a few that won't end for another year at Starcade. Uh, so a lot of big doings, a lot of good doings still going on while Dory Funk Jr. is the booker. But not only do we do weekly television shows, I'll also a lot of times dip back into the past and do deep dives uh, on on people or towns. Richmond, Virginia, I did a very special episode on using some of the uh, audio footage uh, that Dick uh, Bourne and Dave Chappell, especially Dave Chappell, has from his entire life, from the guys at the Mid-Atlantic Gateway. They helped me out a lot with the show, giving me a lot of stuff, and, and being very supportive of it. And if you just love pro wrestling and you just love 80s stuff, it's the program for you. It's uh, one you can add to your rotation. Uh, I think... If nothing else, try out the Twitter feed, you know, at Mid-Atlantic Pod, because there's always something good up there, good tidbits from throughout the years of Jim Crockett promotions going back to 1933 results in, in news clippings and bits and things like that. But a lot of the attention goes on the Jim Crockett from junior years, especially the dusty years where we do have a lot of television footage of all of the shows, worldwide wrestling, Midland championship wrestling, NWA pro East coast wrestling, uh, the UWF. Once they got their uh, hands into that Florida central States, I put up uh, a lot of historical clips and just, fun stuff up there every single day a lot of times it's huge dumps of a, a certain year or so on this day in jcp history so it was a, a long-winded way to get to the fact uh, that say that i love pro wrestling and if you love pro wrestling the mid-atlantic championship podcast and midatlanticpod.com might be something you would be interested in absolutely yes you do a lot of great work with those things so yeah definitely appreciate that all right, next week on Between the Sheets, we have a Patreon-requested show. It's Jared Hunt put down the money, and he wants us to go back to 1999. Always a fun time in wrestling history. WCW, we'll, go, we'll start with them. Kevin Nash has a meeting before Nitro to try to uh, get the team all together on one track. I'm sure you, everybody knows how that's going to go. Plus, we'll talk about Nitro and all the wackiness going on there. Thunder... We have wrestlers fighting each other in bars. We have uh, a wrestler involved in an altercation at a health club. <laughs> we have uh, 
Oh, yes. We have the WCW Latino taping in Waco, Texas to talk about. And uh, we got GDP on Regis Kathy Lee. What's Chris Jericho? Why is he on probation? And a lot more in WCW. So there's that. A wacky section. Jesse Ventura's pissed off at NBC about uh, the upcoming movie they're going to do in his life. <laughs> Just you wait. We have maybe the crowning moment in Omega. That's what we talk about that. Very rarely have we, have we talked about Omega on this show. We got uh, ECW doing some house shows. We got some very early New Jersey indie stuff to talk about. We got Carlos Colon and Abdullah Butcher teaming up in Puerto Rico. We'll have that. We got Lucha stuff, including one of the flip-flop shows in AAA where the faces work as te- Rudos and the Rudos work as Technicos. So we'll have that. We got Jacques Rougeau having a big press conference in Montreal. We got that. And then we got the World Wrestling Federation where, guess what? Halftime heat is our week. And that also means the Super Bowl commercial is our week. So we'll talk about that, plus Raw and uh, all the other wacky stuff going on WWF including Jim Ross meeting with Tate Abbott and Mark Kerr, among other things. But the big stuff going on in our week, the death of Giant Baba is our week. So we'll we'll touch on that and how that's going to affect not just all Japan, but the wrestling business in general. We got New Japan starting up their new tour as they got stuff going on there. And, of course, we got the indies, but the big thing in the end, Japanese indies is the birth of Torimon, the very first show. So we'll talk about that. And since we're talking about that, we will have as our guest a first time guest. Next week in Between the Sheets, as my friend Case Lowe hey. of Voice of Wrestling and the Open the Voice Gate podcast, big time historian of Torimon. He will be joining us for the first time next week in Between the Sheets. And he will probably be the first guest on this show that's old enough to be my son. <laughs> or I'm going to be his father. Let's put it that way. So, yes, that should be very interesting. Next week on Between the Sheets, Case is a big fan. He's very excited. So, can't wait to do that next week. But anyway, that's next week. This week, thank you, Michael. This is a fantastic show. And uh, always glad to have you on talking the old school stuff, give you a break from talking about all the shittiness going on in today's wrestling. I appreciate that. See, you got to have them young boys on. You got to drink the blood of these kids and keep yourself young and relevant and try to stay progressive with your wrestling. At least that's what I have to try to do to to stay up with those things. I don't have the luxury you have, Chris, being able to just stay in my historical bubble. You know how bad I want to <laughs> I just I look at my kid all the time and he's he's wearing it like an Akira shirt or talking about Alex Cologne or something. It's like, motherfucker, I, I raised you to be Wahoo McDaniel. And this is what this is what this is not how this blade was supposed to go, son. <laughs> well, yeah. well, at least you're going to be in New York uh, this weekend. So you don't have to deal with any of that uh, blood fighting. There are skewers on the list. I'm pissed about that. <laughs> but the fact that you know, I mean, it's like you know, everybody was talking about AEW, uh, you know, last night as we record this on Thursday, and I, I did, you know, watch the Moxley promo. But I was at the me and Bix recorded the Patreon show. I the first thing I did was I popped in the next DVD on my list to watch, and it was the January 19, 1985 episode of Pro Wrestling USA, <laughs> which was taped in Winnipeg. By the way, so yes, Pro Rust USA taped in Canada. Vern yes. Gagne, Vern Gagne, everybody. But uh, yeah, that's 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 where I met my world. But anyway, I will be I will be watching Action Wrestling's uh, Southeast first. 
on a Friday night. I will be supporting my dear friend Matt Griffin. So there's that. And uh, you should watch it too on IWTV. All right, when it comes up on on demand, because it's already it over. Be. I mean, it should be by the time the show is up. Yes. Yes. But anyway, yes. We thank you as always, Michael, for being on with us. Bix, of course, thank you. You're the rock of the show. And this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia. Patreon special episode number 63. I'm your host Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host David Bix and Spin. And Bix, it's time for part two of our series on John Collins' main event championship wrestling. And if you thought the first one was wild and crazy, you ain't heard nothing yet. Oh, the first half is nothing compared to this. <laughs> no, it is not. So, on that note, let's get to our guest on this show, our co-host, uh, King Kingsport, Bo James, our dear friend. And, Bo, you were telling us off the air an interesting little uh, story about the first show compared to some of your other appearances on this show. So, uh, tell everybody what you were telling us. Out of all the other great wrestlers and great figures and characters that we have talked about, on my how many years now of being on this show, I've got more personal messages and feedback over this nut than anybody else that we've <laughs> talked about. We've done a lot of audio, and I think, cause yeah. I, think I think you've been on you know for about five years now, maybe four at the least on shows, very very many shows, both Patreon and regular show, and. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, and I was saying, like I said, we ain't got to the the really spicy stuff yet. So was this feedback from people in the business, fans, or both? 
nobody in the business. All huh. listeners are between the sheets. Wow. You know, many of them started with, I've listened to you on with Chris and Bix for many years. This is the craziest stuff I've ever heard. <laughs> and yeah, folks, you're just hearing about it. You didn't live it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, indeed. Because we've not, we've not got to death threats <laughs> and mega mass homicide and all this other <laughs> stuff that was being thrown around on phone calls and <laughs> messages and. Well, I'm uh, sure we'll get I'll to it later. You. Then, so wait a second. Is the orid had Tracy already been using the term ultra mega mass homicide, or does it? first come to life during that oh he he's been using that as long as i've known him since 1989 he he said it on promos he said i've heard him saying in promos you know as a heel so yeah even though it didn't pick up steam as a thing with fans until about a year after this after the iwa thing with eaton yeah All right, well, we ended uh, the first show with the second week of August, and they had their debut show at the ECW Arena, and we had all the hoopla surrounding that. So if you haven't listened to that yet, you better listen to that, because you need to listen to that before you listen to this, actually. So you can get it. You probably need to take notes as you go along listing just so you can keep (laughs) it all straight. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, because there's a lot of... A lot of lies being told by John Collins to, uh, throughout that show that he can't get, keep straight, much less us. So um, let's continue where we left off. All right. One, uh, one, WrestlingClassics.com message board. Crimson Mask, longtime poster there. Uh, subject, verbatim transcript of AOLIM conversation with apparently John Collins. Okay, sports fans, I just got enlisted. I am a brother from John Collins. Here it is in full, unedited and unabridged. Okay, who wants to be who here? You're John Collins. Okay. We are not a me company. We are a we company. Excuse me? We have to be a we company for everything to work out right. If not, we won't survive and won't be able to last long. Okay, I agree, but what is all this apropos of? What do you mean? What brings you to be IMing me? I heard you've been posting stuff about me and my company on a message board called WrestlingClassics.com. Okay, yes, I have. The whole thing, frankly, sounded screwed to me from the word go. Why is that? Are you jealous? No, 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 wait, these are a few columns in a row. Sorry. Are you jealous you're not working for MECW? I heard you've been calling us a cow and saying stuff like moo-moo. Jealous? Uh, no, not at all. Seen to me, with all the plans to, you were all jumping the gun big time on your first announcement, and Terry Taylor was the one who called it me-cow. You don't want to see MECW to survive, do you? You just like seeing one promotion, and that is the WWF, correct? It's people like yourself who want to see the business and have no competition. What? It's people like yourself who want to see the business and have no competition. I would love to see you survive. I would love to see a viable alternative. Your thing didn't sound viable to me from the jump. I would love to see the boys be able to get on the plane so their tickets paid if that's what they were promised. 
I dislike this Monopoly crap as much as anyone. Maybe you are the one canceling the flights. Who is this, Indie Fan? Uh, just for the record, Indie Fan was the guy who was posting, like, all the MECW stuff on Wrestling Classics and is, you know, a, one of the reasons we were able to find so much of this stuff. Because yeah. Wrestling Classics has so much of their archive saved. Yeah. So anyway, um, who is that? Either you're Indie Fan ribbing me or you're a raving paranoiac. I'm canceling the flights. Yeah, you and Heyman. Pal, I've never met Paulie in my life. Sure, that's what they all say. Well, it was nice talking to you. Remember the name, MECW. You need help. We will be around for the next five to ten years, if not longer. I hope so, whether you believe that or not. Heck, we might even change... R-A-R-E, I haven't pointed out the spelling stuff before, but that one I had to, name to something else. But we will still be around. Bye-bye. Okay. I got to eat dinner now. One last time. Indy? This is you, right? Uh, no. Last time I checked, my name is John Collins. Okay. Then check this out. I am not canceling your flights. Sure, whatever you say. Yeah, that is what I say. What the fuck was that? What the fuck? <laughs> I love how, especially going through all this stuff, it's very obvious that's really hit. Which is sad. That's really sad. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This is, this is the strongest proof we've seen so far that he is going through some mental illness issues. But what do you think about all this? I want to get your take on this. <laughs> he can't shut up. He has to have somebody to talk to and somebody to tell how great he is and what he's going to do. And he just wants somebody to listen to him. Somebody. When you're going after fans on message boards, then you're almost at the bottom. Oh, my goodness. This would be sad even for a low-level indie, then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -mm -mm. Amazing. And it just its going to get better. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash Between the Sheets.